Thursday, February the 22nd, 2024. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have a lot of ground to cover today. We are going to talk NBA and preview the post-All-Star break with Eric. We go team by team, and we give uh, little tidbits and thoughts on every team with less than 30 games remaining for most. Nobody has more than 30 games left. We move on to Oaklawn, Saturday, stakes races. It's Rebel Day. There's an all-stakes pick four. Barry Spears joins me. We talk races 8, 9, 10, and 11 with Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks points up for grabs in some of those stakes races. Then, WWE preview. I recorded this uh, one with Chad a little early this week, so we don't talk about AEW or NXT. We just preview WWE Elimination Chamber, which is coming up on Saturday, and it's going to be at 5 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 2 o'clock a.m. Pacific Time, because it is live from Australia, from Perth. So Chad and I, we talk WWE, Raw, SmackDown, and then we preview Elimination Chamber. And we finish up this episode with Echo, Season 1, The Deep Dive. Tim Kelly joins me for thoughts on all five episodes of Season 1 of Echo, the newest TV show from the MCU. So we have NBA Team by Team, Oaklawn Saturday with Barry, WWE Preview for Elimination Chamber with Chad, and Echo, Season 1 with Tim Kelly. And if you're looking for more of the racing, because I couldn't even fit anything more on this episode, I will have videos on social media. So if you follow me on Twitter, it's me, Gino B, or on YouTube, or on Facebook. All of those places will have videos of Friday Santa Anita best bets, and we'll have a coast-to-coast pick five for Saturday between Gulfstream Park and Santa Anita. Um, so plenty of content will be coming for you just make sure to uh, keep following for that on social media best place always is on twitter where everything comes rolling this episode is presented by full service realtor cindy carava the website c-i-n-d-y-c-a-r-a-v-a.com she can help you with buying with selling with leasing anything in the world of real estate make sure to contact cindy carava full service realtor You're going to hear a little commercial about a big contest coming up. It is the Ultimate Betting Challenge. Following that, we're going to get into NBA, then right into Oaklawn Saturday with Barry, then into WWE with Chad Cooper, and we finish up with Echo Season 1 with Tim Kelly. Kick back and enjoy an action-packed episode on That's What G Said. Less than two weeks away from the Ultimate Betting Challenge. This is one of the biggest tournaments of the year with a $6,000 buy-in. 5000 is the bankroll, and you're going to compete against players from all around the country. This is going to be a contest the entire day's card of the Fountain of Youth Day at Gulfstream Park and also the entire card for Big Cap for Santa Anita. A full-day coast-to-coast betting extravaganza. There are going to be four NHC seats that have been seated by First Racing. And think about this. If there's 150 players in this, that means there will be $150,000 in cash prizes plus the NHC seats. You can play on-site at Gulfstream Park or at Santa Anita, or you can just play from home with ExpressBet. If you go to expressbet.com slash tournaments, you can take a look at all of them, and then I'm in the uh, ultimate betting challenge section. But maybe you can't quite afford to fork up the big bankroll, which is you know $6,000 to enter. The day before, there's actually a qualifier that's a $600 game to try to get you in the ultimate betting challenge feeder. And prior to that, 
Over the next week or so, there are $40 feeders that can win you a spot into the Friday contest. So you can actually build yourself up from 40 and get into this $6,000 game where you can be shooting for $150,000 in prizes and NHC seats. Over the next week and a half, it's going to be all about the ultimate betting challenge. That will be our focus. Let's get qualified. Let's get entered. Let's win some NHC seats and tons of money. Get to expressbet.com slash tournaments, or if you ever have any questions, feel free to uh, reach out. I'd love to help you out. Good luck, and let's get ready for that ultimate betting challenge. Just 30 games remaining in the NBA. In fact, no more than 30 games left for any team post-All-Star break. Don't worry, we're not going to talk about the uh, the debacle that is the All-Star game and weekend nowadays. That's got to get somehow fixed. But Eric and I will talk about the second half of the NBA season moving forward. How's it going, buddy? Uh, everything good on your end? Doing well. No complaints, my man. No complaints at all. So uh, for all of you listening in, we'll start on the Eastern Conference and we'll just go through the East, maybe give a thought or two on each team as they get ready for the, not even the second half of the season, really just that final 30 games or less for most of these teams. And then we'll flip on over and do the same for the West. On In the East, Boston's been one of the best teams in the NBA all year. It's not surprising because they have a fantastic starting lineup. Uh, Eric, they've won five in a row heading into the break. They have the number one offensive efficiency. They just jumped uh, above Indy recently. You can see they're 43 and 12 overall. They are 26 and three at home. They have an awesome starting lineup. They're, to me, watching them, they look like a fantastically built regular season team. And, and I will still have some concerns with them getting into the playoffs. I'm not sure how many teams in the East are good enough maybe to beat them, but if they run into a good team, they may have some trouble because they're really good. They lead the league in three-point rate. They shoot 47% of their shots from three, which means they also have the lowest percentage of shots that come in the paint, just 42 So that's why when they get into a series, Eric, in the playoffs, they can struggle sometimes when you live and die by the three. Because even the best three-point shooting teams are going to have games and little stretches where they get cold, and that usually happens. Everybody shoots a little bit less in the playoffs because everybody's defense raises, right? Everyone's closing out a little bit more. Everyone's playing a little bit harder. So regular season, I mean, I look at this team. They're outscoring teams by 10.3 points per 100 possession. That's the highest regular season mark in net rating since the Warriors in 2016-2017. They have multiple 50-point wins. They are good, but I will still need to see them prove they can drive the basket and get some easier buckets come the tougher teams and the tougher games. I mean, I look at this team, like, basically, I just agree with everything you said. They're a good regular season team. When you look at the history of Tatum and Brown in the playoffs, really hard to trust. Derek White, who's probably third or fourth best player, depending how you look at it, has the best plus minus in the NBA. He's He's been a great great this year uh do you really trust Missoula in a series we saw last year when it got to the nitty-gritty he got out coached you know like he got out no doubt uh and let's face it if Embiid didn't if Embiid showed up as much as everyone wants to play Harden Harden actually was good in game six if Embiid shows up in game six and game seven 76ers win that series against the um against the Celtics 
I'm not a big Porzingis guy. I don't really like what he brings. Like, granted, he me neither. A little bit, but does he really have? Like, I worry ball? about him having to play seven games in a row in a series against the tough team, banging right, going down low. Is he going to have to guard? You know, Embiid. If Embiid's back, is he is he going to be able to stand in the lane with Giannis driving the lane repeatedly? You know, things like that. That's what I worry about with him. And I try to think about the matchups that he would have to do. And he he'll have some games where he'll stretch you out and hit the three. But you know, durability with him. He's already banged up right now as we start the second. You know, post All Star break. Yeah, and when you have it, and you have the um, guys playing like banging on you, that's gonna. That's going to add up toward the end of the series. And he's never really, he's never been in a playoff series, if I remember correctly. No, we've never seen it's going to be a whole new light for him. So we uh, will see this Boston team, no doubt, in the playoffs. I mean, right now they're the number one seed. They're, they're not going to falter, most likely. They'll finish number one, and then it'll just be who they match up with and, uh, you know, who else gets healthy. Because that's key right now in the Eastern Conference. Some of these teams have some really big injuries. We move down to Cleveland, who has jumped all the way up. Eric, anything else you want to mention about Boston? No. Yeah, I mean, good good regular season team. It's just they're going to have to prove it and and shed the rep that they have right now as a good regular season team, but haven't seen them be able to put it all together in the playoffs. The Cavs, 36-17. and 17, They're six games back of Boston, but they have been playing some really good basketball. They put together an eight-game winning streak, and they are 18-2 and two since early January. And they're now four games in the loss column up on the Bucks in the third spot. They have the number two defensive rating in the league. They're number four in net rating. And they've had the best defense against the league's top 10 offenses, which is a, a pretty good stat to have. They're good defensively when they play the best offenses major area improvement for them much better passing team this year mitchell is is not just yo-yoing up and down quite as much they're moving the ball a lot more uh, they ranked 27th in ball movement last year eric this year they rank eighth and they have the best road record in the league 17 and eight they've won six games in a row uh, on the road this team had a stri- a little part early in the year where they were not playing well and Mobley got hurt and it looked like things were going to go south for them. There were rumors about Mitchell getting traded and it really didn't look like they were going to be even a for sure playoff team this year. And they've gone on a really good stretch that was about a quarter of the season and they played really, really well. And that got them all the way up to the number two spot here. Yeah, but this is another team I just think is a good regular season team. Completely uh, agree. You know, you look, I really think the area of concern with them is the four position. Struess and O'Kerr, for whatever reason, Bert Bickerstaff did not play O'Kerr during the playoffs last year. If that kind of leads to Struess, Struess has shown he can be a huge liability on the defensive end. I know everyone tries to make Mitchell into a thing. He is 18 and 26 in his playoff appearances. I think he's a, he is, in my opinion, be, would be perfectly slotted as your number two in the yeah. playoffs. I just don't think he's a number one. And the problem is he gets paid like a one. And he would be very nice in a spot with a guy like an Anthony Davis. Yeah, it's like, like another, you know yeah. I mean? another guy who can also score and do a little bit more and play defense and fill some of the voids that he has. I, yeah. I just always worry about him. Game in, game out. He doesn't play defense as well. He's a little bit, he's trying harder this year. And I, and I will 
you know, he has made some nice regular season in season adjustments, but he's another guy that Mm -hmm. he's scored well in the playoffs, but his last two playoff runs have really changed the perception of him as like a good playoff guy. Cause coming out of the bubble, we were thinking of him as, yeah, you know, he's got some big games in him and you looked at his numbers and they were really great overall in playoff scoring. And since then, what you have is, you know, you remember the loss without Luca losing to the Mavs. And you remember last year where they got crushed by the Knicks and they didn't, they weren't really close in that series. And that's, that's one of those things where it's hard to get that out of your brain until you see different. Yeah. And plus like you look at, you look at the big scheme He's won one, sorry, two playoff games his last two series, 18 and 26. You know, he doesn't, he hasn't done it yet. Also, the big question is, can you win with how they play with Mo, with Mobley and Allen, two bigs out there? How is that going to look defensively? Because the thing we need to remember is playoff basketball is so different. So different. And if you, if they're taking guys away from the rim, you have a guy that can't step out and defend the three. You're playing a smaller, uh, an elite four. There's just so much stuff going on. And I just, I don't know. I have some, some serious questions about this Cavs team. And after what they showed me in the playoff series against New York, Tibbs ran circles around Bickerstaff. So, you know, I don't know. I'm just not high on this team. And I just kind of feel like they're there because the Bucks. We've seen this form in the last couple of years. They're just kind of cruising along too. Well, they've they've been a team that was able to take advantage of the Bucks having some struggles. They've had to fire their coach and in the early in the season. We're gonna get to them in just a minute. And you know, Embiid having an injury. So they're the ones that have been able to sort of step up in in the void of those teams. And I'll give them all the credit in the world for turning around what looked like it could have been a really bad season early. And yep. now they're going to put themselves in a position, Eric, to where I co- I completely agree with your assessment. I got to see them win even a series in the playoffs, but they may be in a spot where they catch some of these banged up teams. You know, they yeah. may catch uh, uh, who knows what happens with Embiid. They may catch, you know, um, if, if something happens with, uh, you're looking at, you know, Miami right now dealing with Butler and Rozier injuries for sure. Uh, the Knicks are dealing with massive injuries right now to uh, hit them in a second. They've been having um, Ananobi and Randall and Harkenstein and Robinson all hurt simultaneously. That hurt them the final stretch. So it positive to Cleveland for putting themselves in a position where they'll get home court in a series and they could very likely get a team that isn't coming into the playoffs playing well as the Cavs are the number two seed right now. Your Bucks, Eric, are the number three seed. They fired Coach Griffin. They bring in Doc Rivers. They're three and seven under Doc. He's been, you know, I know you don't like Doc or as a as a head coach overall, and he's been complaining already about it, which he's, he's right. It's tough to start in the middle of the season, and it's tough to start and go right on the road. So there's nothing that Doc said that isn't accurate. It's just one of those things where when he says it himself, it comes off like he's whining or complaining. When other people say it, it just it's accurate analysis. And I do like some things I'm seeing with this team. And I do think that you pointed something out. They just feel like a team that isn't quite as concerned about 
the regular season wins all the time. And they, they've had a bunch of moving pieces with the coaching right now. That that's definitely not easy. Now they'll have another 25, 30 games to just, even if you don't like doc, they'll be at least able to all be on the same page, hopefully going in one direction. Cause this team will be very tough in the playoffs with Dame and Giannis healthy. And if Middleton's healthy on top of that, even with as up and down as they've been this year, they're still going to be a really hard out in the playoffs. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I look at it. I look at the Bucks like this. Obviously, I think the thing that people need to remember is this is Griffin's staff. Granted, I know Buck, not Buck, Doc brought in a couple guys, but you still have these guys that you are working with that you really don't trust and really don't know how to work with. So that's going to take some time to get going into. That's number one. Number two, I know they're three and seven. To me, I doesn't really matter. This team. We've seen it before all the time with them. They just go through the motions and during the regular season, then they turn it on. They definitely have some worry points with their team in terms of um, pieces, let's say. Backup point guard. Is Pat Beverly really the guy? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, he can come in, he can play some defense, he can be annoying for a guard defensively. Because what they were doing. Yeah. What you don't want to depend is- on him, right? Like he's a yeah. nice guy yeah. to have as like a, hey, we have this extra piece. We can throw him in here and mess some things up. But when you need him every game to play 15 minutes or whatever it's going to be, 20 minutes, it, it, you're asking him to hit some shots, you know, and, and get you 10 points-ish or something like that. I don't know if you can count on him for that. Yeah, people are going to stay off of him in the playoffs. Uh, but Connington's been playing the backup point guard, and that's not his natural position. I really think they should have done a better job with that. My worry point with them is they need that defensive wing that can disrupt people. They got that with the kid Jackson from UConn, but Doc Rivers has a history of not developing these young kids, and Jackson's been a zero factor since Doc has gotten there, so I'm a little worried about that. Connington's took a step backwards. Bobby hasn't really looked like Bobby yet. They brought in... Um, Gallinaro, like you really don't know what you're going to get from him. He's been around the block so much. This is the Gallinaro. This isn't the Gallinaro from a couple years ago. And Middleton's hurt. I mean, if Middleton, Dam, and Giannis are all healthy and you can get 75% of what you get from Middleton um, the year they won it, you got something. But I don't know if they got that, if that makes sense. So, I think when we look at, when we talk about these other teams, such as the Cavs and the Celtics, I kind of feel they've reached their peak. I don't feel that with the Bucs. I feel no, the not Bucks at all. haven't showed us our peak. I feel the 76ers, when Abita is healthy, has showed us our peak. But this is the team I really don't think has shown us the peak. Obviously, with Doc, the one thing I like about him is we're going to see more Dame and um, Giannis pick and rolls. I've been he, he's talking about that for a while. And then he'll lean on that 100%. And it, they kind of remind me right, right, a little bit right now this year of how, uh, like we saw with the Chiefs, you know, they they didn't play impressively all throughout the season. This is a team that's a little more concerned about getting there. And I, I, I think there's a few things that I really like just offensively. They, they've always been great defensively. This year, they've allowed five more points per 100 possessions than they did last year, which is a a big jump. They're allowing the second most points per hundred possession on drives, but 
on offense, they've scored 4.6 more points per 100 possessions than they did last year, which is the fourth biggest jump in the league. They've seen the fifth biggest jump in effective field goal percentage, the second biggest jump in free throw rate, third biggest drop in turnover rate. And why is that? That's Dame. And that what that's doing is that's putting Dame in a spot on the perimeter more and Giannis in a spot to drive the lane more. And what is happening? Giannis is averaging 20.6 points per game in the paint. That is the most for any player in the last 24 years since Shaq averaged 22 and and a half back in 1999. So in the playoffs, if you just think about it like that, and you've got Giannis down low over and over and over, and he's not having to just bring the ball up the court every time. And just that doesn't tire him out. And he's not, he doesn't have as good of a handle as Damian Lillard, who has one of the best handles in the league. So, right, who's going to probably turn the ball over a little bit less? Damian Lillard, who's a true point guard, than Giannis, who a lot of the time had the ball in his hands. And I think even though right now there are some growing pains there and they're having some struggles with defense and, as you pointed out, like getting the right personnel together, I think they're going to be really fine come playoff time as long as they're healthy. I agree 100%. I mean, I think we haven't seen their ceiling. I think this is going to be a team that could make a run for it. You can get a pretty good uh, future price on them right now. Let's get to the New York Knicks who are right behind the Bucks. Knicks are in the fourth spot right now. They lost four in a row heading into the all-star break after winning four out of five. And those injuries to Ananobi, Randall, Robinson, Harkenstein, they're 22 and two against teams below 500, Eric. So they've beat up on the bad teams. They're 11 and 20 against the teams that are over 500. And that's the biggest differential in the league from record against bad teams versus record against good teams. They're third best against bad. They're 18th against the good teams. Um, They have the worst record of any team in the East against the other top eight teams in the East. They're 0-3 against Boston. But they're not 100% healthy right now. And you, this is a well-coached team that sort of takes the role of Brunson and Tibbs where they're going to just They're not phony. They're not fake. They're going to try to outwork you. They rebound the hell out of the ball. They've grabbed 53% of available rebounds. That would be the highest rebounding percentage for any team in the last seven years. They're the only team that ranks in the top five of both offense and defensive rebounding percentage. They're second in both. Um, And... You know, they're above average in both three-point percentage and three-point rate. They have five players who shoot 40% or better on 103-point attempts. They've just been solid this year. It makes sense that they've struggled a little bit lately. But, man, the more I watch Brunson, he's such a, a hard player not to root for. You just like, you just love the guy. He works his ass off out there. He's smaller. He's not flashy or fancy. He's just going to beat you to the right spot and try to outwork you and kind of pump fake you and get you off balance and – I didn't, I didn't think he could get to the level that he's at right here. I mean, he is from my neck of the woods right down the road. And what he did is insane. You see the workouts that his dad put him through when he was here in Chicago playing for the Bulls. There were some intense workouts for a kid. I mean, Brunson is Brunson. You brought in OG elite defensively. Randall's obviously hurt. But do you trust Randall? We've seen now in the playoffs two years in a row he's kind of disappeared. Um, excuse me, two years ago against the Hawks and then last year against the Heat completely disappeared. 
can you really trust them in the playoffs? They did bring in some shooters that I like with Bogey and Burks to kind of space the floor for Brunson. I like that. But at the end of the day, like, do you think this team has enough to win more than one, one series in the playoffs? No. I don't. I don't either. They don't. And it, 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 you would need the right matchup, a little bit of luck and Brunson to just be nuclear during that stretch. And, and maybe you could squint your eyes and see it, but you know, I have a, like, I I'm with you. I have a tough time. They're right there with Philly and Philly's in the five spot. And it's so tough to, to take any season long stats with Philly because they're obviously two different teams. They're the team with Joel Embiid where they're 26 and eight. And then they're six and 14 without him. Uh, but four of those games also came without Maxi. So they're six and 10 with no Embiid when Maxi has played their lineup of Embiid, Maxi, Harris, Melton, and Batum. Those five, they've outscored opponents by 34 points per 100 possessions. That is the number one lineup of 27 different lineups that have played 200 minutes. Uh, they're actually the number one offensive rating, number one defensive rating among all of those lineups of players. Problem is that lineup hasn't played since December the 18th, two full months, you know? And I mean, another thing with them is, you know, and I don't mean to be negative here. Do you trust Embiid? He, Embiid he, all of these teams in the East, really, and that's why you feel better about Milwaukee when you go through it because they're just more proven. Boston, and, Cleveland, the Knicks, and Embiid, right now all of these teams have had playoff scars, and they have to prove it. And what? And you got to think about it like this. At what point of the season does Embiid have to come back for him or to else? you don't even bring him back at that point because he, and if I mean, he's not another, ready. And another thing you have to remember is look, they, um, they didn't make any moves. They didn't make any moves. Like they're punting on the season. So that kind of makes me think that they think Embiid's going to come back. I have no Intel on this. I just know what I've seen with Embiid and I can't get that game six and seven out of my mind. He had me a real neither. chance to kind of do something. And obviously he didn't do it. Uh, and a big part of his game is getting to the line. If you're playing these officials that swallow their um, their whistles, which do happen in the playoffs, every year, are they going to go there? Uh, you look at it, they obviously have a ton of shooting around him now. They got Nicholas Baton, Buddy Heal, um, you know, Tobias Harris, Maxi, who's had a great season. But do you trust them? you know what I mean? Like I, no. I know I'm repeating myself a lot, but it's like because it's the truth with, with these teams in the especially in the east at the top, all of them in, in their current groupings haven't been there really and done it and yet, and they have, have to show it. They have you have to take the regular season, like the it's, NBA it's two is different things, problem. and, and NBA it's, two, is it's a real problem right now. They because the, you want to be good, season, right? It, you want to be good. It's gonna. It's a positive to be good, but it's so different from the playoffs that some of these teams that play well and they haven't played well in the playoffs, you cannot just assume they're going to roll right over from the regular season, like the end of the playoffs, because it's a different animal. And you were getting to this direction. Other than some of those games in the in that little tournament where. I think some teams did play harder. Even for example, the Lakers, they played much harder defensively in a few of those games. And some of the teams you could see they they were 
you know, the regular season, it's still, they're still struggling with the lack of effort. It's an effort thing. And it's hard because the way that the shooting has changed the game so much that there's so many blowouts night in night out. There's so much scoring. It's gotta be a few changes made coming, you know, has to be big changes coming. Um, the regular season has kind of turned into a glorified pickup games. It's awful. Big disrespect to the fans. Don't even get me started on the all-star game. Kind of went oh, off yeah. on that Tuesday night during my show. How it was just a big, basically just a big F you to everybody with what they're doing. Um, yeah, like Silver is going to have to do everything. Maybe short in the regular season. But right now, some of these games aren't even watchable. You know what I mean? Like so we've had, not- here's a couple of crazy like overall stats. On January 3rd, there were five different teams that scored 140 points in a game. There were 10 different teams that scored 130 that night. So far this year, teams have scored 130 points in 224 different situations. So that it's happened 224 times. The single season record is 266, which is set last year. No doubt they're going over that. Um, we have fifth uh, so far. We've had 44 different players have a 40 point game or better. And just to really give it to you on a simple scale in the year 2000 teams were averaging 94.8 points per game right now, 115.5. That's 20 years. And that's 20 points per game difference per team. It's absolutely insane. And yeah, I mean, the NBA, I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole with this. You know, definitely a problem. Um, you know, Sixer, uh, Sixers, one more note, and then you can give another thought on them. They play a league high 19 out of their final 28 games against teams with a winning record. And the first four games they have to start uh, post-All-Star break are against the Celtics, Cavs, Bucks, and Knicks, all four of the teams right ahead of them. Yeah, which they could make some noise or they could fall back. Um, you know, another thing you got to remember with them is Kyle Lowry. He was in phenomenal shape with the heat. What kind of shape is he going to be in now that he doesn't have to do that heat conditioning stuff? Um, you know, Ubre, there's that funky story with him and the bike. We still really don't know what happened there, but they definitely have some talent, but I just don't trust them to put it all together at the end of the day. You've got the Pacers who are currently in the sixth spot and they had, moved from the number one offensive efficiency team in the league to number two recently. And with them, it's kind of simple because they are fantastic in basically all of the offensive metrics. And then in the defensive metrics, they're miserable in almost all of the defensive metrics. So they're a pretty simple team. They're led by Halliburton, who's taken that huge, huge step forward so far this year. And they're a fun offensive team to where if they caught the right team, I could see them winning a playoff round because how good their offense is. But I cannot see them going farther than that because of how bad their defense is. So to me, they're kind of a fun offensive team. And maybe they can sure up some personnel next year and take another step forward, but they did take a good step this year. And Halliburton has put himself on, on another tier of player and offensively, they're super capable of beating any team and having an amazing game. I just, for them, 
I think they're a team that takes a stepping stone. Just getting a playoff series this year, I feel like would be a good, like finishing in the top six and not having to play in. And then maybe can you, can you match up with the Knicks and maybe upset them or the Cavs, right? And, and one of those teams, like maybe I, I don't think they're there yet, but I think that's their ceiling here this year. Yeah, I just don't trust them to get stops. Their defense is just pitiful. Terrible. Everyone, yeah, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to play defense, especially in the playoff games. I kind of feel like they're a year ahead of schedule. Um, Completely agree. You know, and what? They're bottom five in opponent field goal percentage, opponent free throw rate, and defensive rebounding percentage. You're just not going to win playoff games when you're that bad at all of those things, when you're letting teams score, when you're letting teams, when you're fouling a bunch and you can't get defensive rebounds, they almost, they're like one of those teams that's almost like the Suns used to be where they're almost punting defense. You know, they're, they're like not even worrying about some of those defensive metrics and just let's get the ball back. And we have to, we know we have to outscore you and your margin of error against good teams is so thin when that when that is how you play that it's one game where you're just not shooting you know 42% from 3 and you're just in trouble you know it's like that's yeah that's that's the problem with them and i agree they're they're the step ahead this year but they still have uh, quite a ways to go uh, to feel like they could you know win a playoff series let's get to the teams that are just outside and that would be in the play-in right now in the East. You've got the Heat and the Magic. They are both at 30 and 25. First up, the Heat. They made a, the Rozier trade. They are top 10 defensively for what would be the fourth consecutive season. The thing with them is they just hurt this year. They're an older team. They traded Lowry recently. They brought in Rozier. They've, they don't have any lineup that has played more than 80 minutes together. And their two most used lineups both had Lowry. So 10 of their first 14 games coming up are on the road. They're just one of those teams where you don't want to face them come playoff time because if Butler's around and Rozier would actually be a good help, you know, he would be a nice upgrade over Lowry come playoff time because he's just younger and better overall. And they're really well coached. I trust Spo almost ever over probably over every single head coach that's been ahead of him that we've just talked about right now. He's the best coach in the NBA. I mean, to yeah, me, I agree. It's not close. he's the best coach in the NBA. Rozier's great catch and shoot. He can shoot off the three. Um, can they do it again? That's the big question. Are they going to be able to pull off what they did again? Just kind of cruise into the playoffs and then turn it on during the playoffs. Butler's Butler, but a little bit banged up this year. Got the size with Bam. But I really feel like lost in the mix. They got these dudes. I, I hate using the term rogue, but rogue dudes like Struess and Gabe Vincent that gave them meaningful minutes in the playoffs. And I just don't think they have that there this year. I agree with you. They feel like they don't. <clears throat> I think those those are key pieces for them that could really be, you could really feel them missing this year. Are they going to get, like Martin to have the same level of play that he had last year through those few series, you know, things like that. It's hard to count on with them. Uh, The magic kind of the opposite of the heat, right. Who are more of a veteran team that if they get into the playoffs, you would, you would trust them to probably play pretty well, but how much do they have magic are a young team have a couple really fun young pieces. They had a great start to the year. Then they got really cold 
Uh, then they won six of their last eight before the break. But they're bottom 10 offensively for what would be the 12th straight year. They lead the league in free throw rate, but they're really bad shooting free throws. They're 27th in free throw percentage, which is the biggest difference between, uh, they have the biggest difference between the field goal percentage in the paint and field goal percentage and shot outside the paint. They do have the easiest remaining schedule with 16 games against teams with losing records. And they're 16 and five against teams with losing records so far this year. So that should bode well for them. Maybe getting a a top six spot and maybe getting a series, just looking at how their schedule is the, the back way, the the rest of the way through. And then just kind of looking at the teams around them, you know, they've got a four game cushion on the nine and 10 spot on the bulls and the Hawks. And we mentioned with the Pacers in front of them and even the team like the 76ers where they have four tough games to start and we don't know what the deal is going to be with Embiid. I could see the Magic getting into the top six and getting a series just with what they have to play and a lot of bad teams ahead. Yeah, Wagner's been great in the fourth quarter. Um, Paulo's taking a huge step forward. I obviously love Wendell Carter ever since he came to the league. When Jonathan Isaac's been able to play, they've been elite defensively. Ingles has the experience. A little disappointed with uh, Anthony Black. Thought he'd be a little bit bigger part of the rotation. Backcourt is a little bit of a question mark for me. They've obviously been a little banged up. Um, But this is another team. Good young team. And I feel like this is another team that's just kind of a year ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't think they can make a deep run. But this was the, the step that they needed to take this year. Yeah, this is the step they really they you had to see from them. And Paolo took a big step forward and they have legitimate, I think, franchise pieces that you can build around there. Ninth spot, you have the Bulls. And now we get to these teams that are under 500 Bulls are three games under 500. They have the fourth best record, though, since um, late November. They're 21 and 15, but they had such a bad start. They were five and 14. So that's really hurt them. They. They're just a mid-range shooting team when you dive into their numbers. They've only outscored their opponents from three-point range like 13 different times, which is the fewest in the league. They shoot, you know, uh, they do have a lot of clutch wins. They've been 17 and 14 in close games so far this year, and they have 10 wins in games they trailed by double-digit points, which is third in the league. This is just a team that's kind of been in that same no-man's land for the last few years with a lot of their their roster and with what they've had. Um, You know, they're right in the same spot they were last year, right? Who are our four play-in teams last year? They were Miami, the Bulls, and the Hawks were three of those teams, and they're all right back in that same range. The Bulls are exactly what you don't want to be in the NBA. You like no chance to win it. Too good to be in it. Um, They need to definitely do a hard reset. Obviously, they tried to move Levine, but when you look at Levine, his course of work, he's a losing player in the NBA. Why would you want to pay that much for him? Oh, there's all these rumors like the Pistons were going to be trading like Kate Cunningham for him. And you're like, why are you going to do this? This team, Patrick Williams is a piece in my eyes. You have Caruso. You could have flipped him. You have Vucevic. You could have done something with him. I really feel the Bulls kind of missed the boat in being able to kind of move some of these guys because this team isn't going to win. The best they can do is they're going to go in and lose 4-1 or get sweeped by the Celtics or whoever's in that two seed. Where do we head next, Eric? Let's go to the Hawks. They are right on the bottom of the play-in right now, number 10 spot, 24 and 31. They are bottom 10 defensively. 
They've seen one of the bigger jumps in three-point rate. They've actually been a part of four of the five highest-scoring games of the season. A couple of those games have combined for more than 290 points, currently in the number 10 spot. But they're, you know, and they're a few games ahead of the Nets, who just fired their coach, and then five games ahead of Toronto. So this is this their grouping, and they just feel to me like one of those teams where Trey Young, Trey Young can't be your number one. I'm hearing all these rumors about Trey Young to the Lakers next year. I, I'm sure you've probably read or heard some of those. I don't like it. I don't like that. I mean, I just don't think he's as much of a winning player. Now, I mean, if you throw him with Anthony Davis and LeBron, that would be a much better situation than he's ever been in to where you're not needing him to have to be the the number one guy night in, night out. And you could, with a guy like AD there, you could at least funnel some stuff to him and try to hide him a little defensively. But I just, I don't think he's, I, I don't think he's a winning, he's on a winning t- title team. Like I just, to me, he's a guy that could get attacked defensively repeatedly. He has too many games where he wants to take too many shots and kind of shoot you out of games. I've been really disappointed in him. And in this team, never taking that step forward after they had that nice run a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, this team, I there needs to be a case study done on DeJounte Murray. The fall that he's had defensively has just been epic. He used to be one of the best defenders in the league. Now he's one of the worst defenders in the league. And I'm glad uh, the Lakers didn't trade for him because of that, what you were saying. Like, he has not put that same effort out. And maybe had they traded for him and he came and he would show a little bit more effort. But if you were trading for him to be a, a real – help defensively. I just, I'm glad they didn't make that move. We'll talk about them in a minute. D'Angelo's been playing a lot better anyways, but he, he just completely put all of his energy and focus on the offensive side of the ball. And that just wasn't what you wanted from him. You wanted him to be a really good two way player. And they, I think the thing they did with him is they took him off the ball and he needs to have the ball in his hand. I think that kind of just kind of ruined him. I will say this. In terms of X's and O's stuff, I've seen coaches run this year. Some of the stuff Snyder is doing is just some top level shelf. I mean, this he's guy, a great coach. Yeah, he he's going to be able to scheme some stuff. Um, but you're right. I think like so many of these teams just need a hard reset, and the Hawks are one of them because Trey Young is not the guy, and I think that's been crystal clear. Let's get to these bad teams in the East, man. There's some bad ones. The Nets just fired their coach, coach, uh, Jock Vaughn, 21 and 33 this year. They just lost by 50 to the Celtics before the break two and a half behind the Hawks, uh, for that final play in spot. They have played exactly 82 games since last year's trade deadline. When they got rid of Durant, uh, they're 34 and 48. So that would be fourth worst in the East during that stretch. And in the two years prior to that, they were the fourth best team in the east over that stretch they do have the most road heavy remaining schedule 17 out of 28 on the road they have a bunch of disadvantaged rest games where they play teams on like a back-to-back and the other team has better rest um yeah they've they i don't think we're supposed to be good but they haven't had a great year and they just they're like a team built with a bunch of role players yeah um bridges is a great one c two a um they just not a number one, ball. not a There's one. A lot of rumors like that's where Mitchell's going to be going. So if they can get someone like with the pieces they have, I think they're interesting. But right now they just don't have anybody, and they just are what they are. 
Um, you know, they're kind of stuck on Ben Simmons. You need to obviously get out of that. And it's just, you know what I mean? It, it, it just is what it is. These other, and then the other teams, they're just pitiful. They're just kind of going through Horrible. the rap. The Raptors so, may be the last team with like an outside chance. They're five they're not, games they're out. They're no. 19 and 36. They won their first four games when they traded for quickly and Barrett. And then they're four and 15 since then. They lost by 23 to the Spurs last week. Um, they then they can't score unless they score on a fast break or a second chance points. Percentage of shots in the paint, but they're only 19th in field goal percentage in the paint. Tough to get excited about them. The Hornets are 13 and 41. They just traded. Um, uh, they just, you know, got rid of some of their pieces. They went into the break with their first three game winning streak of the year, though, but they're being outscored by 10.8 points per 100 possessions. That's actually worse than the Wizards, the Pistons, any other team in the league. That's the worst mark for any team in the last 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're dead last in defense. And they have 13 games coming up against teams in the top 10 offensively and 13 of their next 17 games on the road. That could be ugly. I I mean, the Wizards have been bad to Eric. They're 9-45. and 45. They're one game ahead of your Pistons. The Wizards, they're 1-33 against teams with a winning record. It's just, like, everyone that says I was a fool when I was talking about Jordan Poole like two, three years ago, it's funny how those guys aren't talking to me now. Jordan Poole is a clown show. Kuzma's just kind of there too. Kuzma should have been traded. This team obviously doesn't respect their coach. I just, yeah, like there's not much you can say about them. They're a la- the laughing stock of the league next to my boys. And the Pistons who, uh, so how about Poole? You're going to love this stat. I-, I wrote this one down for you because it was a pool stat. I knew you'd enjoy it. Jordan Poole, your favorite NBA player. So, he has the 12th worst plus minus box score among any qualified players over the last 30 years. So there, there've only been 11 players over the last 30 years who have had a worse plus minus than him. And those 11 players combined made 23.8 million in the year that they were awful. He's making 27.5 million this year alone. So he made more, he's making more than all 11 of those guys put together, which just shows you that he might be the, this season might actually be the worst based on value, how much you're paying for someone to be that bad. Yeah. It's <laughs> That's just, your guy. That's your guy, man. I love to give you credit yeah. when you're ahead of the curve. Cause you were calling this guy out a few years ago, even when it was, and, and he had big games and good moments for the for the Warriors. He would, in that role, when he would come in and just have to light it up for a few minutes, take every single shot, and they just gave him the green light, and they had a bunch of a really good infrastructure, it could work in small doses. When you started to need to lean on him, that's when they got in trouble. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of stuff was done against backup players, teams really, like, third or fourth no not even third or fourth fifth or sixth option they really don't care they're not going to focus your defense about do it and you can just kind of see what the way he plays way too much of a defensive liability uh you know wanted his own team he's got his own team now he's never going to set the playoffs again so you know is what it is with it let's move to the west where the top four teams are separated by just three games and we have to give some love to the timberwolves i don't think anyone had them 
as the number one seed in the West heading into the All-Star break. At 39 and 16, they won four straight road games before the break, including 20-point wins against Milwaukee and the Clippers, which looked very impressive. They're the number one team in defensive rating. They've allowed 2.1 fewer points per 100 possessions than any other team in the league. That's the fourth biggest differential between number one and two ranked defenses in the 28 seasons there's been play-by-play data. And they are 23-11 and against teams over 500. They're 11 and seven against the top eight in the West and they have the most home games remaining 17 of their final 27 at home and seven home games to start after the all-star break. So got to give a lot of love to this team. They are a young team. So for a team that is going to be getting uh, almost definitely a series at home in the playoffs, they will be a team that, at, at that point, it's going to flip, and now there's going to be a little more pressure on you as a team that's supposed to win and not necessarily a team that kind of showed up out of nowhere. But th- the good defense is what you like for this team if you were to project them having a nice playoff run because they have Gobert, they have some nice wings, and they have with their bigs and the three bigs they have, they actually have some versatility to where they don't need all those guys on the court. They can throw you like uh, some solid wings at you. Connolly's been a really good leader for them. This has been Gobert's best year ever, like offensively and defensively, where he just looks really comfortable. I think they've the, their head coach has done a fantastic job with this team. Again, I'm not sure come playoff time if I'm going to want to take them as a chalk in a playoff series, but they have had a fantastic regular season up to this point, and Ant has taking that next step. Yeah, I mean, we've been on it for a while. This should be Ant's team. Um, you know, he's been playing great. Obviously, I thought it was disrespectful as hell what he did during the skills competition, shooting those three-pointers with Absolutely. his left hand. Um, but that kind of does kind of show you he is still immature, and during a playoff situation, you do have to worry about that. With Gobert, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. He's been great, but this is the regular season. We've seen what happens to him during playoff time. A little worried about that. Um, so I don't know. I think I think it's been great. A little old at the point guard position. Good wings that can guard, which is huge. But it, it hypothetically, if the, they play the Lakers the first or the round, or the or the Warriors, I could see them losing. Me too. Easily. And the 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 what both the Timberwolves and the Thunder, who we're going to talk about next, who have been very good. They remind me a lot of last year in the West when you had the Kings and the Grizzlies as those two young teams who had really good regular seasons, but you knew if they got a playoff series and and a lot of it is even kind of mental. Like, could you imagine for the, for the wolves having that awesome year, you get the number one seed and then you have to play the Lakers or the Warriors. That would not feel Already you would feel like, are you kidding me? This is where we are. And and I kind of feel that way for OKC uh, also. I mean, they're, they took that big step forward this year. They're the number four offensive rating, number four defensive rating, number two net rating, one of just two teams in the league, top five on both ends of the floor. They are 15.3 points per possession better than they were two years ago. That's the My- biggest two-year improvement in 25 years. My thing with OKC, though, and why I'm not as worried 
is when you kind of look at the front court hypothetically, like I'm using the Lakers in, the, in this example, I'm not going to be worried about Chet Holgram guarding Anthony Davis, but I would be worried about Rudy and Cat guarding Anthony Davis, if that makes sense. Yeah, and Chet, the only thing would be a depth thing is if he got into a little bit of foul trouble or do they have other guys behind? Because a team like maybe the Lakers can throw a few bigs at you or a team like the Wolves could maybe throw a few bigs at you. Or if, you know, he's having to defend Jokic, you know, does is he oh. thick enough? Thick enough, big enough. You know what I mean? I think like you and I can both agree that there's no one that's that defending plays basketball right now that can defend Jokic. No, there's just nobody no. that can you, there's um, guys that you can throw at him. And honestly, the Lakers did about as good of a job last year in the series against him when you had AD and then you had two big bodied guys like Rui and LeBron to at least have a good foundation and try to push mm-hmm. him a little bit and that and that and they couldn't do anything right like yeah. the lakers have personnel that f- is the best fitting to defend a guy like jokic and they still couldn't they did the best they could and murray was nuts you know and and other guys you know and it, they opened up holes for other players so um the, these young but- teams though again like i both of these top 2 i agree with you of the top 2 the thunder feel a little more solid and they do kind of have a little X factor that I don't think many people have been talking about. Gordon Hayward should be playing for them. And if, if he is a guy that can stay healthy now for this stretch of the year in the playoffs, we're not asking for a full season or anything like that. We're asking two months now where you don't have to be a number one or number two type guy where you can be a guy that gets a few minutes here and there. But as the season gets later in playoff games, can you be someone that's played in big games and that can be a little bit of a leader for this team and help them in moments where things go off a little bit? And he still I'm shoots forty percent from three, right? You know, catch and shoot. Yeah, and I mean, I think with the Thunder, one thing we need to remember is Shea's been there. He's been there. He with the um, he's a stud. The Clippies when there was a series, I think it was against the Rockets where Paul was there. They're in the bubble. They, and they played well. They super overachieved in that series. No, you know who they played? They played, or was it the year with um, where they played the 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 Warriors? And then they made the trade after that. I think, right? I think they they played the Warriors tough. And then after oh, no, that, I'm was, talking about the year he played for the Thunder. Oh, okay, you're talking. I was talking about the Clips, the COVID, the COVID year. Yeah, and. Even last year, he had he's he's gotten a few tastes. This dude is in, is incredible. He's so smooth when you and watch I'll him play. What, like, I'm the biggest OKC Thunder. I have him at 25 to one to win MVP. MVP? Them, yeah. to win, them to win it all at 100 to one. Chet Rookie of the Year at plus 650. I'm the biggest OKC City homer. My worry with them is as crazy as it sounds. I would have let it played out this year. I don't know if you, I don't really think bringing Hayward in does that much for you. This isn't the golden Gordon Hayward. It was before the knee injury, if that makes sense. Oh no. Yeah, not at all. Um, and what does that do with like the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Chemistry. Chemistry. Exactly. Is he going to be as a veteran? Is he going to be okay coming off the bench? You know, I don't know. They have a lot of stuff going on there. I just, I don't know. I'm a little, he- what what helps some of your wagers? They have the easiest remaining schedule of the top nine teams in the West, and only one game 
with the top four teams in the West, and it's the first game coming out of the break against the Clippers. I will so say they, this: I think if they if they are the top seed, I think Shea's getting MVP. I agree, and that so with the easy schedule down the stretch, they could be in line. They're also a team that's young right now. I could see the Clippers not caring as much down this. You know, the Clippers have had really good health so far this year. Who we're going to get into? This has been the most Kawhi had ever played in a row in the last five or six years. And now he's a little bit hurt uh, heading into the all-star break. He was, but the Clippers have been remarkable in their turnaround after their first five games, they lost with Harden. They have gone 33 and 10 number one offense in the league, 18 and a half points per 100 possessions better with Harden on the floor than without him on the floor of 240 players this year that have qualified. That's the biggest on off difference of any player. Harden on Harden off they but here's the thing with this team for as incredible as they've been they are last in ball movement and player movement they're last in percentage of three-point attempts that have come off catch and the percentage that have been wide open so they're not getting as many easy shots they're just kind of making some hard shots which is what Harden and Kawhi do and Paul George do but again those guys were they're tough shot makers you just don't make as many tough shots in the playoffs. It's just yeah, what I mean, happens. The pressure's on and everything's a little bit heightened. And so I will give them remarkable credit, Eric. After that first stretch when they traded for Harden, it looked like this team was going to completely crater. And then Harden did what everybody's asking Harden to do over the last few years. Kind of take a step back, be a real team player, pick and choose your spots. He's a great passer, run the offense, be a true point guard. It's been a great honeymoon period for them there. I still don't trust this team at all come a playoff game, come a big situation. And then also coming up right now, they have a league high seven back-to-backs in the last 29 games. And they have two different sets where they play five games in seven days, which to me means that they're not going to be at 100% capacity during those stretches. They're just going to sit Kawhi or PG in a few of those games here and there, especially because they've gotten off to a nice start. And same thing that I feel with those Boston, the Boston team, the Philly team, those teams in the East that we said, got to prove it in the playoffs. Got to see this team prove it. Harden and Westbrook and Paul George have been three of the biggest and the word loser is is harsh, but they have lost the the most amount of playoff games and been there the most times on good teams that you thought might have done it. And now you put them all together. I, I just have to really see this team in a playoff series do it. I agree 100%. They got to. But you have Kawhi, who's playing good. You have Paul George. If he's really good. Three. You have Harden. I think Zubek's been around. Um and it's an interesting team. You know, I got a piece of them at 20 to one. I think there's a team that they could make a run, but you're right. You know, with what Paul George has done, it's hard to trust them. Harden's been in positions before to take that step and he really hasn't done it. But, and, and then come playoff time, if they have a game or two where Russ doesn't play, right. He's been good this year. And, and, and the thing about Russ is not only has he's been good on the court, but he's been better off the court. In that he's not starting anything, no drama. He's fine sitting on the bench and not closing the games. He's not getting upset about that. But in a playoff game, if he doesn't play a whole lot and they lose, 
is he after the game is he going to say something yeah which is which is a worry point but i will say this if you're looking to to tilter off the um nugs this is going to be a good future team yeah yep let's go uh uh continuing through the west eric we move to the number four denver nuggets watching them this year don't they just feel like that returning champion team kind of like they were they if everyone's healthy they're winning it all yeah they're they're they're, their a game no one is close now and and i i completely agree it could like for me as a and I and I say this as a fan of the Lakers. I'm speaking as a fan. I don't think there's any other team in the West that the Lakers can't beat except for Denver. If if they if the right if the right things happen for them and they matched up in a series and they were healthy, I don't think the Lakers could beat Denver if both teams were fully healthy. It would Jamal Murray has to be not 100 percent something like that, yeah. right? Like where he's not able to do what he did last year because if that's the case. Right now, Murray and KCP are banged up for them. So that would be how you beat this team because they had great health last year. And if Jokic in a playoff series is just so difficult to stop, man, the guy just, you you can't really take him out of a game. You can slow him down a little bit. You try to make him more of a scorer than a passer. Then the problem is they, when, Murray is playing at the level he played last year and how he's played in big games. He's like my, the fan in me, he's my least favorite player as a fan right now. And just the, this guy's not hitting another big three, right? Oh my God. Like this. No, he's not hitting. Oh my God. Like that was, that's Murray. And I just, Murray will play four bad games in a row before the Lakers. And then he will just destroy the Lakers. And when they play them and I'm watching them just crying, Murray, not again, man. Um, this team gives me nightmares still from last year. And they, they feel like a defending champ team that isn't worried about getting the number one seed and that they're going to be able to flip a really nice switch if they're healthy in the playoffs. Um, I agree a hundred percent. And like I said, I don't think anyone is, um, is able to defend Jokic. No, nobody at all. The Mavericks, or let's see, where are we now? Yeah, uh, well, we got a few in front. We go, let's go. Let's go Phoenix first. We got the Suns. Suns, uh, with their big three, they have played very well as of late because everybody's been healthy. They are fourteen and four since January eleventh. That's the best stretch in uh, the best record during that stretch in the West. But hey, Hank, can we peel it real quick. Something's going on in my garage. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. No worries. No worries. Uh, okay. So we, uh, we're picking back up Eric with, uh, the Western conference and we're looking at the number five Phoenix suns. They've been really good with the big three, uh, when they've been together, you know, they, the problem with Phoenix, it's remarkable when you look at their, their splits. So they are terrible in the fourth quarter, just horrific. So they, have a 102.9 points per possession in the fourth quarter. That's the second worst mark for any team in any quarter this year. Only the Charlotte Hornets are worse in the first quarter than the Phoenix Suns are in the fourth quarter. They get outscored by 16 points per 100 possessions in the fourth quarter. And I do think, Eric, that has something to do with the way their team is built because they're so top-heavy with those three guys. And those three guys have to do so much of carrying the load. They don't really have 
a, a point guard either. So it's one of those three guys handling the ball as well. And they're asking a little bit more of KD, like defensively, they're going to have to. So I understand why they're not as impactful in the fourth quarter. And that's what worries me about this team. The, when they were built last year, I figured they'd be a fine regular season team. They were going to have stretches where those three guys look fantastic. Come a playoff series. If they have to play and defend Jokic or an Anthony Davis or Chet or some of these bigs in the West, they could have a really tough time doing that. And I, this is a team I'm probably going to be targeting to play against early in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I mean, they did get Royce O'Neal, sneaky pickup, good defender, someone that can come in and shoot. Really hard to trust Grayson Allen on the wing defending. I like, look, he's a great shooter. Defensively, a huge liability. Take it from me, someone that's watched him play for the Bucks the last couple of years. Uh, one weird betting thing from them. When they play at home, Booker runs the point. When they play on the road, Beal runs the point. Yeah. It's, it's like a real weird dynamic. Um, and they also have the I mean, toughest remaining schedule. 19 of 27 games against teams with a winning record. 15 games out of 27 on the road. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's just, look, it, how can I word this? Great. So, I mean, like right, right now, the season were to end, they have a first round series with the Nuggets. I mean, I'm picking the Nuggets. Right. You know, right. Um, so right. for them, it's key with the matchup, but I, I really don't like the way they're built for a playoff team. They, oh, 100%. They seem like another one of those teams that's well built for the regular season with a couple stars to where you can have these different guys carrying you throughout the night, but uh, throughout, you know, one night to the next. Yeah. I'll need to see it with them. Come playoff time, they're fifth, currently tied for the fifth and sixth spot with the New Orleans Pelicans, who are the final team uh, just inside of the the playing spot. Pelicans won six of their last seven before the All-Star break. They've been way better in the first half than in the second half. Actually, they have the biggest half-to-half point differential. And they're the only team in the league. They're 0-13 and when they've been trailing after the third quarter. They haven't won one game going into the fourth quarter when they've been down so far this year. Kind of a weird team when you dive into some of their splits too. Only 19 of their games have been within five points in the last five minutes, which is the fewest in the league. They're either beating you up or they're getting beat up by a lot. Very few close games back and forth. Top 10 in three-point percentage, but bottom 10 in three-point rate. They're very good when they can outscore their opponent from three. Uh, 17 and one in games where they've outscored their opponent from three this year, but they've only done it the third fewest in the league. So they're not doing it often. They did get 44 games out of Zion so far. He's averaging 22 and a half points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 4.8 assists, two and a half turnovers in 30, just over 30 minutes. The, I think the rebounding has been kind of disappointing for him and like defensively, but he will have some good games and good stretches. This is a, a strange team because they have a lot of pieces that are pieces I like, or you could see as players on really good teams. I just don't like the whole combination of their parts and how it works together. Yeah. I'm like, I agree hundred percent. They got some dudes, but at the end of the day, can those guys win? You know what I mean? I just, I, I feel like you, they're kind of built a little weird. They're I like all individually. If you traded, 
this guy to this team or this guy to this team, you know, like McCollum's fine. And then they've got, um, you know, Jones, who's really good and defensively. And they've got a couple shooters here that I like. And Valanchunas, you know what you're going to get from him. Uh, B.I., I think, is a nice either like number two or number three best player on your team. Uh, but I don't even – they don't really have a number one. I was really disappointed at the playing tournament. I thought that was kind of their – When the Lakers just wiped the floor with them, I know. That was – that was bad. I thought that was their chance to kind of do something, and it was just a huge disappointment what I saw from them. I really thought they were going to be a little bit better, be able to do yeah. some stuff. But they're see, they're they're a team that I I can't really trust quite yet either. Just got to see a lot more from them. The Mavericks they have actually been playing well as of late. They won six in a row. They're the number seven spot right now, just ahead of the Sacramento Kings. They have the league's best clutch record, seventeen and six in games that were within five points in the last five minutes. Listen to some of these numbers in clutch games, Luca and Kyrie, their field goal percentage 30 for 60. So they're, they're shooting 50%. They've made 30 out of 60. They're 11 for 23 on three pointers, almost 50%. They're 29 for 33 on free throws during that stretch. They have been incredible. It's tough to sustain that, but those are two really talented players who absolutely could carry games down the stretch if they're healthy, if they're on. The real key for this team is shooting. Once, If they're at least average from three, they're really good. When they're less than league average from three, they're 9-18. and 18. They only have 11 home games left. That's tied for the fewest. Uh, they got a big one right off the bat. They play Phoenix, and Phoenix and Dallas have split so far. So whoever wins that game will have the tiebreaker. And those two teams could be right next to each other in the standings. They're just separated by a game right now. Uh, they did trade Grant Williams. They brought in a little bit of size, Washington and Gafford. I just, overall, they don't have enough size, I, I think, to get through multiple rounds in the playoffs. But when you do have Luka and if Kyrie is playing, um, they can theoretically beat anybody in a, in a yeah. series when Luca's playing well. And, you know, I expect them to be either right, right here or on the in, inside and, and get themselves a playoff series. So uh, with everything so closely matched here, a good week or two, you know, could really help you make up some ground. And, and the six game win stretch has got Dallas right back up to the mix to where they should have a chance to, uh, to get themselves a series. I really like what they did um, at the trade deadline. PJ Washington. I agree. In the big center. When you look when Lively has played, they've been great. When Lively and Luke have played, they've been one of the better teams in the league. They got some defense. Obviously, they'll have the offense to score with anyone with those two guys. Luke has kind of picked it up a little bit this year. Um, if you look for a team that you want to take a dart, sh a dart shot throw on that's a big price, I kind of think it's the Mavericks. I, I like that. Yeah, I agree. Know, they have two guys that can score. They got better defensively. I think this is a team that is going to be interesting come um, come playoff time. The Kings are in the eighth spot right now. They're just behind the Mavericks. Kings are two games ahead of the Lakers. And when you're looking at the playoffs, there are a couple of key spots. Getting the number six means you get a series. If you're in the seventh or eighth spot, that means you only have to win one game to get in. If you're in the ninth or the tenth spot, you have to win both games in order to get in. So for a team like the Kings and the Lakers and the Warriors, the difference between the eighth spot and the ninth spot is really a lot because in a one game situation, anything can happen. 
and you don't want to put yourself in that spot. So for the Kings, they beat the Nuggets in two out of the final four games before the break. Overall, they've, they kind of struggled a little bit this year. They're 17th in net rating. They do get 17 of their final 28 games at home, but they have three out of five to start on the road against some of the best teams in the West. I felt like they overachieved a little bit last year. This, to me, kind of feels like more of who they are, right, as a team in, in this range, like a playoff team, but a bottom-tier playoff team. And I I don't know yet if this team is quite tough enough come playoff time. Uh, I think they'll probably be in the mix right here in the play-in, but they're a team I'm a little a little cold on the bonus was awful in the playoffs and it's hard not to think about that right yeah it is he was awful in the playoffs with what he can't do defensively fox is fox um you know keegan Murray huge step forward but you're right i kind of think this is they overachieved last year you have mike brown who's a hell of a coach but i just kind of feel that this is their um this is kind of who they they are Yeah. yeah Lakers 30 and 26 in the nine spot. They had a really nice run towards the uh, end of the first part of the season. And the real key for them was uh, Darvin Ham didn't really know what he was doing with their lineup and with their players. And he kept, he was really inconsistent with who he was starting, the the groups that he was putting in. He wasn't putting in a lot of the better uh, groups of players together and kind of offensive players overall. A lot of games where they were starting reddish and, a Prince together, which just doesn't give you very much offense from either of those two spots. Those guys are, are bench players that are solid and they have roles, but they shouldn't be playing 30 to 35 minutes a game. And that's what the Lakers yeah. were doing earlier in the year. And what they've done now, Eric, is before the trade deadline, Ham sat down, they had a conversation, him and D'Angelo had a talk. And D'Angelo basically said, what are you looking for out of me? You know, can you tell me what you want? Because I can be a good point guard. I can pass the ball. And I, they basically said, go crazy. They basically said, hey, look, we the way this team is built, you need to be, you need to take enough three pointers for like two positions worth. You need to not be tentative. You need to go out there and go five for twelve from three, because I'd rather see D'Angelo take an extra three than Cam Reddish be taking those shots. And that's what the Lakers have done recently. And now they're playing D'Angelo, Reeves, and Rui together in the starting lineup with AD and with LeBron. And all of a sudden, Eric, they went from being a team that was good defensively and really bad offensively. And now, instead of playing the five out, they're playing more four out. They also changed their scheme. And that's why I, I have a lot more confidence in them now. I wouldn't have, if we talked a month ago, I would not have felt this way at all. But they made changes, and since making those changes, they have been um, really good offensively. So you look at their overall season stats, they rank last in three-point differential, right? Over the last 15 games, they're the number five offensive rating. They're 40% from three, which is third in the league. They have the second-best true shooting percentage and the third-best field goal percentage. They rank first in assists per game. Uh, Anthony Davis has taken a huge leap as a passer because he has been getting double teamed. And now it's like he, him and LeBron have had this kind of game that they play with the assists and LeBron is teaching Anthony Davis how to pass out of a double team. So they're having games where they have four guys with five assists like D'Angelo and LeBron and AD and um, Reeves, all of them. And after a really bad start to the year, 
Reeves has now been playing much better. They're 15 and seven in clutch games, and they won six of their last seven coming out of the break. Um, so like these top teams, when Anthony Davis is out there playing this year, he is playing, I don't think he will be, but if he was given first team all NBA, it wouldn't be wrong. He's playing that well this year and he's not been hurt and he's played all year, both sides. Uh, so I'm, man, I was so worried about this team uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's not like I'm, I'm crazy ecstatic because they're still in the ninth spot. If they get into the seventh and eighth spot, I feel really good about them getting in, getting a series and just being, being a team that's going to be hard to get out if they have LeBron and AD and if Reeves and Rui, if they're healthy, you have, if Vanderbilt comes back and you have Vanderbilt and Reddish, they haven't even gotten anything from Gabe Vincent this year. He's been hurt the entire year. They have gotten nothing from him. Um, they can throw some different looks at you. So I, this is kind of another, them and the Warriors, as, as much as they've had go wrong for them this year, they are scary teams that you sure won't want to play in a playoff series. Oh, 100%. I think this is a team that definitely has some futures, future value. We need to remember that um, – what's the word I'm looking for? They could have won that game one against the Nuggets. That kind of slipped yep. them slip away. Maybe it would be something different if they would have won that game. You know, we don't know. But they were definitely in a position to win that one. I am a little worried, though, about um, – Delo defensively, we kind of, of saw that but well, the and the combination of because right now, as they've been a much better offensive team, they what what ends up happening? They're playing better offensive players, so they're just better offensively and they're worse defensively, right? No yeah. doubt about it. And I completely agree with you. And he had, I think, because he the last time we saw him in the playoffs last year, he he was basically benched, but before that, he actually did have some really nice moments for them in, in good spots, but can he continue playing close to the level he's been playing over the last few weeks? He's never done that in the playoffs so far. So for me to act like he's just going to go right in and play well, nope. Just, just like with everyone else, he's got to show it that he can play big night in night out when the moments are big. But I do feel like this is the best version of D'Angelo I've ever seen as a, as a fan of his in LA. And he does seem like, I think because the trade deadlines gone, he knew he was staying. There's, he's a little more comfortable now, a little more relaxed knowing like I'm here. They need me. This team needs me because win or lose. They, they are the best version of this team is when D'Angelo Russell can score, you know, 15 to 25 points a game and hit a bunch of threes that that is their ceiling. And when he can do that, they're a really scary team. If he doesn't do that, that really makes their margin for error so small because they just don't have a lot of other offensive firepower. They need him to be doing that. Yeah. they. Um, I don't know. I just don't trust him at the end of the day, if that makes sense. I. Um, what I do like is that if for some reason they do get Vincent back, if and 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 then they have another kid named Max Christie, who is a very good defensive player too? Really, really solid. They also have Reddish and Vanderbilt. My so, thing with Reddish is I'll never forget this comment, and this is always going to be pre in my head for the the kid's whole playing career. When he was elite coming out of high school, before I went to Duke, 
he went to a camp one of my buddies ran and my buddy was like anytime it was time to do any drills he was always banged up with something always needed yep. an ankle my shoulder hurts my wrist hurts something but when it was time to play it was fine so that's he's the epitome. Well, he, he's the epitome of a you don't want to have to count on him, but he's kind of a nice guy to have in a playoff series that you can throw in one game, right? And he can go out there. He's not a score. I don't like him offensively, really. To me, it's just he wreaks havoc defensively when he is locked in. He gets these he steals just out of bounds plays. He's got really good defensive awareness, and he's his decision making on offense is that is as bad as his defensive awareness. He's hor- he drives the lane, he takes bad shots. It's just it's a struggle. But I like the pieces they have, and I like that they can throw some different things at you. They're at the bottom of the play in though, Eric. The number 10 seed right behind them is the Warriors. And the Lakers and Warriors play three more times um coming up the rest of the year. They play right off the bat on Thursday. LeBron won't be playing in that game. And the Warriors now. They've played really well. They've won six of their last seven. They made some changes. Clay's coming off the bench. Um, and they do have the easiest schedule left against the top 12 teams in the West. So I, I look at the way things are set up now. It's them. They have a two and a half game lead over the Jazz, but it's four games in the loss column over the Jazz and the Rockets. And the Jazz and the Rockets just feel like they have maybe a last little breath. The Jazz kind of did the same thing last year. And the Rockets too, they're young, but they're so bad on the road. To me, it feels like we probably have the top 10 teams right now in the West. 100% agree. Warriors are the Warriors. you got to represent that championship pedigree. They are starting to play a little bit better with the pieces that they have. going to be interesting to see how Clay adjusts to coming on the bench. Clay, you got to feel feel for this guy with what he was and then two major the injuries. injuries. I know. Because it, it's so hard mentally, he still wants to be where he was but he just, he reaches down and he just can't do it. Right. He just can't, it's not there anymore, but they're another one of those teams where if you are the thunder or the Timberwolves and you get a great top spot and you have to run into a Lakers or a Warriors, you are going to be really nervous about that. Uh, Jazz lost four in a row and they're now four games behind in the loss column. And they have the biggest home road net rating differential of any team in the league. Not surprising, right? With the the home court advantage and with the uh, elevation up there, a tough place to play on back-to-backs. They're 19-0 and when leading at halftime. Every other team has three losses um, in games that they were leading at halftime, but they do have the third hardest schedule remaining left. And I, I don't see them making a real run. I think another team who's had good starts to the last few years, maybe a little ahead of schedule, but... They got to kind of figure out who they want to build around, I think. Oh, 100%. They have to figure out what they're going to do. They have a lot of pieces. I think they just keep on going and see what they have. Yeah. I really like Markin, and I think Markin can't. Me too. Way to be something special. Sexton's kind of developed. Clarkston is a guy you want on your team, that vet, that silky smooth veteran guy. Um, But, yeah, I just – I don't know. Like, they're, they're just kind of that interesting team to me, so. Rockets are so bad on the road. They're 5-21 and 21 on the road. And that's what's just difficult to trust this team. They do have a they do have a positive point differential, even with the losing record. They're six games under 500. Uh, 19 and nine at home, though, five and 21 on the road. And they have 15 road games left. And six of them are against the top six teams in the re- in the West right off the bat. 
Mm-hmm. That probably is the end of their season. Oh, 100%. And then you look at the bottom few teams here, Eric, the poor Grizzlies. This year, Jaw was suspended to start and then got hurt. Bain, Smart, Adams, Clark, all decimated by injuries. And you wonder now, do you even bring some of those guys back? You know, guys like Bain and Smart, are you just trying to, you know, play it out, tank the rest of this year, get a high pick and hope you can come back next year? They've actually done really well in terms of picking people, drafting people. They have. If, if I'm them, I I definitely – what's the word I'm looking for? Just get tank? I would, know, I would like, tank, see what I have. I don't want to say on the farm. I was looking for the right term in that. See what I have at the G League affiliate. See the younger players and go for Yeah, them. and they've been getting a lot of those young kids some run. They, had, they put together a lineup the other day that I was like – I showed my dad because my dad knows basketball, but – He's not, you know, a, like a DFS basketball player. So he doesn't know every player on every team. I don't think he knew one of the players that was playing for the Grizzlies that night on, the, on their roster, just by name. It was, it was like that. And um, this team, they're a type of bounce back team that I could maybe play next year. They're over because they might be a little underrated coming out of this year. Final two teams in the West um, Portland, they've dropped six straight games, three different times this year. And we know yeah, this isn't, the, these two teams down here aren't surprising. I mean, the Grizzlies being down here are surprising because of all the injuries they had. But these two teams, we thought they would be down here. They're young teams. They're not supposed to be good. The Trailblazers lead the league in percentage of minutes that have come from rookies or second-year players. Mm-hmm. Right? And so yeah. you just – like they traded Dame, and this this is what they were expecting this year. You be bad, stock up some more draft capital, and get some good – talent this year early in the draft and hope that you can take a little step forward next year and then man Wemby and the Spurs Wemby is phenomenal uh but they're gonna rank bottom 10 on both ends of the floor for the second straight year they were only bottom 10 on either end of the floor one time in the previous 25 years think Definitely. about that because of Popovich they were always at least better than average in you know both offense and defense. Um, they Wimby would be the first player to average 25 points, 10 rebounds, four blocks per 36 minutes in the 51 seasons for which blocks have been tracked. Uh, they do have the second hardest remaining schedule coming up, though. I mean, for them, not surprising that they're here. W- give me like your 30 seconds on Wemby, you know, as we finish up here, Eric. Was he as good as you thought, better than you thought, were you expecting this? And where do you think, you know, you're going to see him in the next few years? Uh, he's going to be hosting a trophy probably by the time he's 23 and need to get a couple. <laughs> yep. um, yeah. Unbelievable. Insane. Defensively. Haven't seen anything like this before in my life. Um, Never. Really interested to see um, where everything goes with him. It, and when, what I like about him, when you hear him talk, he says the right things. He seems and and you you feel like he's in the right position to be developed with the Spurs and their organization and and all the winning they've had and the guys around. Uh, so man, I've been so impressed with him even through these struggles. He's not used to losing, but I would not be shocked to say to see this guy take a huge leap and this team be just a much better team next year with with him with the one year under his belt. So. Eric, we had a lot of ground to cover. We haven't had to talk any NBA so far this year, so we wanted to get a little tidbit in at least on all of the teams in the league. Each and every week, we will check in with the news, talk about some of the 
hot teams of the week, the teams that have been struggling, any major injury news or issues, uh, anything like that. But final stretch of the NBA season, my friend. Thanks so much for shifting the focus on over to basketball. And uh, I look forward to talking more NBA and some college basketball with you in the in the next few weeks. Oh, I think you were uh, muted there at the end. But uh, we will be giving you a follow. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. Talk soon, After, my man. And we'll be following you along with your uh, your podcast, the ones on Tuesday now and Friday. You kind of shift over and talk a lot more basketball now too, right? Correct. Correct. A lot of college. So we'll be talking uh, and listening for some great information from Eric shows on Tuesday and on Friday. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us here for our first basketball check-in of the uh, of the regular season. We get a little preview to start things out. We'll be back again each and every week checking in on the NBA. Last week was the Santa Anita Park $500 challenge on Express Bet, and there was a really nice turnout with 141 entries and a total prize pool of $28,200. You'll notice Express Bet is starting to put the prize pool and all the entries and information right up top, so it'll help all of the contest players know how much they're shooting for and what the prizes are. Congratulations to your winner, William Sherman, whose final tally was $6,290. And a lot of that was because he had a big win in the last race on the on the contest. So I was paying attention. And I noticed this tweet that came out from Tom Quigley, who congratulated William for winning. And William responded, thanks, Tom. I don't think I had any collections up to that point on two entries. I was down to my last 100 going into the last race. It just shows you in these live money contests, as long as you have something left in your bankroll, you usually have a shot. Congratulations, William. You are the winner of that one. And in winning that, William takes home $6,290 in paramutual winnings. $5,688 cash prize and his choice of the NHC seat for this year or next year or the 2024 UBC seat. Darren Schweiger, who finished second, he also had a very nice day. He takes home $4,170 in paramutual winnings, $2,844 in cash prizes and his choice of an NHC seat this year or next year or that UBC seat. Really, really successful weekend in the Santa Anita Challenge. Remember to get to Express Bet each and every week for contests. You can qualify for big contests for low feeders, or you can just uh, get ready for some of these big contests coming up with the Ultimate Betting Challenge, our next one on March the 2nd. Congratulations again to the winners of the Santa Anita Park $500 Challenge. It's time for another big weekend in horse racing. We're going to talk about the four stakes races at Oaklawn Park on Saturday. It's the road to the Kentucky Derby. There are Kentucky Derby points on the line in the Rebel. There are Kentucky Oaks points on the line in uh, earlier on in the Honeybee. And we are going to take a look at the all stakes pick four that goes from races eight through 11 on Saturday at Oaklawn Park. I say we, that is me, Gino Bacola, and my good friend, Barry Spears, the sniper, as we dive into the daily racing form, past performances. We'll be taking a look at the formulator past performances. They are part of the all access PPs that you can actually get for free when you sign up for DRF bets. Right off the bat, they'll give you a $200 match deposit bonus and then 10 free sets of these all access past performances. Following that, every time you bet 50, you get uh, another credit for past performances. 
Barry, it's the fun time of the year, buddy. Every week we've got just like a different set of stakes races at a different track with the Kentucky Derby prep and Oaks prep. Last week we saw some good ones at fairgrounds with a couple, I think, really strong winners um, of the Rachel and of the uh, the Risen Star. And now this week we'll have the Rebel, which may not be as strong top to bottom, but we do have a heavy favorite. And that we will have, I think, in all four of the races, we talk about a co- some really short price favorites in each race. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously this time, you know, the waters get deeper and deeper as, as you know, the months get closer to uh, Derby Day. And uh, these races at Oakland are no exception. I, I mean, there's some horses that, you know, have to step up and, and make their presence felt or they're probably going to be off the trail. So this is always exciting. These these favorites, some of them I think are, are beatable. Some of them I don't. So um, we'll just go through it and, and you know, this is this is obviously just such a fun time of year. Um, I, I I can't you know every year around this time it's like man I I just love it. <laughs> so next week there'll be the Fountain of Youth Day at Gulfstream Park, which you and I will talk about those stakes races. There will also be the Big Cap Day at Santa Anita and another prep race for the Kentucky Derby. There it'll also be uh, at Aqueduct another prep race for the Kentucky Derby. So we will have three more preps next weekend. That will be a big weekend. But for this weekend, focus will be Oaklawn. There's the Saudi Cup on Saturday. I know a lot of people will be paying attention because there's some big horses running from the U.S. That'll be in the big race over there. And uh, Oaklawn gets the spotlight this weekend. Let's dive into race number eight, Barry. This one is the carousel for Phillies and Mares, older Phillies and Mares sprinting, going six. So as we dive into the uh, the DRF past performances, we will take a look towards the outside at a couple of the, the heavy, heavy favorites in here. Mucho Macho Girl, not Mucho Macho Man, the girl here, <laughs> is, she's a really talented filly. It's pretty tough to knock her overall form. She's won three of her four starts, and the one race that she didn't win was uh, making her first start off a long layoff. She was also at Keeneland going six and a half. So her races at six furlongs or shorter. She's a perfect three for three. She's super quick. And right next door to her, Barry, will be uh, Zietlos, who is also really sharp in nice form. They're both trying to win their third in a row. Uh, imagine that Mucho Macho Girl will be a little more forwardly placed, and the eight will be trying to come from off the pace a little bit more. Yeah, yep, that's exactly how I read it. And really what this race comes down to is who is – going to kind of get out in front early with um, Mucho Macho Girl because if mm-hmm. she gets in a little tussle early, I think she might have a little bit of her hands full. I agree. Uh, especially with a horse like Zytlos who's outside of her because if nobody goes, Zytlos could actually run fast enough to be like on Close. her flank. Yeah, not and, too far off. Right. And, and you know, Tyler Gaffleone, um, will, you know, he he's, he's kind of has the garden spot of all the horses in this race because – that horse is particularly right next to him. Um, so I think that that makes Zytlos to me a standout in this, in this situation. It um, just, she seems a little bit less vulnerable maybe than, than just mucho macho girl, because I think of her versatility. Yeah. Not, not only that, but she's got way more races under her belt foundation twice as much. Yeah. And, and she understands how to run, you know, she's done mm-hmm. it more times that that's got to count for something. Yep. Um, and, there wasn't really too many alternatives in this race beyond those two, but I do think the one Adeline Julia could make her presence felt 
if things kind of go a little sideways. The the two horses I wanted to mention were um at that that weren't the the favorites were the two inside horses. I'm glad you mentioned Adeline Julia because her early her form early on in her career was really good. Oh, absolutely. Had a couple races that would <clears throat> no doubt compete with this group. And if she were to run those type races, I think a mile might be, I think she's a little better just going shorter. And if you look at her last two races, they look a, a bit disappointing. They're not that bad, honestly. Um, her fifth last time out was behind Alva Starr, who would be heavy favorite in this race. Mm-hmm. She was back here again. She won uh, making her first start of the year and she was the heavy favorite that day. She'll probably be running at Keeneland, I think, uh, next, most likely if she doesn't come back somewhere else before that. But she's super talented. And so I don't really knock her for those last two races quite as much. And she's another one who, kind of like Zeitlos, right? She can get herself close enough, but she can definitely finish. Yeah, and that's that's the appeal for me is, is she's going to be in range. And I think being on the rail does force her hand a little bit. Um, to where she she might have to go a little bit quicker than she may want to, but that might not be the worst thing in the world. And and you know, especially with this group, kind of to get out in front of the riffraff, if you will, and 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 kind of make her own trip from there. So, you know, if she's somewhere around ten to one, I, I have to give her a really second look. The big price I'm going to throw in the mix and some exactas and tries with some of the uh, the short prices in here is the two Shandana. This is an indie bread, so she's a, she's just a little like cut below probably the top top tier of fillies in this race and mares. But if you start to dive into her overall form, so if if we can just notice right off the bat, she's won a couple races on an off track, but she's much better on a fast track overall. She's been in the money in 15 of 19 and just looking at speed figures alone, by far she's run her better races on a traditional fast dirt track. Just look at her last three races, for example. Two of them were on muddy tracks and the one that wasn't, she finished second by a neck right here at Oaklawn in a stakes race, beat I'm the boss of me and she ran really well, kind of getting a trip that you and I are, are, are pointing out with other horses that we might be looking for. Right where she was sitting two, three, like not that far off, and she can finish. So, is she quite as good as maybe the two to the outside if they were to you know run their best race? No, probably not. But she's got some seasoning here, and when you start to dive into her form overall, like eliminate those two races that were just on the muddy tracks, and now all of a sudden. Look how much better that form looks. You've got a second beat in the neck. You've got back-to-back victories here at Indy, one against Open Company. You've got a, a good runner-up effort here, just couldn't get to a lone speed winner. And her last three losses to Al- uh, Alvastar, High Class, back to Ohio, and Akati Flatter in all of those races. So her last four, those were all races where they were won by a horse that went wire-to-wire. Yeah, it was kind of telling um, about that you know, muddy track form that she came back in two weeks mm-hmm. to run in the poinsettia. Yep. Um, they just, I, the, the barn was just like, ah, let's just put a line through it and bring it right back. Right. Right. Exactly. Like she didn't do much running in that race anyway. Um, probably didn't take much out of her. And she was claimed that day too. That was also interesting. And they came, we got back the same, quick. almost the same sort of thing here, right? She's back in 20, you know, 20 days, not a little bit less, three weeks, not two, but they bring her back quick. Just feel like that didn't take a whole lot out of her. And, you know, at a big, big price, 
I'm definitely using her in some, you know, tries and uh, with along with some of the other like super logicals. I think she's kind of sneaky in here when you do a little digging with some of those races and looking at the weather, it's supposed to be pretty good on Saturday. Oh, it's, that's good. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. That's what I was just going to ask you. If uh, yeah, the I think the report says no rain because <laughs> that track is always muddy. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed. Uh, a few days out as we record this on Wednesday, this is the kickoff leg of that all stakes pick four. And then the next three races in the pick four sequence are all graded stakes races. We have the grade three honeybee where you have Kentucky Oaks points on the line for three-year-old Phillies and Barry in this one, a horse that you liked. And I thought was going to run really well last week at fairgrounds scratched out of that race for Brad Cox and came over here to run. She'll probably be the, the favorite in this race, West Omaha. I think her body of work compared to some of the others in here is just much, much better so far. She has speed. She can sit off the pace a little bit. And when Brad Cox scratched her from that race, he won the race with another Brad Cox Philly, another one of his own. So, <laughs> you know, he he was he made a good move there knowing that, you know, he would have one of his run really well. And now he can bring her over here where, you know, instead of being maybe the fourth choice in that race, she's going to be favored in this spot. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a shrewd move by, by Mr. Cox. Um, but one thing about Brad Cox and the, his style is he doesn't leave himself a whole lot of margin of error with these kind of things because he doesn't really run his horses all that much. Mm -hmm. And a horse like Wes Omaha, who I think is kind of a standout in this race. Yeah. It's always there. There's always a question mark that the horse won't fire off these kind of layoffs. Um, this one isn't as bad as as he normally is he's usually like you know a month and a half maybe even two months between starts and you know especially trying to get into a bigger race like the derby or the oaks you know you don't really have much to to kind of mess around with if the horse doesn't fire um but a majority of the time he does get in the fire so, so that i guess that's the good thing but if you're looking for an alternative i thought ali's beach who who clearly has some talent and is is learning how to run um in comparison to everybody else in the field she's probably a little bit ahead of it even though a horse like band the band of gold is two to one i really don't like that horse at all It's a dead closer um and and won't be anywhere near the pace like ali's beach will and ali's beach doesn't actually need the lead either which is another good thing i think you know that the horse's hand was forcing alcibiades from the rail and they kind of had to go but I don't think it was the most ideal trip going to, to Leperu here also kind of little patient maybe like that. Yeah. That, that they're not going to try to go all out, you know, get good position and kind of stalk, which would be the ideal trip. But at 10 to one, it's, she's definitely worth a shot. And the <laughs> other horse that I was thinking about at a, at a bigger price would be tap it. Janali, I think. Yeah. She got, um, she got back in the form last time. That was a good effort. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not really sure what happened um, in the year's end race, but the others have been pretty good, and, and she seems to be wanting to kind of step up. But my concern here would be the distance, even though, you know, she's out of Tappet, you know, in Warfront on the, on the uh, dam side. She doesn't seem like she wants to go this far. She hasn't really proven it, but... You know, you got to get your price on a horse like this. I, I think she has the potential to kind of jump up. Might not be in this race, but somewhere along the line she's going to. But, uh, you know, honestly, I like West Omaha a lot.
she she fits really well have you have you seen the show dave yes with uh <laughs> with little dicky like yep. this horse came uh, it, last year when i was seeing this horse came up um i was watching the show like right when it was happening i was re-watching it and it just reminds me of ali's song you know his, oh that was God, his girl yes. which is so funny and it's like Hilarious. i missed this whole thing up i did it all back and every whenever i see this horse pop up or just read the name in an article or something it, it always reminds me of i am dave dave love it good show <laughs> really funny show to check out uh let me give you a, a thought or two on a price uh a, a price or two Midshipman's dance on the outside is undefeated and both of the races have come sprinting. So with horses like this, it's always difficult because you never know exactly how it's going to translate. And it usually doesn't translate perfectly to where, Oh, this horse was a good closing sprinter. And now they'll just be great going longer. But in particular, just watching her visually, I thought the gallop out on the most recent race was very, very good. And then when you look at, the pedigree, which is one of the features of the DRF past performances here, the all, all access. So her dam sticks wonder girl debuted sprinting. Didn't fire stretched out won three races in a row going long. So dam really perked up going long and won multiple races going long. And then look at some of the siblings in here, My buddy Demogorgon, right? Demi Gorgon has won multiple times going long a uh, wonder city one going long. Um, so both siblings, as well as the dam, have multiple wins going long. So this horse, being a good sprinter, is kind of an outlier for her pedigree-wise, right? We would have expected her to be probably better going a little bit longer, uh, maybe even up to a mile. So um, I'm going to give her a shot in here. I think she could get a good trip from the outside. She's shown really, really talent and ability and a really bunch of talent and ability in her first two starts. And now it's just... Can you put it all together? And at least there's a price here, right? I'm not taking her at three to one or four to one trying to do this for the first time. She's going to be double digits because the horse that you honestly, West Omaha should be four to five in here um, in this spot. She really should based on what she's done, how the trip she could get in here. She, she beat perfect shot and perfect shot actually came back and ran pretty well um, in that, in that race too. And it franked her form a little bit. And then band of gold, Sort of on the flip side, if they go really fast, Band of Gold came closing, and she's certainly proven going long, and she can absolutely come closing. Um, I thought you hit the other horse, Allie's Beach. Definitely wanted to make sure that Midshipman's Dance was mentioned. I could even see throwing in the nine in like tries and stuff. I think this horse is progressing. She's stepping forward. I could see her just sitting like third, and falling into a good trip and hitting sure. the board in here at a nice price. Yeah. You know, as, she, I mean, as they're, she's they're, progressing, it could heat up the pace. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can see how somebody could like band of gold. It's just not my cup of tea. Yep. Yep. If, if the versions of that race come, she'll run well. I don't know if it's going to come like that. And the problem is West Omaha is not at, like she needs the lead. She'll no. just sit and get a couple length jump on band of gold. You would think, you, yeah. you know, if, if it, if it sets up that way. And um, so there's a look. It's just crazy yeah. that uh, West Omaha has had five races, right? This is, this will be the fifth one and five different riders. Wow. And that's usually a negative, right? But you look at a horse who hasn't really run poorly in any of those races. No, no they're, they're all stellar. Okay, my man, let's get on over to race number 10 as our, uh, my, 
Mike, I was telling you right before. So oh, your I, guys are out there. My guys, right? Like, <laughs> so the gardeners that that do the gardening and like the land, the landscaping out in front of our apartment complex, they usually come on Mondays now. And so with me doing all, all, all my work from home and recording, I've tried to learn the schedule just so that way I don't set things up right in the middle when they're going to be doing stuff. But this week, Monday was a holiday and we were raining, so they didn't come at their normal time on Monday. So they came on Wednesday threw me all off a little bit. We were trying to wait. I think they just finished up right now as uh, we move to the second half of the pick four sequence. Let's go to race number 10, which is the grade three Razorback. And I did read that the number four ain't life grand who has entered in a, an allowance race on Sunday is going to run in the allowance race. I think Mary ran, Mary ran, like said that anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I, cause this was probably, it, it's good to go in that spot first and then, you know, maybe step back into graded stakes company. I looking through this field, Barry, I thought I found a, a standout here in this one. And I'm now probably with the scratch of that horse, this horse will probably get bet quite a bit, but I really feel like it's a good spot for magic tap. Yeah. Just, I, I think so too. <laughs> it's the, the right horse in the right spot, getting the right trip at the right time. You kind of dive into his overall form. He's lost twice to Saudi crown and you know really no knock in those and every other race he's been right there in the money he's run very well he's proven going longer at a mile and eighth what I like is that he's won right on the lead basically and he's come from three lengths off the pace sitting so I know he's got the versatility now he's going to make the second start as a four-year-old. So he could be ready to take a good step forward. It's the Barry buyer angle as well, where he came back off a few months, ran the same sort of number right in the range he had been running before. And now he can get ready to take a step forward off of that. Yeah, that's exactly my view is he can definitely step up and, and kind of jump up out of that uh, 94, 95 ish range of buyers into something a little higher. Um, definitely will get the trip, but one thing I, 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 I looked at and I went through all of these horses, right. And I see a lot of speed that's going to stop. Um, frosted departure has that kind of profile speed bias has that same kind of profile. Octane does that quite often. Uh, U S army probably lasts a lot longer than most of them. But we'll be head up with, with at least one or two or three of these horses. Promise Keeper, yep. another one that needs to be forwardly placed. Um, and it kind of got my wheels turning uh, to think that this might this pace might collapse. And a horse that I'm going to mention is the 12, Escapologist. You know, Kenny McPeak is hard to catch, but it's better to catch him at a price. <laughs> when nobody's expecting it and, and you know what you're going to get from this guy well yeah, yeah. He, he, he's been running very well against good competition money supply uh two magic tap back. he beat magic tap a couple starts back he did yep um you know when the circumstances were right and this might be that kind of situation so i'm mm -hmm. not going to rule him out especially at that price because he's not going to get bet down to like you know three to one and and think about how he's going to be probably somewhere 15 to 12 to one range Think about how this pick four sets up, depending on what type of pick four player you are, how you're going to approach it. There are, it feels like in each race or in at least a couple of races in the sequence, 
you can take a stand in in those races and then spread in a couple of the others. This might be a fun time to play two different tickets. Maybe you single one horse on one, mm-hmm. you single a different horse on the other. You can spread around in a couple of the other races. This is absolutely a horse I'm using on one ticket. No doubt about it. Yeah, because I, I think I it think sets up good. There are versions of this race where he absolutely gets the trip. The other horse who I kept coming back to this thinking is going to run well is Notary man you know yeah well if you, just, you like it if you like the 12 you gotta you like gotta, notary. right you gotta like notary because notary has that tactical style where he can sit he can get the jump and now while his races are a little softer you look at how strong they've come back and he was right behind money supply you know he took yeah. the lead in his first off off a few months we saw money supply come back last weekend at fairgrounds win a graded stakes race this race has already come back live with a couple uh next out winners in it so i do think magic tap is the right horse in the right race and will get a good trip. But there are definitely a couple others to include 12, the 11. And uh, even, even the really outside, this horse is a bit intriguing to me, Barry, because he's super lightly raced. I just, I hate the post like way out wide. I'm, I'm very worried about it, but I'm not, I see that, that speed figure last time out, which was a 96. And you may look at it and go, okay, um, maybe it sort of came out of nowhere, but really you dive into the form. He missed some time between May and January. So he came back. He probably needed the start and now he's putting two starts together. And this horse is pretty lightly raced for a five-year-old who's just had a, a, maybe some physical issues getting to the track and then staying there last year. There still could be a little, uh, growing for this guy. It's, it's just a post. That yeah, that hurts me, it's you know. Tough to, from way out there, he yep. seems to be, you know, in good form. You see that bullet on February seventeenth, which is mm-hmm. very encouraging. Um, and there was one other horse that I want to mention is the one sees the night. Um, this horse has the chops to win this race. Yeah, um, provided he gets a good trip, and he I will. Was in... Go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Um, I, I, you know, it's just it's just a matter of trip, really, um, because this horse is fast enough to win. And and probably will get overlooked a little bit. Probably not as much now that um, Ain't Life Grand is out, because that'll probably force Magic Tap to be the 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 absolute chalk, which I don't love. Me neither. Um, and this horse, yeah, he'll get bet a little bit, but he could still be forgotten about. And his his last race visually, what I liked is that he doesn't like the off track. You can tell he's yeah. just not as good on the sloppy tra- on the sloppy track. And watching that race there were three or four times he looked done and this horse kept trying man. Kept going. Yeah. He kept trying really hard. He's towards the back of this compact field. He's fit the six, um, three deep. He's just off the you know, three yanks off at most. And the sustained bid in between horses, he couldn't get the promise keeper who went gate to wire. It was uh, a good effort. And yeah, I, I thought he ran really well in there in, uh, the Razorback. There's a look yeah, at the I great mean, his, three his, uh, his speed figures match up. Um, well, the best of them in this in this race. So I think I think he's going to be a, a factor here. But I also think that of all the races that we're going to go over, this one has a lot of potential to have uh, some chaos. Mm-hmm. This is a horse I, I'm, I even want to mention, too. I liked this horse last year in a few spots, Midnight Rising. And then he he's one who he'd never been on dirt. He'd only been on turf and synthetic, but he'd shown some kind of sneaky ability. And sometimes those races can have just lower speed figures. And then he was on a muddy track and he perked up 
And I don't know if it was just the off track. He's just never been given another shot on the dirt. Right? Why can't he third start of the form cycle as a four-year-old? Can he go from where he is at like a 92 step up to the mid nineties and then put himself right in the mix at 30 to one and just hit the board? Maybe, you know, why uh, not? I mean, stranger things have happened. Like when was it last year or the year before when Unho won mm-hmm. and he was like a billion to one. So yep. You know, that it, it stuff happens, especially, you know, in races like this where everybody's kind of lukewarm on all of these horses. Um, it should be a fun one to watch. Let's finish things up at Oaklawn on Saturday with the Grade 2 Rebel. The schedule at Oaklawn was a little different this year. They they changed the scheduling of the races, and then they also had a cancellation that pushed the Southwest back. And so it made the time between the Southwest and the Rebel shorter. So you didn't get as many horses coming back in the series because it was just a quick turnaround. You did see Carboni set the pace that day and he will return. But from a discussion point, starting here with Timberlake, who's going to be the heavy favorite. He's six to five on the morning line. He's a grade one winner of the champagne. And he was fourth in the breeders cup juvenile behind fearness, uh, fierceness, Muth and locked. And Timberlake is, I mean, on, on speed figures, and based on what what he's done resume, there's nobody else in the field that's really even close to him. But this is what we see with so many horses in prep races like this for Timberlake. It's his first start since the Breeders' Cup. He obviously is trying to get into the Kentucky Derby. So with the timing of this race, that would leave him this race, the Arkansas Derby, or probably one more prep, and then the Kentucky Derby. So for Timberlake, while he stands out on paper, he is probably not going to give you the best effort that he has on Saturday. It probably will be the next time he runs after that or the second time, the next time after that. So th- those that's the first point with him. The second point is, I don't really know how far back he wants to come from. You know, he's, he's sat pretty close in, in his wins and in the races where he's run well. When he got a little farther back in the Breeders' Cup, I mean, nobody was beating Fierceness that day, but I don't know if he wants to be five lengths out of it and come closing, and there could be a fair amount of early speed in this race. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of question marks here. I mean, on paper, he looks like he should moonwalk and still win this race, but all those factors that you mentioned, he hasn't been out since November 3rd. I mean, we're almost in March. Yep. and Again, this is that same thing I was just talking about with Brad Cox, where he leaves himself little room for error. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and you know, there there's been horses over the years that have have done this and and come off the layoff, didn't run well, and then they're not on the trail anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what this kind of feels like with Timberlake. Um, man, it's hard to take a horse like this at a short price. Yeah, uh, I'm, coming I'm... off that kind of layoff. I, I mean. You see, there's only one, two, three, four, five works coming into this. I don't know, man. That's a tough task, especially at a short price. I, yep. I, I tend to shy away from things like that. Me too. Me too. Um, a horse that kind of caught my eye is the 10 horse, Mana. Um, if you put a line through that December 22nd race at Turfway, where the horse didn't run a step, this horse has been steadily improving every race and kind of, you know, peaked a little bit. Um, on January 28th here at Oakland and behind Northern flame, who's actually in this race too. But I think this horse can, can still get better. And, and that's in this race, if you take out 
Timberlake, or if if you're doing what we're doing and thinking that Timberlake is probably not going to necessarily run to some of his top speed figures that he's shown, the the it's basically like the eleven who's run some races that are a, a little better than everyone else, and then the, there's the rest of the speed figures in a horse like Mena with a seventy nine last time out, him taking one step forward and getting into the mid eighties. If right. we would Puts project right. That, Right there with everybody else. It's not that far off. It really isn't. And uh, the horses for me that I think are a little bit interesting. I- I'm the horse I'm going to bet if he's over five to one is Dematic in here with the blinkers coming on. Yeah, looking, he kind of has the same look as as Mana actually. Like the, that progression for him has been great. Two starts back at Fairgrounds when he finished third, it was a good third and it was on a fast track. And then he won on a sloppy track. So I'm not necessarily worried about him just being a horse that freaked on a sloppy track. And if Timberlake gets caught up a little early on in the pace here, and I'm going through the rest of this field, Carboni's, in my opinion, they are sending hard from the rail because he tried to sit last time out and that didn't really work. He was sitting second and he actually got a pretty good trip. He was in the two path. He just didn't want to go on with it. And it could have been the muddy track that day, could have been not wanting to sit off. I have a feeling that they're just going to go and get very aggressive. And then from the outside, what what else can Time for Truth do? <laughs> Stretching out from two sprints. So these two horses inside and outside could be cooking. And, you know, you add on, add into the mix the horses, nine. the nine, <laughs> Lagnos, um, next the level, yep. who could be yep. right there. Timberlake, fresh, I don't think wants to be way, way out of it. Uh, Tejon Pass doesn't want to be too far out of it. And then you know, the two inside horses, the one and the two, the Northern flame was right in, in the mix and on the lead last time out. And both of his two victories have come wire to wire. So that's the type of horse who they'll probably say, Hey, you know, even if we have to go a little faster early, let's make sure we're close up because we've never really passed horses. You know, we, like we gotta be in the mix, even if you got to ride this horse. So now there could be combos of four, five, six horses in here, all showing speed. I'm looking for some of the true sitters and closers. And the one that I just keep coming back to that I think is going to get the trip about five lengths off is Dematic. Yeah. Yep. He, he has the same kind of profile as Mena. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that'll, that'll be good. I mean, just steel um, dances, all the dances, Yep. but very inconsistent. And, and you really don't know what kind of <laughs> where are you going to sit with this horse? I, I would think they they want the same kind of trip that uh, and they could be really wide, you know. Yeah. Sitting, I, I love that in the last few races he's shown that he can pass horses. Major positive for him. He was a little more one dimensional early in his career, and now we know he can sit and he can pass horses. The problem is he's going to be wide in here, and he, at I would want him. He's the type of horse you like playing as an underlay. Not at, as the second choice in this race. Correct. Yes. Like yeah, he's a horse that. that you like at eight or 12 to one, because you feel like you get a good run for your money. He's going to hang around. He'll probably hit the board. Maybe he could fall into it. If he's the strong second choice in a race like this, that feels like less than the type of price I'd want to play him with. Well, not only that, um, he loses lengths finishing yep. races this long off which and he's gonna be is, wide. A, is definitely a, a red flag yeah so if, you know bet away if you really want but they're not gonna get my money on this one and one thing too about carboni kind of fell into two really 
exceptional trips. Mm-hmm. And those numbers, those those buyer speed figures are a little bit inflated because of that, because the, the light line race um, on uh, New Year's Eve, Northern Flame took the worst of the break there and was going to be head up with Carboni. And it changed just, the complexion never, of the race. Right. And, and Carboni got the trip of a lifetime. So that one I'm totally against. You know, I, I looked at that one kind of hard because I was just trying to find somebody else. But um, I, I just, I'm just against that one completely. There, there's a way in, in here where I could actually see the one going hard and the horse on the outside, like sitting just behind him. And, and th- this horse has talent time for truth for sure this is just a, a terrible tough, post <laughs> like it's a terrible post and it's a tough spot going from six straight out to a mile and a 16th against stakes company like this with a bunch of other speed but that debut race was good and his loss to valentine candy that is a nice horse valentine candy has won three straight stakes races at oakland park he was in that really controversial uh, maiden race last year at Saratoga oh, where they yes. where they flipped the buyer up a bit and then there were horses that kept coming back running well out of it so they improved the buyer and so he's he's got ability he's a good sprinter and there's no shame in losing to him sprinting it's it's just one of those races where there's a lot of speed if this was a less early like a, a race that had a little bit less early speed I would give the 13 more of a look kind of curious to see what um let's see real quick before we uh finish up and get out of here what does time form us say yeah so their pace projector here on time form us has it as the very fast pace fast. as you can see with the 13 the 7 the 4 and the 1 all in the mix and you know a bunch of horses in the next tier right behind finishing positions they think you know, the seven will get the victory. And obviously on paper, that's a, a ta- that horse, you know, stands out there. But as far as the pace is concerned, I think that's how we're hoping to try to beat the horse in that this horse is fresh, get caught, gets caught up with a couple others. And we're looking for horses that are going to be sitting off of it a little bit. Barry pointed out the 10 Mena. I point out the six, a Dematic, who we both think can get those trips sitting maybe three ish to five lengths off. That would be ideal. Um, and then if you're playing big, you know, tries and supers, a couple horses that I just think they're going to pass horses in here, Barry. So I could see them hitting the board is the three common defense. He just may not have been quite as good on the mud, but he was in a spot. He passed horses and mystic Dan wins that race by eight. And then liberal arts finishes third by nine. So with those two horses, with the, like the top horses seeming that they took a little bit better to the off track that day, I think common defense could at, at least hit the board. And I, I could see the same thing with Magic Grant as just a pure closer in here, knowing that, hey, let's eliminate his last race. That was in the mud um, in a sloppy, muddy track right here at, you know, Oaklawn. But before that, he wasn't that far behind Otto the Conqueror, who's a speed horse. He won the Clever Trevor coming from way out of it in a race that melted down. And he can certainly pass half the field in, in here and maybe sneak into the, the mix at a massive, massive price and like hitting the third or the fourth spot. So if you're playing a try or a super, I, I would throw some of these just pure closers in the mix. Yeah, I, I thought Woodcourt actually is is sneaky in mm-hmm. this spot too because the horse was well Same met thing. early, um, but then got claimed uh, two back in December 
and then went to the dirt and won. Um, you know, uh, Cipriano Contreras doesn't uh, kind of mess around. <laughs> He's 28% at this meet and is pretty good off the claim. So, and it looks like he claimed him for himself. So, it, it definitely worth noting and, and taking a look, a long look at a big long shot that, that can get in the money there. Barry, uh, as we finish up, let the folks know what you have going on with Big Mondays going in circles and where they could find more from you. Yeah, Big Monday, every Monday slash Tuesday, uh, we come out with the episode. Usually they're very long, so pack a lunch. Um, and beyond that, you know, kind of here and there doing some stuff. And that's pretty much about it. But yeah, definitely check out Going in Circles podcast. We do it. <laughs> Barry's here with me every week. We will kind of bounce around. And if there's a uh, one big weekend, one big track that weekend, we'll, uh, we'll usually take that one. Last week we hit fairgrounds uh, next weekend. We'll bounce back over to Gulfstream. They have the Holy bull. Oh, yeah. I might get another guest or two to help me out with some of the uh, other tracks. Maybe I can get someone for Santa Anita and uh, Oh yeah. With New York, maybe I'll see if Maddie wants to join me talk about some of the, uh, the New York stakes races coming up next weekend as well. Barry, buddy, thank you so much. This one's interesting because there, there are some logical favorites that look like if they were to show up and run their best, they're going to be tough. But we see these sequences all the time, and very rarely are you going to have all three or three or four of them show up and all fire. And a horse like Timberlake is the exact template of a horse that, hey, they just might not be at their best right now. And, and we kind of think that maybe they aren't, maybe they're one of those horses that was kind of good early at two and maybe doesn't take the big step forward to three. It seems like we both feel like that horse may not quite be as good as some of the speed figures would suggest. Yeah. And, and from a wagering perspective, you know, if you're playing, let's say a pick, even a pick three, pick three, four, five, six, whatever, you know, you're not missing much when you leave off chalk. Nope. Um, there's certain instances where the chalk play is, you know, you just can't avoid it. Um, but you want to try to, because that's how you make the, the nice scores that you, you know, you want to post on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, you got to be different from the crowd and, and playing against favorites is the best way to do it. Barry and I will be back next week. We'll be talking some Gulfstream Park, Fountain of Youth Day. There's a big contest also. Um, glad I remember to mention that. Next week on Saturday, it's the ultimate betting uh, challenge with at ExpressBet. You can actually play ExpressBet.com at Santa Anita or at Gulfstream Park. This is one of the bigger contests actually of the year. It's a $6,000 buy-in, and so that's a ton. For a lot of us, that's a lot to, to spend to try to buy into a contest. The day before that, March 1st, there's a $600 qualifier. So that way you can win your way in. And in the next week and a half leading up to that, there are $40 feeders that you can play. For 40 bucks, you qualify for the $600 game, and then you're just one step away from winning your way in. So you can literally turn your $40 entry into a $6,000 spot in the tournament. And it, for example, if there's 150 players, which they're shooting for, that's $150,000 in cash prizes and four NHC seats that first nice. racing is putting in there. So this is a big, big tournament. And what's cool, it's the full card on Fountain of Youth Day. 
the full card on Big Cap Day. All Gulfstream, all Santa Anita that you can That's bet nice. from. That's Tons nice. of options. And it, and think about it. It'll start at early at, at Gulfstream and roll all the way to the end of Santa Anita. So it's an all-day long tournament as well. Uh, they are calling it the full day coast to coast betting extravaganza. <laughs> That's so, what it is. It is. You so. know what's funny about that in the feeders is sometimes the feeders end up being harder. Oh um, yeah, because everybody's because doing the same everybody thing. Everybody wants to do the same thing, right? Get a nice return on a forty dollar investment. So you're um, tr- you're battle tested by the time right. you get through some of those. You know exactly, and and you know the fields get a little smaller as you you know go up through, um, you know the feeders and. It, it, it's a definitely a good experience if you haven't done it um, and you want to get into contests is to try one of those lower level games because they're pretty tough. And then you can kind of feel your way on game theory and how you, you strategize yourself. Um, but yeah, man, those things are so much fun. Folks, thanks so much for hanging out with us here each and every week. We wish you all the best of luck. Give me a follow on Twitter at it's me, Gino B. Check out Barry the Sniper at Urban Handicapper there on uh, on Twitter on the X at U R B N Handicapper Barry. Well, uh, what I love too, it's Wednesday. We've already got this in the books. That's I know, so great. Right? <laughs> That's what's a uh, shout out to Oakland Park. And we've seen they had these races out. They were drawn on Sunday. By Monday, all the fields had morning line odds. It can be done. Yes, it it's possible. Done, and it doesn't have to be every single day, but. For the three or four really big days a year at tracks, if they can do this and get it out a little bit earlier, well, boom, now we put this video out. Now, by the time Wednesday night hits, some people have already watched this. So by Thursday, they get a little look at Oakland. They start looking. And then for the la- the next couple of days, people that do podcasts or write articles or put reports out can all be a little bit ahead. Everybody's already got Oakland thinking, and it always helps to handle. It just always makes people care more about those races when you've got a few extra days to talk about them and uh, just get it out there especially in the racing world, right? Because social media and posting these videos and stuff for a sport that isn't quite like football, that, that does a whole lot, you know, like just getting that out there and getting the awareness and reminding people, Oh, Hey, boom, this weekend it's rebel weekend, four stakes and all stakes pick four, a couple graded stakes, Derby and Oaks points on the line. And you get a little help from Gino and Barry. Good luck, everyone. We hope you crush it this weekend out at Oaklawn park. We'll talk some golf stream with you next week. You know what time it is, folks. It is time to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. This week, we're going to focus mainly on WWE because they've got a big show coming up. Elimination Chamber Perth on Saturday. I have Koopaloop here to join me. Koop, WWE is firing on all cylinders right now. What was the SmackDown rating last week? 2.55 million was at the highest rating since 2017, 18, something like that. 17, I saw 17, 18. And of course, I think there was a lot of competition on Friday night. There was a lot of NBA all-star weekend shenanigans. So, uh, very, Man. very, uh, very respected their, uh, number on set on Friday night. And we have a elimination chamber coming up on Saturday. We're going to preview that. 
I, I'm, I know I'm different than others. I'm, I don't need a lot of sleep. So, and I'm a late night person. I know some people are early morning people. Others are late nighters. I've always been a late nighter. That's when I do all my work. I stay up. Yeah. I watch, I binge shows and I'm doing work up late and out, you know, throughout the night. And if I take like a, a nap in the day for like an hour, I can literally stay up the whole night, you know, and be completely fine. And this week we have Elimination Chamber, Australia, starting at 5 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, 4 o'clock Central time for Chad Cooper, 2 p.m., 2 o'clock a.m. Pacific time for me out here. So I'll be finishing up my uh, Jack and Cokes right as this thing is, (laughs) this thing is starting. But I'm like, I got a, a real excitement for this. I love when there are shows like this. WWE did it with, um, the Beast from the East. They've had a few different shows that have to be at different times. This is one of the things I actually get a, a real enjoyment out of with the New Japan Wrestle Kingdom show. Every year when I yeah, w- yeah. watch that on uh, like January the 3rd and I'd get up and you know, you'd know you watch it live from Japan. So it's going to be really kind of fun to see who's up live watching this and, and how this all plays out. But we have a pretty big show and this is going to be the final stop on the road to WrestleMania coming up this weekend. Yeah, some of us will be, uh, you know, uh, while others are happily married and with families, you know, there could be there could be people by the name of Cooper that could be making their walk of shame right around that time or just, you know, shutting down the club. Uh, the so old speak, golden nugget know. just coming home from the golden <laughs> nugget there. You know, yeah, the old golden nugget. I'm looking to see if I got any food cops, you know, if breakfast has started, you know, from the old golden nugget. Um, yeah, you know, it's always, uh, it adds more excitement because it's, uh, you know, we're so used to things that then, uh, when something becomes untraditional, uh, and it's such a, of a show like this and years before we may not think, and there's may not be as much emphasis put on, uh, an elimination chamber at this time of year, heading to WrestleMania as most storylines and, and matches are, were basically set, but I mean to tell you, hey, just when you thought the bloodline was completely dead and we have moved on, uh, The Rock has resurged. They're showing up on SmackDown. They're showing. So let's start up there. Let's start Raw. there. It's just let's, it's been wild, man. Let's start on SmackDown because the bloodline won't really be involved on paper at the Elimination Chamber. There's nothing for The no, Rock. There's no. nothing for Roman quite yet, but. Because of the schedule, we you and I are recording this on Wednesday. Uh, SmackDown on Friday has already been taped because the crew is in Australia right now. They are already there, so they taped it last weekend. Because the the think about the way the schedule is going to go. SmackDown will run, and then about five hours later is going to be the Elimination Chamber right afterwards. So. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll have your normal SmackDown on Friday night, which was taped a week ago, and then within hours, we'll be watching Elimination Chamber. So we got for really the first time on WWE programming in oh years a chance to see Heel Rock. And we saw that with the bloodline. The the bloodline comes out on SmackDown. They announced that the Rock has joined them, and he comes out. And I got to say, I'm not sure if this is going to matter or hurt any of the storylines moving forward. But is it just me or does The Rock just have such a big presence that 
even a Roman Reigns feels kind of like his little brother. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's uh, he towers above everyone that he's been in the ring with. Even when he was the, the hottest wrestler on the planet right now, you and I uh, and everyone else can agree upon Cody Rhodes. Uh, when you know, go back to that Vegas, uh, there's, you know, uh, there's just a announcement. He slaps Cody. It, it's just he, he's larger than life, man. And he comes out and he's wearing this amazing vest. Oh, it was just <laughs> fantastic. And he was ready to be a heel, all in on being a heel again. He was calling the people fat losers and in the crowd and just some oh, yeah. great, great, great stuff. And he said, this isn't going to be, you know, once he, he was doing his uh, his catchphrases and then when people started to talk with him, he said, no, shut your mouth. This isn't sing along with the rock anymore. <laughs> if you smell what the bloodline is cooking. Yeah. And uh, he held up the ones, but he kind of held it up a little different. I know people were pointing it out. He almost held it up like an L, like almost <laughs> like a. So they're obviously. Pre, is this a precursor of what's right? going to happen? Like a little, a little early tease of what could be months down the line, because inevitably we're going to get a Rock versus Roman match. But I got to give Rock, Roman, Cody, Triple H, Seth. Everybody involved, the people who were making the decisions, because this was a difficult one, Coop, but right now where we stand, it feels like the right decision they've made. I think at least because you you wanted to keep The Rock involved. The Rock had to be involved. And and if we would have said just turn The Rock heel, it would have sounded weird. I think it needed to happen naturally the way it did, and I love the fact that it happened – and WWE didn't try to go the opposite way with what was going. They just leaned into the way the like the energy was. And now, in a month, everyone's going to be cheering for The Rock again because he's such a damn entertaining heel. They're going to want him to be a babyface again. <laughs> and it's uh, you know, it's um, there's so many storylines we can go with, you know. Too once we get there, are we having the tag match. Is Rock going to turn? Um, and then who, and then, or who is actually the one that turns, you know what I mean? It, yes, does Roman yes. become the good guy or is it rock? That's the good guy. If and, when and we kind of wanted that, we kind of wanted Roman to be that baby face. Eventually, he's got right at the end. He has to, but, but I do, yeah. I do still think for Roman, cause that, so I'm assuming that it'll end up being first the rock. Who's the good guy. And maybe at that point, the Rock can even beat Roman because Roman will have lost the title already. Because I I think for Roman's story, at some point, he needs to hit, no pun intended, rock bottom. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> I got but yeah. um, So I think that there needs to be a moment where Roman looks at Jimmy and Jay and Solo and says, I'm sorry to them. You know, I, I shouldn't have done that to you. You were my family. I treated you like crap. Now I'm different. And then Roman's the good guy. And I think in my head, it always played out as there's going to be a moment where Jimmy or Jay are getting beat up and Roman come by somebody and Roman's the one that comes and saves them. And that's how. Well, hell, I think we got Jimmy and Jay headed to WrestleMania, right? right? now. I think that's I mean, where we we're going. Jay, I thought Jay and Guther, um, uh, but we blew that. 
early. So, but man, I, I think we get Jimmy J at, at Mania, which is super intriguing. So this makes a lot of sense because we're talking about the bloodline now and we're talking about what was going on on SmackDown. Rock just feeling oozing star and he's the part of big part of the bloodline now. And then Solo and Jimmy come over to Monday Night Raw and they yeah. screw over Cody. <laughs> and, which the storytelling in that because is amazing. I would never, ever say to have the guy who's supposed to win the main event of WrestleMania lose like a month before, like he just did. But the way they're doing this with the layers with Drew, with the bloodline, with because I had I thought this was great. The, now they the, the next month the story will be well, Cody couldn't beat the bloodline. Could, Cody couldn't beat Drew when the bloodline came out. How is he going to beat Roman with all of the bloodline there? And that's where you can get maybe Seth and others to to help or, you know, something is going to be the catalyst. But the way they told those stories and then they had, uh, as you were pointing out, Jimmy screws over Jay. And that looks like we're going to be leading to a, a Jimmy versus Jay at Mania. And you've got McAfee in the background doing the <laughs> best. I will say, like, I'm st- I loved McAfee during the first run. I think he's still working out some of the kinks. Like, he hasn't been able sure, to get sure. back to where he was during that first run yet, but he has, like, some some good moments. And when he's doing, <laughs> he's doing the yeet in the background, bouncing up and down, and Gunther just does the slow turn and looks at him, it reminded <laughs> me. It was like a, a dinosaur in Jurassic Park. That was like the way that Gunther just sort of yeah, re- yeah. like retched his neck around, like and looked, <laughs> looked over at McAfee, and McAfee just stops doing the, uh, and he sits down, and um, it, man, you you know the one person we continue to talk about each and every week is Drew McIntyre. Oh my god! As he heads in into elimination chamber, <laughs> I mean, this guy is can literally do no wrong Gino he's done you can, everything right and more you can when when people talk about someone having confidence in in sports and in you know in 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 life sometimes you can't tell other times you can you can see when somebody had just had a big win and they come back you're like I'm talk- maybe one of your friends just cashes a big ticket at the races you know and for the next week they're confident you can see it right now I've never seen Drew more confident in what he's doing, what he's saying. He knows every post that he makes on social media is money. Like everything he is saying and doing, it's like he—he's just taught. Like he's presenting himself. It, he's like telling himself in his head, "Okay, this is going to be great," and then boom, he does. It's like I've never seen a better version of Drew McIntyre right now in every way, in ring, outside of the ring. He 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 has to sit there while the bloodline who screwed him over ends up helping him beat Cody. And it puts Drew in this very weird space, but he leans into it. And what did he say after when he cut the promo? He said, you know, I didn't want to do it, but I, I have to do it for, for everyone. I have to I have to do it for this company. You know, I, he yeah. thinks he's the hero, which is the best version of a heel when they're delusional like that. And they think. The only person that can make things better is them. And <clears throat> heading into this match, the men's elimination chamber, he's without a doubt has to Odds be on. the the, chart, the the massive favorite. One to five, dude. I mean, 
and it's a strong group, but yeah, it is. They would have to there with any of the guys they could place in there, and then they could tell a story. But I mean, the story's there with Drew already. Like they've been building this story with Drew to be this top guy for a while, and just looking at the way the chessboard is falling right now, we have Drew, Randy Orton, Bobby Lashley, L.A. Knight, Kevin Owens, Logan Paul, all in this match. I I'm thinking. Coming out of this match, we're going to set up something for Drew, and Drew's going to win. I think we're going to set up something for LA Knight and for Logan Paul. And I wouldn't be shocked if we even got one more coming out of this, if we got something with like an Orton and KO. or Because you feel like you're going to want to have Randy Orton on WrestleMania, right? He just came back. But looking at the way the, the board falls right now, I'm not sure exactly where he would be. Um and while we're just kind of talking about the top level of the men's and we're talking about the men's elimination chamber match, where do we where do we go now with Gunther when it seems like Jimmy Jay is gone in the rear view mirror, I would assume for now, right? Jay's gonna go over and, and Jimmy and, and Jay yes. will probably be their yeah. main event, their yes. mania match. So now for Gunther, we look around and there's nobody really set for him. There was one guy I mentioned to you, and I. The more and more I keep looking at, you know, I keep the 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 board, the chess pieces, where everyone's supposed to be lined up at Mania. Do you think we might get a Sammy Gunther? You know, that's where I was kind of leaning, but then you know, you are are we are we getting just Drew and Seth in that match uh, for the championship? Are are they is is Sammy going to find a way to get into that match? <clears throat> I don't know how much time is left for him to get. I mean, you could do anything on raw to get him in the match, but would it make any sense? And and now, then when what, he said, he mentioned he was going to be done with drew the other day on raw. Was that like a red herring, right? Did he say that it just had to, to, be. Yeah. to throw drew off? And then he's going to come and try to screw drew out of the elimination chamber match or something like that. And, and maybe he does, but then again, you just look at on paper, what are we going to do? What, what, what's the logical without just look, Gunther is another one that's on fire. We can't just stick anyone with him. And I don't think WWE, it just sticks anything together no. now heading no. into mania weekend. No. And and they don't do that in, on any, we're talking about a pay-per-view right now that has four matches. The, the Royal Rumble had four matches. They, this has been the, in my opinion, the biggest change of the triple H era these pay-per-views aren't crazy saturated anymore because they use TV really well and they don't force things that aren't ready to have a pay-per-view match yet at the time. And so now, I mean, I'm looking around and it, it did seem a little weird that Gunther wasn't in this match, win or lose. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. he's been towards the top of the card. I thought it was a little strange that he wasn't in a qualifying match and maybe yeah, it was we even got the, we even got the promo a couple of weeks ago with him and Seth. So yeah, that was for a reason, you know, because and, and then right after that promo, that was when all the chaos started happening with The Rock and with Cody. So I am I'm right. almost wondering if there was like a domino effect with with some of this stuff. Um, keep in mind for, you know, Gunther, he's kind of looking around. I just I'm, Gable. You know, he had that with Gable a while ago. It feels like Gable's kind of been not not as high up on the card since that. Um, Sammy, someone who, on, yeah, and Braun's on SmackDown now, right? 
Yeah, and that was so. If they just signed Braun, maybe next week we get some kind of a qualifying matches for the IC. You know who's going to be the number one contender? I don't. He still got a. He's still one half of the NXT Tag Team Champion too, which is so that's that makes that a little convoluted and a little bit confusing. Also, so I just don't know. Me neither. You know, after this week, possibly we find out on Monday, but without him being on this pay per view, we don't know. I think I heard this on. Could you uh, see Wade. Lashley do something? Sure. I don't think I could see him. I don't. I could see Lashley being a fill-in that wouldn't beat Gunther, right? No, maybe, no, 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 no. Maybe they no. were gonna go with Brock. Like somebody's got to keep. Somebody's got to keep their title on WrestleMania weekend. And, and, <laughs> and honestly, unless unless it is Sammy, I don't think anybody. It should be someone that's beating Gunther. The only yeah. The yeah, only I one reason I would like it with Sammy is because he's trying to tell that story of him be, being a champ. And Sammy's actually been at a high enough level to where, I mean, a year ago, he was facing Roman in the main event. And we thought that they were going to maybe even try to get Sammy into the main event of WrestleMania. And then yeah. he ended up main eventing night one and winning the tag titles. So I, yeah. I don't think if Gunther were to lose to Sammy. I, I think that could be one of the situations where Gunther could lose, and then the next night he could become the number one contender for the world title. One hundred percent. Because I don't think it would hurt him if he lost to Gable. I don't know. I would feel like I love Gable. That would still sure. that would feel like it brought Gunther da- Gunther down a little bit. I think. Yes. Based on if it were Gable being the guy that that snapped that. So I agree. He, maybe Sammy, but but who knows. Uh, Drew is the heavy chalk for the men's elimination chamber. Let's talk uh, real quick. While we're on the men's side, still we have a tag team match set up: Judgment Day versus the New Catch Republic. But while we're talking about this too, we didn't even mention. You know, you could throw the Damian Priest briefcase factor into all this. Yeah, he that could yeah. set things off on a different pattern at the end of WrestleMania. Right, the next day, well, if Seth is cleared night. anytime before now and then, um, and I've got to think it's coming on WrestleMania weekend or the night after Raw or the night after Mania. I do you too. have to think that. When did he win that? When did he win that briefcase? When is that uh, pay per view? It's know? is it July? You know, June okay. or July? Yeah, so it's then it's in the next few months after Mania. So that's when he has the year um, to hold it, and I'm. I'm glad they didn't just have him cash it in months ago and lose it yet. Cause I hate when they do that. It just kind of feels to me like it's ending up wasting the money in the bank briefcase. If he ends yes. up losing it now between now and WrestleMania and it's because of our truth. And then it sets up an, our, a, a tag match with them and our truth. And at least it's a big part of their story. It wouldn't bother me as much. Yeah. I, I could buy that for sure. Um, I could buy but, that, but I, I'm I'm expecting him to hold on to this, and I, what I would predict is I would predict that at this pay per view, Priest and Balor win. There'll be an awesome match with Dunn yes, and Bates. Yes. I think it'll be great. Um, I think Judgment Day wins, and then I think they lose the tag team titles to Miss and Our Truth at Mania, and and it wouldn't <laughs> be shocking to me if either that night or the next day Priest lo- loses the tag titles and then becomes the world champ. I am predicting a successful cash in. Me too. I think so too. I think it I think right. it'll be after he loses the tag titles though. The, yes, I could very well see that because that's when you ex, 
least expect him to cash it in, right? Mm-hmm. He and uh, he, he's beat. He's lost the title. We're not, I, you know, we finally got the titles off of Priest, and then damn it, here he comes. And could he maybe even somehow become a babyface if he's trying to cash it in on someone like a Drew? Man, what if he cashes it in on Drew? Right? <laughs> After Drew you know, wins it. You talk that, about some woo. Priest loses the tag titles on like night one, gets pissed off at the at the Judgment Day, goes nuts on Balor, goes crazy on all of them. But somehow, like we can get him and Rhea maybe being a babyface because I think they're going. Could they're you, trying to get those two to be babyfaces. You know, could, um, could you see Judgment Day costing him? Uh, sure. A successful cash in, and then it go away that way, and we absolutely at least okay with it. Absolutely. Okay. I think that's a, see, and that's, what's nice. There's a lot of possibilities that could all play out yeah. really well. Yeah. And, you know, and that the, would actually mean that you have some meaning with it without, like, it's not just Otis losing the, just do that. Right. Right. That's that oh, completely agree. If, if the losing the briefcase is part of this big story and the judgment day has been such a big part of raw for a while, I, I don't imagine that they were, they would just be off TV now that, that's where it feels like, oh damn! Was yeah, yeah. Theory, that's a good, that's did a theory really valid win? Point. Didn't theory? Oh my gosh, he had the briefcase, <laughs> right? Like think about some of these that were like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Like, and then he was just out of sight, out of mind. So, let's yeah, really interested with Priest with his briefcase and what's going to happen. Let's get over to the women's side. On Raw, they're setting up the go home segment for the elimination chamber. First, actually, they have the last chance battle royal. There were some reports, Chad, that came out. Usually what ends up happening is an arena will post a promotion for a future event, and there will be a list of some of the participants. And I think there was something that leaked with Jade Cargill supposed to be in the elimination chamber. Now, it seemed uh, she's not going to be in there, so they've made a change. We did see Jade show up on SmackDown. And I think if you were not going to have her win this elimination chamber, it was probably the right decision for, you know, for her to not be in there. Um, I'm I'm still expecting her to have a mania match. And I'm from where I'm sitting right really? now. Yeah, I think Jade, I still I think Jade's gonna have a match at Mania. Um, I think from where I'm sitting right now, I'm still gonna call Nia Jax for Jade. Okay. Cause I could see Jade just doing the big slam spot. And that could be a fun, real first introduction for everyone to Jade, where you know everyone's going to boo Naya, right? Yes. So you know you're putting Jade in a spot where she's going to get cheered heavily right away, and you don't need them to go 15 or 20 minutes. It can be a power match, five minutes, where they both have a couple big spots, and Jade gets the slam and gets the win. Um, I'm I'm expecting that for Jade, but. Do you think the women's match is as you know, chalky as the men's with, with Becky Lynch? Because it has felt the last few weeks like they've really leaned on the Becky. They, they tried to, on Monday, do the best possible job of giving all of these women their individual chances to come out and you know, cut their little promos. And then what they ended up doing is they have Nia just squash all of them. And remind <laughs> you that Nia's got the match against Rhea, and maybe Nia could beat Rhea. I don't see Nia um, Rhea in Perth, but they did a fantastic job reminding us that Nia Jax has not lost a whole hell of a lot so far since she's been back. Yeah, they've been really been 
uh, good on both avenues. First, the Elimination Chamber match. Uh, I don't know if Becky Lynch as is, is as big as a chalk uh, as Drew McIntyre is on the men's side, but for handicapping purses, uh, purposes, I would definitely think she's a heavy favorite. I think they're going in that direction with her and Rhea. I know you and I have both talked about it's going to be an interesting moment. Hey, maybe Becky turns heel in, in all this. I'm not sure. Um, I think there's been rumors that we will, you know, you talk about matches, mania matches that we get out of the men's elimination chamber. You know, you talked about it with maybe Logan Knight or, or Logan Paul and, and, and some of those guys. But I think a match that we may be pointing at for mania coming out of this women's side is Tiffany Stratton and Bianca Belair. Completely agree. Really excited. I would be really giddy about that. Me too. And that would be a great spot where Tiffany could lose that match and it would be okay. 100%. If she's got a big match at mania with Bianca and those two go for 15 minutes and have a match that's treated like on the level of a women's title match, I would love that. I think it'd be a great spot for Tiffany and I, I almost wonder, Chad, if that's what they were maybe thinking for Jade, but they, Tiffany, right now, her in-ring level is got a better floor than Jade's, right? Yeah. I think you can yeah. put Tiffany in a match with Bianca and they can go 15 right now more than with Jade. And I think you can save Jade and Bianca for down the line as a big match and not necessarily put... Put put Jade in a spot where it's too much too soon for her. Agree. Because I man, agree. Remember when we saw Stratton versus Becky, and how anytime she's been on a big stage, she's really elevated her game. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I I think it's a moment where they get plenty of time, plenty of work. Um, she's really really good. Now we don't know. Um, or and nor there has been any indication of a draft of any sort. Um, so we're under the basis of you know, not many of these that are on Raw and or SmackDown not flipping what have you after after Mania. So you got to think Becky climb or you got to think Bianca climbs to the top of the challenger list after this Mania match. Um, Tiffany is going to prove uh, she's much more than a knockoff version of a Mandy Rose. Um, let's say Becky does win it as we think she is. You and I have both said it, and so has the rest of the wrestling world. This is going to be a very interesting mania match between these two because Rhea Ripley is so over and has been so over when, when you try to force uh, two immovable objects, you know? <laughs> um, just Becky, just being, you know, I don't think it's going to work out very well for Becky in Philadelphia, whether she wins the title or not. Um, I, I could see a, a double situation. I could see that blowing up. Like it could, it could be a rock Hogan thing where sure, just sure. every, and, and you know what? Becky is good enough to where she would lean into that as the heel. I think so. I think she so would too. get it right. She would understand. And then she would start playing heel in that cheating a little bit, just wrestling more like a heel. And that would be great. And Rhea, like, <laughs> I, and Rhea will, it, 
to me, it's going to be hard coming off of this show this weekend to tone down the praise and love for Rhea. Because this is going to be really the first time in about a year and a half where everybody is 100% behind her. And what can she do now that makes you hate her? I know. She's going to do the old Stone Cold gimmick, breaking into Brian Tillman's house. I was going to say, yes, but she's going to do the swerve gimmick with the baby, with Becky's baby, right? Yeah, they're going to cheer that. I mean, we're going to cheer the boogeyman. We cheered Rhea when she broke into Mysterio's house. We loved it when she did that. We loved it when she broke up Thanksgiving. You know, know? so – I don't know what she could do right now to make us hate. And and you know what, though? Again, at the end of the day, I don't know if WWE wants us to do that. No, I think they're just going there gradually now. They're just going a little slow with her because I'm. it's got to be related somehow to the Judgment Day stuff. That's what's always been a little tricky with this because she's in this group of heels, but she is so entertaining, good in ring. Confident and she's on such a run That how, how do you not want to Cheer her you and she's Not I mean she's she's the only person On the announce poster yeah And she's not really <laughs> A heel where like, She's not running around the women's locker Room and doing bad stuff to the women Or she doesn't really cheat in her Matches and stuff like that she'll cheat for The judgment day but she doesn't need To cheat to to win her matches It's it's a it's a very Interesting dynamic and so do we such... both agree, Gino? Do we both agree? Now I mean, we had the return of Raquel Rodriguez. There's not going to be a really surprise here. Liv's not going to win this thing. Uh, we know Tiffany's not. Um, I think you hit it. I'm, I'm you, saying Becky could wins. You see Naomi still that's in the, this thing, or Raquel see that's the only one. That's the only one where I'm hoping. I'm hoping they've got a match for her at WrestleMania, Naomi, because okay. you bring her back. She shouldn't, and and let's be honest, she's not in this story well enough to where she should win this match yet. Right. But right. Naomi was always treated like she was good, but she wasn't quite as good as the four horse women. You know, back a in the sh- day. A Sasha, yes. Right. Even and when Sasha, they were together, they, I agree. She was sort of not the way that she was booked. She wasn't ever put up on that level for us as fans to think so, and so I do think that. Coming out of this, they have to try to make sure she doesn't get lost in the shuffle now after coming back. People are excited to see her, and then she just becomes, you know, in the mix. I maybe we get something with her in a tag somewhere, somehow. That could be cool because I actually think coming out of this, you hit it perfect. It'll be Becky winning, facing Rhea. You're going to get Bianca and Stratton. And I think Liv and Raquel might even team back up. And go after okay. the tag titles because they they were the tag champions and they got hurt and they've been the tag champs a couple times and it, it, we saw them just start to kind of look like a team and they were sort of fun as a team they have a good dynamic with you know the bigger and the and then you have Liv who can do a lot of the work and um, she can you know be the face in peril and then you can get the hot tag for Raquel like they make a lot of sense as a tag team and then you can even have their split inevitably. Raquel can be the heel and she can take out Liv and you can have a program with the the two of them. Um, they can even be put back into a program with Rhea after WrestleMania. You know, I think we had something like that before with the three of them. That's sort of intriguing. So I, I think that that might be where we go. You, you, for me, I'm hoping that 
they're able to find a way to get a couple of these women's matches on with the two nights of mania more than just the women's championship matches. Cause I think gals like Liv um, and Naomi and, you know, I really hope there's a spot for them somewhere on WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. Other than like a battle Royal type yeah. or even on SmackDown, you know how they used to do a pre-show you know, on SmackDown. I was really hoping that Chelsea was going to steal this thing on and Monday she, night. She's just such good at what she does. And I'm like, and oh, I, I was looking around. After thing with Fluffy, with Fluffy, I'm like, oh my God. And I'm looking around yeah, going, so, did Chelsea get thrown out? I didn't see it. And I'm like, no, she did. Of course Chelsea's doing this. <laughs> Here move. she like, that's, comes. That's the Chelsea maneuver, you know, the fake yeah. it, the Jerry the King Lawler hide under the ring yes. thing and then come back yes. up. And so, <laughs> The cool the the thing I love about what they're doing now with Chelsea is, and we've talked about it, they're they are finding the talented people and saying, We gotta find we gotta keep these people on TV somehow. Yeah. And that's what they yeah. did with Chelsea. With a lot of women, how many other women come up? Maybe they'll give them a nice match, someone like Ivy Nile, right? Or we saw it with uh with Zia Lee, you know. They will give them a week or two, a match, and then we just don't see them again anymore. That's it. Now, I know we're jumping around here. Yeah, go ahead. As we look look for on the women's division in Mania, could you see, and who knows now, but could you see a Jordan Grace coming and doing a match? Or is that taking a spot from... One of someone on the WWE roster. That would be what do you no. Think I would. I would. coming in doesn't matter who. I'm just curious if we would see something. That would be like the one for me. Again. Yeah, because the okay. way that she got over at the Rumble and all of the uh, the buzz coming out of it was so positive for her. I think she would be the one, and I think that'd be really cool. Um, who would you I, put her against? See, she would be someone that I could see have a match against, like a Bianca. You know, okay. if Bianca wasn't sure. facing a Stratton, you know, the perfect person okay. for Jordan, if she was healthy, would be Charlotte. Oh, you know, sure, 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 sure. Like Charlotte's not the champ at the time, and you just have this this match against Charlotte, who's the measuring just stick. Have them go, you yeah, know, yeah. That that would be really cool, and maybe that is something down bummer. the line that that they do, yeah, they do end up doing. But really, really pumped, man, coming into this uh, elimination chamber. Hey, what did you? What did you? What did you think about? Uh, uh, our first ever UFC call out, Michael Chandler, those Let me who may not know, was a longtime undefeated Bellator champion. He leaves Bellator, comes to the UFC, uh, does relatively well, and he calls out Conor McGregor. What are your thoughts on stuff like that? Are you surprised we haven't seen much more of this? Do you think we see more of this with the mainstream stars of UFC? Does I, this need to be done? I thought this was a very good First introduction if you're going to try to do more of this kind of thing moving forward and I can understand why with the companies now together why they would at least see if if this kind of thing um, get, gets any po- like if there's any positive coming out of it they picked a guy who obviously knows what he's doing and he knows the crowd. Right. He knows the type of wrestling show and he so, is and, and I know him. He is he is a wrestling fan. Yep, and that, that right off the Michael bat, Chandler's a wrestling it wasn't someone who would come in and say, oh, this fake stuff, I got to be here at this event, yeah. right, and and have that kind of <laughs> So first off, that was good. Second off, the guy cut a great promo. It was yeah. like, it sounded like if um, 
I don't I, I heard this somewhere else. I, I wish I remembered who. But it sounded like if somebody if you were sitting there at Raw in the in the second row and somebody came up to you and said, Chad Cooper, you're going to get one minute, man. Here you go. And you've just got your whole like wrestling promo that you've been cutting your whole life in the mirror. you know. Like, and you've got the he was great. And as soon as he got it, he just ran with it. And he was going. Let me like, tell you something. You know, exactly. Well, you know something, me, you know, and just go on. And, you know, the one thing that I really, really appreciated about it, and I'm not bringing up another company because other companies have done the same thing is don't put a faction of UFC or MMA fighters on the front row or have them get involved in a match and us not know what the hell just went on and why they did it. And the key was... I think this was the right way. And I think everyone knows where this is going. Conor McGregor's probably going to end up fighting this guy. That's the key, right? Even more than who he was, it was who he was calling out that mattered. Even if nobody in the stands knew... Who the guy that stood up and grabbed the mic was? They knew who he was talking about, and he said, "Connor, I'm," you know, and so that was the key: is that everybody in there went, "Oh," when they heard Connor, "Oh, okay," and that was if he would have said, even someone a Fedor, you know, like someone whose name isn't as big as Connor, I don't know if it would have had the same. Oh, it would have put two and two together. You can only do that so much. So I do do like the way it was presented. Whether it works or not, I don't know. But I do like the fact you let one guy, he didn't get involved in a match and he didn't count to three or ring the bell too early or blah, blah, blah. So I thought it was tastefully done the way they did it. And you know what? I, I'm I'm still going to give him some crap for the last few weeks. I mean, the guy's busy as hell, so I can understand. But he's not obviously not as tuned into the product as he was before. And the thing is, it's like when you watch Pat McAfee, he knows college yeah. football. Incredibly, he knows pro football incredibly. Every player, the punters, the kickers, the special teams, the linemen, <laughs> he knows all those guys. And that's why, even though he's funny and goofy and has a goofy personality, he knows everything about the sports that he's really, really serious about. And he was that way for a while, like when he was in NXT and when he was the commentator on SmackDown before week in, week out, he was like that. And right now, I, th- I think this was Keller who said it. It's like he's kind of having a tough time finding his voice again. It's almost like he's playing a character of Pat McAfee. You know, like, I think he that's thinks a, that's a good observation. It, yeah, it's almost it's like he, I think he thinks he needs to be too excited all the time. When one of the things that makes him really good is just the way he explains things, and and why I was I was a big roundabout in me getting back to. He explained the whole thing with Connor and with uh, with what's his, Michael? What's his last name? Michael Chandler. Chandler. Yeah, Michael he Chandler. explained yeah. that whole thing in like twenty seconds, because uh, McAfee knew what was going on, and you could tell that Michael Cole didn't really that much. And McAfee said, "Well, here's what happened," and he did exactly what you just did. Well, he came from Bellator yeah. over to UFC, and then him and Connor, and so that like boom, those are that's where McAfee's awesome. Like in a yeah. in like yeah. twenty seconds. That he can make you care about something, and he sound and when he cares about the wrestling storylines, it makes it feel like, oh man, that's Pat McAfee, the guy that's got like millions of people watching his shows every day, and he's this invested in WWE. It, it really, it has a big impact, I think, culturally. Again, and we're in this era right now, Chad, where it's it's cool to be a wrestling fan. 
You know, think about you and me and our entire lives growing up and stuff. Right. And how there would be people in places who would make fun of you. You're watching that. You like that stuff. Oh my God. You know, even (laughs) I heard Larry David the other day making fun of Bill Simmons for, you know, like wrestling still, you'll get it. But now because of the rock and because of Logan Paul and bad bunny, right. And all of these different people, and and a guy like McAfee, who all like I like wrestling. We got uh, you know, there was a huge, huge drama yesterday because we've got a um Ice Cube's son, you know, huge <laughs> WWE fan, and he's out there yesterday talking about you know positives and negative things he likes about WWE and maybe some of the things that AEW could do better. He, he gets just destroyed by the AEW marks, which is hilarious. And then Ice Cube comes back and drops the bomb on all of them. But uh, <laughs> it it is a really fun time. And and I will say, even we laugh and we give AEW a hard time. And it's because it's like I feel like you and I are doing that because it's like a like a little brother that we want to do better. It's not that we yeah. don't like that yeah. company. We like it. We love the talent there. We just have seen mistakes and we want there to be a little more consistency with things. Um, it, but right now it's, it's cool. We don't have to hide being a wrestling fan, man. It's, you know, no, it's something that no. hasn't it's always mainstream. been the case, you know, and uh, no, it's really mainstream, you know, now you can find all the t-shirts at like hot topic at Spencer's mm-hmm. and all these old vintage wrestling t-shirts because people love the old, you know, wrestling t-shirts are now super pricey and they have the Macho Man and all these different ones. And you see them a lot, but you're seeing them at concerts. You're seeing young people now starting to identify with the 80s WWE wrestlers. You're seeing a lot of rock bands and a lot of artists and musicians um, come out and say, hey, we're massive wrestling fans. So it's uh, it's really, it, it, despite a lot of negativity over the last couple of years uh, with professional wrestling, and I'm sure it will get even more negative with certain things over the next year or two. Sure. The product itself has never been better. And I think well, and, we can all agree on that. And that's honestly, that's the most basic reason why. That is the most basic sure. reason why. As much as you could have The Rock, The Rock's been around in 2011, the product wasn't that hot. Right, you know, The Rock was at WrestleMania. It wasn't the coolest thing in the world to do. There've been celebrities that have been in and out and up and down, but right now the real key is, it's good. It's consistent. Yeah. It's a good week-to-week show that you're watching on SmackDown and on Raw and on NXT. It makes sense. The storylines make sense. There are so few times in the last year where we've said, "What did they just do?" or "Why did they do that?" or "Where did that guy go?" or "Where did this girl go?" or "How come?" They didn't win, and if they don't, then all of a sudden, right after, we understand it's part of a bigger story. We were upset that Cody didn't win. I'll raise my hand right now. I was wrong. He's hotter right now than he would have than he was last year at this time. I I, I was wrong. You and I, I didn't think it would be a good idea to go get CM Punk. I was wrong. Oh no, yeah, we yeah. I was yeah, wrong, yeah, man. He. He sure. looks like the most likable, lovable old veteran <laughs> right now, like doing his rehab. He seems like he's in. Yeah, and he's like mental. showing up at Raw and SmackDown when he's not when he doesn't have to be. I know he's just coming out there after Cody's out there with him, and they're like playing to the crowd. And he said he's going to use his voice as much as he can between now and then because he knows that that can at least maybe help the product and it can help set things up for Mania. And he's just he's acting like a good soldier, man. You know, and it's like 
that's how you want people to be. It doesn't feel fake or phony to me. It feels like a guy who went, yeah, you know, I went over there. Things didn't go that well. This might have been my last chance. They welcomed me back in. They gave me a shot. Everything's been great. Why am I going to come up and, and stir stuff up and piss people off? What What's why? Yeah. It's like really, really good with everything going right now as we head into Elimination Chamber this week. I'm going to be texting you at uh, 4.05 Central Time. 4.05 Central Time, brother. We're going to be doing a a virtual cheers with our drinks, whatever we're (laughs) drinking. You might be drinking a mimosa at that time or like a... I'm at brunch already. I was going to (laughs) say, the best thing to do, you could get yourself like a Bloody Mary. That'll kind of just go from the night into the morning. You know, air of the dog, brother. Air of the dog. Right going. Straight into brunch. Straight on <laughs> in. Cooper Lou. So, uh, next week we will recap this. And then I think uh, the, the the following weekend is Revolution, right? Sting's final match. Yes, May AEW. Yeah. So we'll preview Sting's that. Final match. We'll preview that one uh, and we'll uh, we'll get you all ready for the big AEW pay-per-view coming up in a few weekends. Koopa Loop, my man, thank you so much, buddy. Hope you have a fantastic weekend and uh, let's talk some Elimination Chamber in the next few days, my man. All right, we'll be chatting early Saturday morning, sir. <laughs> the Chad Cooper. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter and on Instagram and we'll be back next week with more This Week in Wrestling. We head back to the world of Marvel, the MCU for the first ever Marvel Spotlight. We get to discuss a Marvel superhero who is unlike any other. We are going to talk about a Native American deaf amputee. How about that, TK? Someone who's got stacked against her more than like any of the, you know, superheroes that we've encountered over the last decade or so. And I, I gotta say, this the ep- the seems like the series that Marvel releases that they're or the the movies and the shows that they don't seem like they're <laughs> as high on sometimes. I think they're, yeah. they're they're underrated. You know, like I think they'll they'll drop yep. them, expecting there to not be a great response. I don't. I think this this show had mixed responses, but for mm-hmm. me, almost none of my concerns were actually with stuff that we saw. It was more stuff mm-hmm. that wasn't there and mainly like mm-hmm. technical stuff. I have very little yeah. issue with like the acting, the characters, the people, the story. I think you could just tell that this was supposed to be a longer show that was mm-hmm. very much down. Yeah, overall, I really liked the show. You know, I thought it fit in really well with the Netflix uh, shows, the Defender stuff. Uh, It seems like Marvel has embraced that. They've completely canonized all that old stuff Uh, on Disney Plus. Now they're putting this show, Echo, uh, right alongside those shows. So it's meant to fit in with that continuity and it's meant to be an extension of that. And I thought it worked really well on that level. Like you said, the characters are, are solid. The overall story is solid. It did feel like maybe it, the show ran up against some budget constraints or lack of faith from the studios. And then that caused them to maybe, you know, cut some things toward the end, have to rush a few things. I, I could tell the budget toward the end wasn't quite what it was. In the Lots of people episode. just talking in, in like mm-hmm. spots that you could tell weren't um, yeah. expensive to, to film that. Right. Cause I, I think what it, what I had read, it was supposed to be six episodes. The first mm-hmm. two episodes were filmed. And then it got reshaped yeah. from yeah. from six to five. So all of a sudden, a third of the show is done, and mm-hmm. you've got it plotted out and sort of timed out and paced out to be this certain way. And then all of a sudden, oh, we don't really have enough money 
to do its sixth episode. So we got to cut some things out, squeeze it into five. Because I think if this were six or even eight episodes like some of the others, Mm -hmm. I would have liked it even even more. I think it would have been even better because we would have been able to get a little more time with Maya and her family. I thought some of Mm -hmm. those characters were just not um, fleshed out enough or – and yeah. I, again, I don't have anything bad to say about him, but damn, I would have loved to spend more time with Biscuits. You know, yeah, this absolutely. was a great character. Or we didn't get to see a whole lot of Maya and Bonnie and mm-hmm. why there yeah. was this animosity between them and why Maya was so kind of holding on to some of these feelings. And even like Chula and Scully, the grandma and grandpa, every time they interacted and they're like, Chula, yeah. he's flirting with her and she's laughing and all of the the – Choctaw, Native American family stuff, I thought was very rich. And I thought it was mm-hmm. really well-timed coming off of the new superhero that we were introduced to in What If, which yeah, was a Corey. very no, yeah. Na- yeah, Native American. So I, I really enjoyed a lot of that. And most of it, I just wanted a little bit more of it, honestly. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there because the characteriz- characterizations were very strong. All these characters were, like you said, very rich. There was a lot to them. I felt like I knew those characters really quickly on screen. Uh, they just didn't have enough to do over the course of the, the series. That would be my one main complaint. Mm-hmm. They had a little bit to do. You know, they had their arcs and then they had their their moments and some, some good comedy came from them. Uh, and they felt like fully realized drawn characters. It's just, Completely you know, they didn't have enough of the plot to, to sink into. And and yeah, I, I, I liked it thematically. I loved all the indigenous stuff. Um, I felt like uh, if if, I, if there was one knock on that, I felt like sometimes maybe, um, especially in the the stickball scene, which I thought was a really incredible like uh, thing that they they pulled off. I felt like maybe they they had a limited amount of Choctaw people to draw from there, so it wasn't exactly like the most fit like team of of uh, athletes you know on the field. So that that took me out of it a, a little bit. But, um, you know, that's that's a small quibble. Like, they really staged this incredible thing, and it's a period piece. And, uh, you know, the, the show had um, a lot of a lot of ambition like that. And it bit off maybe more than it could chew. But I thought what we got was was uh, pretty satisfying and, and, a, and a welcome addition to those Defender series. Me too. And I think a key with a lot of these shows is even even if it's – Throughout, and I don't think this was Even if throughout the show it can be mixed And up and down, if it ends And you feel good about where you're going afterwards mm-hmm. That's that's a big yeah. part And I think right now Feeling good about Maya as a Defender, someone who could mm-hmm. be Maybe if if Where we ended with Maya There with her family, having the barbecue Maybe she stays there for a while with them Fisk mm-hmm. goes back to New York It looks like, you know, spoiler alert He's going to try to run for mayor. That's what we see in the, yeah. you know, in the, in the mid credit scene. And now moving <laughs> forward, I like the way that sets up Daredevil Born Again and what that could set yeah. up for, you know, the Defenders, Maya, Daredevil, Thunderbolts, all these moving pieces on the board. I feel pretty yeah. good about where we are with Maya, with Fisk after this story. And behind the scenes, we we have the context, too, where we know Marvel is course correcting. Um, mm-hmm. They tried to do some course correcting in the middle of this series, uh, which, you know, like we said, that we saw the constraints of that. We saw the effects of that. But creatively, um, it was pretty strong to begin with. So the end product, we still got a, a solid thing. Now we're, you know, starting 
Daredevil essentially from from scratch because mm-hmm. yes, they were in in the process of making the series. I think they had eight already shot. Um, but they've wiped the slate clean and they're starting fresh with a new creative team. So it is essentially like they're starting from scratch, brand new with a, with a new plan, uh, a revised way of, of going about making these series. They're not basically conceiving them as one big movie and then chopping it up into a series. They're, they're making it like, uh, you know, classic TV shows have been made. So fingers crossed. I, I feel really good about this. A lot of the old creatives are back in the in this new daredevil iteration um i think some of the writing team uh, at least some of the stunt team a lot of the actors are back i think that really bodes well for us and just the fact that you know echo was a success and you know we went into it with kind of low expectations i'll, I'll give it that as well mm-hmm. i mean compare it to uh secret invasion where we had these sky high expectations and then kind of like bargain basement results i mean it was uh, it, through the floor I, I thought you know what we what we got on that series was such a disappointment uh now going into this series knowing that marvel didn't have the faith in it they kind of dropped it all on a tuesday they cut the 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 episode order down you know going into it we're thinking maybe this is going to be a complete shit show i was very pleasantly surprised ultimately and now you know we're going into these m- more defenders universe uh, with a new um, a new mo from Bob Iger saying we're going to do you know less is more we're going to focus on our our, our strengths here uh, I, I hope that goes well I think that that's what what we need overall in the MCU right now as far as leadership and just a, a overall direction um, and then you know we got that great Deadpool Wolverine trailer which is bringing back hype so I, I feel mm-hmm. really good about the MCU right now in general me too I think there's a really nice energy. Now coming out of this and the point that you hit that I just keep thinking of about what this show did well and did well quickly and it reminded me a little bit of um, of Miss Marvel in that is the the surrounding supporting characters how quickly they felt real and just like I was comparing you know compare someone like a biscuits to Mm -hmm. you know the um, in she Hulk remember the the evil co-worker of of yeah. She-Hulk that we kept saying like, yeah. are there even people that are really like that right. that are that cringy right. that are that like anti-female so yeah. so blatantly obvious like a sexist horrible guy you know and then you you because we're like rolling our eyes through some of those characters like there's not even real people mm-hmm. like that or if they are they're yeah. they're not as open about it and it's hidden you know you just don't yeah. and then you get these like these characters, characters. exactly mm-hmm. and these ones that feel like biscuits and chula and yeah. Scully, they feel so. Even Henry, you know, mm-hmm. he she's meeting with him, she's interacting with him. He feels yeah. like he's wearing scars on his face. Henry. Yeah, like you can see it. You know, mm-hmm. like the 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 baggage from the years. It's on his face. He's wearing it. I just loved all of these characters. I hope we get a chance to to come back and meet with them more. Um, I could absolutely yeah. see that being a thing if Fisk is still in it and Maya needs to go back and get some help from the family again, you know, if yeah. she goes to New York and something doesn't work. So because because Biscuits feels untapped, especially like mm-hmm. when he pulls up the monster truck when he beefs up the monster truck or when he's trying yeah. to sell when he just gets on the radio and he's trying to sell his was it PlayStation 4. I, it's like they're just funny so. moments, yeah. you know, best offer, best offer, 120. Right. Nope, now it's down to 100, you know, and he's just. Um, I, I felt like I knew these people 
and yeah, and they're they're not just car- caricatures. I think all all the characters in this were were pretty three dimensional. Like even you know, look at our main character, you know, Maya Lopez. She's not just a heroine who's like unappreciated and uh, no one can see her power. She's somebody with a uh, real conflict within her. She was misled. She's done bad things. She's oh, dealing man, that with, was, with that. That was mine. Like I didn't. I didn't think I. It, it didn't become as apparent until watching mm-hmm. this, like how much bad shit she's done, you know, yeah, like yeah, she's done exactly. some really bad stuff. We don't think about it as much when we're watching Hawkeye. We just sort of think of her as mm-hmm. like, she's this pawn that maybe Fisk put out there. But when you're watching her sit there while he's just murdering translators, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and well, she she was none the wiser in that in that moment. That was a really dark moment, right? Yeah, you know, even still, she she like she blew up a building. Like like who who else was in that building? You know, was exactly. security guard that's just trying to feed his family uh, there that doesn't really know what he's what he's doing or what he's connected to. Um, yeah, there there is a there could have been a lot of uh, unintended consequences to to the actions she did, and yeah, that extends to the other characters. Like like you mentioned, Henry. You know, he's he wears. The years of his uh, criminal behavior on him, but he's still like a loving, you know, uh, family member and uncle. He he he's he wants to do right. You know, you can you can see that the depth of these characters. Uh, Biscuits, he's not just you know this silly um, uh, you know com- comic relief character. He's got a little bit of pathos too. You know, uh, he's got he's got a loyalty uh genuine to, to Maya. Mm-hmm. Uh, genuine yeah and he, he's willing to 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 take risks uh and but he's still scared in the face of it and he, he's got this uh, you know dog this relationship with his uh dog billy jack which i thought was a nice little <laughs> detail and and you know all just all the indigenous culture uh you know details that they they imbue the series with even down to like things and um in the pawn shop, in Scully's pawn shop, uh, little details like that, and him trying to sell to, to the white people who come in, and and uh, the the comedy that can come from that. With and you know they didn't go cheap too in. hard with any. They didn't do anything really cheap. Yeah, all no, but, in character and and realistic and in in in, um, in, uh, in good ways. Yeah. yeah, nothing got yada 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 through here with like right, with right. with a lot of that stuff. I'm watching Seinfeld again right now. You know, rewatching it, so I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting some of those. But it just it felt um it it felt real. Like the place that you're in felt real. The characters felt mm-hmm. real. And this was this was fun to get an opportunity to spend with Maya and you know to see <laughs> her her growth. To I I actually thought. One of my favorite moments was when she just popped Bonnie. She just punches her friend because you know yeah. she's got it. She knows it's sort of going to help get get out of the situation that they're in. Yeah. But she doesn't yeah, even think twice. Real. She doesn't even yeah. think twice about just cold cocks the the girl, which yeah. I, I really liked. And uh, you know we both love speed. The movie speed oh. shoot the hostage. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love oh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so it, it sounds like you know we both. Had a lot of positives to take out of this as we dive on in. Mm-hmm. There were five episodes. Let's get through these five episodes, take out some positives and some negatives yeah. from each of them. Episode one was titled Chaffa. And we actually open up with a flashback and the Choctaw creation story, which was really cool. Like a lot of these opening yeah. flashbacks were very like visually um, appealing, and these are the mm-hmm. moments where you could really feel like they didn't skimp on anything. 
You know, they yeah. they wanted to make the culture come out and seem very real. I love that at the end of the series, they actually put a big thank you up on the board, like a graphic mm-hmm. thanking the Choctaw Nation for their cooperation yeah. in the project and for helping them um, and actually giving like providing them actual Choctaw people to be actors and like you said to play in the stickball scene and to do yeah. uh, to do some of this. So we we see the uh, Choctaw people forming from clay as their yeah. bodies harden in this just really cool like creation story, something you would see, yeah. you know, you compare it to the Bible, God taking, making Adam and taking the rib of Adam and making Eve. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very comparable to this. And so this kind of started the trend TK of mm-hmm. the beginning of each episode. We would open up with a flashback like this and they would then be Maya's ancestors here. Yeah. We're seeing the people born basically the 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 beginning of the choctaw yeah yeah we're seeing the creation myth of, of her people and then also in turn of her her hero origin story because essentially her power is her ancestors powers echoing through her um mm-hmm. she comes from i think a, a line that dates back to that that first uh choctaw woman who who saved her people from that cave uh, and I thought it was a really well done uh, opening sequence, uh, something we hadn't seen before. Visually, the 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 aesthetic was on point. The production value was really good. Uh, and I thought that set a really great tone to start off the, the series. And it also added to this very rich kind of lineage uh, in the MCU where we get these various creation myths from the, you know, the Norse perspective and, you know, Asgard and whatnot to, you know, Black Panther uh, and the, the afterlifes that we see there. And so we're getting this great hodgepodge uh, overall of all these intersecting mythologies. And it's kind of fun to see how they fit together. You know, hopefully they do in some way. Uh, but, um, you know, even even if not, it's it, it interesting to kind of just play that game uh, as, a, as a viewer and, and try to follow along and, and figure out how it all comes uh comes together so uh yeah off to a good start like i was really reassured just from seeing this this sequence i didn't expect something like that in the series um i expected more grounded grounded down to earth you know street level stuff uh so this was uh, a pleasant surprise uh because they they really pulled it off yeah the quality of it right away i went okay good i like Mm -hmm. this this feels well done I didn't even yeah. really know where we were, where we were going, but it just felt yeah. very, very well done right off the bat as we move to 2007. And in a lot of this first episode, TK, we actually did mm-hmm. get even some re rehashed scenes that we've yeah. seen from um, from Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Yeah. And, and then they were kind of mixed in with some new things. First, yeah. Maya's mom and dad in 2007 and her family and her grandparents, they're all in um, Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. Maya, Maya's dad, we see, is involved with Fisk and with crime, and the brakes on their car gets cut, and yeah. Maya's mom dies in a bad car accident. It's the same accident that Maya ends up losing um, her leg, and mm-hmm. she's uh, she's deaf already, so now she's an amputee. And this is the this is like the catalyst incident that breaks up her family. And we see mm-hmm. this, we see things like this happen a lot. I don't, I don't know if people quite realize how much like tragedies and things like this tear mm-hmm. families apart even more. There's so many situations yeah. where like a mom and a dad, if they lose a child, those two don't ever make it together. 
you know, because yeah, of all of the, the struggles mm-hmm. that they and just the emotions. And this is kind of what you're seeing right here. The fact that Maya's mom passed away and it really mm-hmm. was because of her dad, because of what her yeah. dad was involved with, because of the crime he was in Chula and and the rest of the family, they blamed it on Maya's father. And and in that sense, yeah. they kind of held it against Maya too. Chula did. It was yeah. like one of those situations where seeing Maya reminded them of the daughter they lost or of the the family member they lost. And it was hurt mm-hmm. for them initially. So with this poor little girl who's deaf, who's an amputee, who just lost her mom, she not only loses yeah. her mom, she loses like the rest of her family as she has to move with her dad to New York. Yeah, I, I thought that that was uh, there was a little bit of a double edged sword uh, because I, I totally buy the the parents, you know, struggling after that and divorcing. But where I couldn't kind of wrap my head around or identify with was, you know, Maya's grandmother basically disowned her because it was me too, too hard. Me too. That was something that felt like a writer made this because it had to fit in the story and that writer doesn't have kids, you know, cause no, you can't imagine like doing that to your grand, no your grandchild. And then, and then also being um, a, like a good person. You like, it's, it's hard to be both of those things. Uh, You're right. Because you see it's it so all important. the time. And I see it all the time where people don't talk to their moms or dads, but their grandparents mm-hmm. relationship is fine. Yeah. Like all the and, time. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, this mm-hmm. was the one thing that I I had a hard time with too. Even watching yeah. the 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 Maya Chula relationship, even how it was like mm-hmm. it, and then after both of them stubbornly not wanting to see each other, all it really took mm-hmm. was Henry just dropping her off there, right? Yeah, yeah. and then she's just there, yeah. and then like they're okay. That was the one of the one relationships that I found harder could just what you yeah. hit on. It did. It just the. My uh, Chula being upset with Maya's dad, thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being upset 100%. with Maya, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Why would she hold it against her? Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, just from a psychological perspective, like I, I, I get the the idea. There is, oh, you reminded me too much of my daughter. I lost my daughter. That works the opposite way. I think I, I, that would almost, you know, on ninety nine percent of people, that's going to make them want to spend more time Embrace with their them even more. Fix the you things that they didn't with, fix yeah. with them, you know? Yeah. And that's the this perfect opportunity. And just knowing it's a child that needs somebody, you know, you can't just abandon that child. Like, like if you are uh, Maya Lopez, I could totally see the resentment towards her, her grandmother for being abandoned in that way. Cause that's exactly what happens. Like uh, you, you would know as a grandparent, how much that child needs you at that moment. And to, and to turn your back on them, that would make you such a bad person. I think that it doesn't like fit with this character who is, you know, you could tell from every other thing that she does is a, is a good person. Now you could argue, okay, that's just people. People are complicated. People are, they have duality. I just thought this is a bridge too far. This is something that's so important to a character, you know, how you treat your, your children, your offspring, you know, this grandparents, but still, uh, it, this, it just didn't make sense. It felt like it had to be written that way because that's what the, the writers wanted it to do. And that's what they had the characters do. So they didn't convince me on that. And that took me out of it a little bit, especially later on when they kind of come back together and resolve that issue and they, they give, give explanation to it. It just didn't land for me for that very reason. It's, it's too much. It's, you I think can't you, abandon your grandchild and still be a good person. 
No, and I think you were getting to a good point too. It makes a lot more sense to me from Maya's perspective why she would be bitter. Uh-huh. Yeah. Why she would be frustrated. Right. Like, hey, I was a kid and you just left me. You didn't want anything to do with me. What am I? I'm supposed to come out of my way now and I got to be the bigger person to go to my grandma who wanted nothing to do with me? Hell no. Like, yeah. get out of here. You know, I needed you. My mom was gone and where were you? Like, I, so yeah. I could feel from her standpoint, it makes a lot more sense than from Chula's who was just like, Oh yeah, you were, you look like my daughter who's gone, so I'm just going to abandon you the rest of my Absurd. family. You know, the, like that, the person who wrote that doesn't have kids. That's, that's no, that's the only thing I can think. That, you know, and, like, and if you, they you did, possibly imagine that we didn't even get the moment that we needed where Chula has the yeah. "I'm so sorry." I I I I, I yeah. know the, it wasn't the, enough. The, right up right off the bat. You know, I couldn't yeah. even take looking when I saw you. It reminded me of, and then immediately I realized what I did was wrong and I wanted to be yeah. there for you. And I'm so sorry. How have you been all these years? Like we needed just that moment at least, you know, yeah. for her to yeah. for her to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. But, um, and I, yeah, I, was... I would have liked another catalyst, another reason for her to, to pull away, like something that right. she was, that was really out of her control. She um, tried to, to at some crime. point and something yeah. didn't happen even, right? Like I tried to come okay, and see yeah. you there and Fisk right. even like rebuffed right. it. Some, something happened, you know? But Exactly. Um, we then flash to some more of the scenes from Hawkeye, young Maya and her father, young Maya and Kingpin. Young Maya blames herself for her mother's death. And she, we, some of them, like the scenes that were impacting me the most were just like, her mm-hmm. watching her dad do crime, mm-hmm. you know, when she's a kid and like her dad's yeah. doing a karate thing and he's paying people off and he's doing this and she's seeing it's like the watching this young girl who can't even speak and she yeah. so her like her sight is very important what she sees because she can't hear right, right? so she's like everything and so as she's watching you could see this little girl and it and we we see the scene later. A few episodes later when Kingpin is beating the crap out of that guy and she comes out of the car and sees him and then she kicks him himself herself, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, I just think like you said when you're a yeah. dad or when you're a parent, you get a different perspective and I can't, I couldn't help but keep thinking of like watching this through my son's eyes and seeing my Oof. son watch me do things like that and went, go like, oh man, like, yeah, yeah. man, that was, that was tough. And as as you see Maya watching her father getting into this crime and you see Maya, mm-hmm. you know, you feel these conflicted feelings about Kingpin because at the same time, at one at one moment, he's obviously yeah. hor- like manipulating this girl and he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's grooming her to be this next evil villain that'll work for him. But at the same time, yeah. he does obviously care about Maya. You know, he's not just throwing yeah. her out to the wolves. Like, he does want to try to be a fatherish uncle figure towards her. So it is a very mm-hmm. weird dynamic cuz while while he does love her, he's a horrible person and nothing that he yeah. does for her is is good. Yeah. You you're so right on that. And Vincent D'Onofrio does so much of the heavy lifting in terms of making us care for him or 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 identify with Kingpin despite the fact that he's doing pretty much irredeemable things nonstop. But just just that one kernel of he cares for this person and even even the, the twisted way that he cares for her, uh, he's able to to bring it to life and and draw our empathy in, in some in some way uh, where we we see his humanity, we identify with his pain and like what he wants. And in some way, 
we're, we're rooting for him. Uh, you know, whether it's for him to finally see the light or do the right thing in the end, but for whatever reason, uh, he's just such a great actor uh, that he he makes us he brings us into his world and we see things through his eyes at least at least a little bit. Um, and you know, I don't think that the material was really there on the page for him. He didn't have a whole lot to do. He just brought so much. Uh, humanity to that character, this larger than life character, this literally larger than life character. Uh, and so I'm really excited that he's back in the mix and playing, playing him. And, you know, if we can give him more things to do and even, you know, greater depth uh, of story, uh, I'm really, really excited to see him, him back in the mix. I completely agree with you. He didn't have a whole lot of meat on the bone and he made it work and he just, yeah. He's fantastic. I and he's one of those guys too that just in watching back now, I pick him out in other movies that I never I hadn't as much, you know? And he oh, yeah. and now he like jumps off the page and other things. And it's like, oh my God, I forgot about him in this lot. Mm-hmm. And he just has a presence when I you know you yeah. feel him, you know. Same like I, you think about some of the Jurassic Park stuff where he's just this evil dude. And those movies weren't as well received yeah. as some of the earlier yeah. ones, but he, yeah. he is just a bad dude. You know, he always mm-hmm. comes off like it and you feel it with him. But here it's not as one dimensional. It's much more like right. it's much more like yeah. his feelings for Maya, his feelings for his mom, his feelings for I love the relationship that he had in Daredevil uh, was uh, yes, the, yes. the woman that he was really, really in love with. And that kind of set him off. And so he's not just yeah. this this bad guy. Like we, like I was just mentioning, the guy from She-Hulk. He's not just this horrible mm-hmm. person that right. you roll your eyes at and it's like, oh, whatever the worst possible thing this guy's going to do. That's not mm-hmm. who he is. He he makes decisions. He to me is yeah. the epitome of the every hero thing. Every villain thinks they're a hero. Like yeah, he thinks absolutely. he is a good guy doing what is best for himself, for Maya, for his mom, for the city of New York, for the people around him. He thinks it's him and. Yeah, uh, it's such a cool, um, it's such a cool take on a on a, yeah. a villain, and I'm as you said, I'm really excited for uh, for where we're headed with Fist. Yeah, because we flash- like, like most heroes, real, real quick, like most yeah, heroes, he, his um, origin story is rooted in like a trauma. Uh, so he takes a turn, you know, towards crime and and you know bad things, whereas somebody like Daredevil, you know, becomes a, a vigilante hero. Uh, but but they they have these core traumas that are kind of propelling them through through life and, and it, his is you know I think well realized in in this series but also there's a great depth of backstory from Daredevil that we get we get to play off of here too so it has that going for it as well. We see 17 years later Maya boxing uh, scenes sprinkled in from Hawkeye. Where we actually see Ronin at Fat Man Auto when Hawkeye kills Maya's father. Um, And we see Maya frustrated in seeing her father's death. She gets caught up in a robbery that Fisk gets her out of. And she goes to work for Fisk. So we see how she gets really kind of takes the place of her father. Yeah. In Fisk's crime operation here. Um, there was a really cool scene where she goes on a job and it's a, when she runs in the daredevil and they have this fight scene with no cuts yeah. and we see mm-hmm. Maya's what looks like her first murder when she yeah. kill, like brutally kills a man and then encounters Matt Murdock. Um, yeah. and at the end of all this, where she kills a guy, she's in these brutal fights 
the father figure that she has at the time, her uncle, he tells her he's proud of her. And he tells her, wow, I've never seen anybody hold up against him like this before. He ends yeah. up training Maya now to become his you know, hired gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what a great introduction to, uh, you know, for the series to have Daredevil, you know, just thrown into the mix like that. Just add that texture to the world, you know, give that New York presence, uh, but also give us a, a raw Daredevil fight scene like we got in the Netflix show that signals to us that like, yeah, we're we're, we're playing in those waters again. Uh, we're striving to to top what's been done in the past. Do I think that they... They, you know, exceeded the the Daredevil's, you know, highest achievements. No, but I think they added, uh, you know, a great fight sequence to that pantheon, and um, I, I loved it. I heard some complaints about that fight I sequence that that she was moving too slow or looked like she was telegraphing. Uh, I watched it a few times. I didn't see that. I liked it. I liked what I saw as as it compares to other TV shows, as it compares to fight scenes, you know, in the MCU as, as a whole. I kind of don't know what people were watching if they if they saw that and thought it was an, a, a, a poorly made fight scene. Uh, I feel like you had to go in with um, with some sort of a bias against the show and 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 already convinced that it was going to be bad to come out of that scene thinking it was bad. One specific example that I saw people harping on, especially guys in the the um, manosphere who are really r- railing against the quote unquote MCU, which you know they have their points, I and mean, I've, I've I've made that before, but a lot of these guys they really didn't like the fight choreography in a specific moment when um, she she does a spin kick and there's kind of a pause in the middle of the spin before she she lays into it, and their their take on it was that she's too she's you know an amputee she's too slow to actually pull it off so they're having to really choreograph it and uh she's not able to keep up so like the daredevil you know uh stunt person's having to slow down too much and you know we as viewers are just getting you know a bullshit product i thought it was a really great detail to the fight a nice wrinkle in the strategy for from from my perspective she was doing a spin and she pauses to completely kind of like agree. Fake. It's like a bait. And it, it's like a fake yeah, out. She, she, it's exactly. She's disrupting the rhythm of the fight so that he, he he goes to block and then releases the block. And then she she follows through with it. I thought it was a cool detail for the fight. And I heard people literally pointing to that and going, oh, look how bad this is. I'm, so, you know, I'll put my hands in the air at that and say, you know, agree to disagree. Um, I thought it was cool. It was well done. And, you know, that's, those are my two cents for that, for that. Sequence. And I will, I will it, say to you, it, you, it are one of, you are in just the conversations we had are one of the most like genuinely honest when it comes to that. Like there's nothing, you, you don't have any sort of hidden right. biases or you're not like trying to prove a point. And I think what you hit is, yeah, sure. Like sometimes it feels like there are characters that, mm-hmm maybe got forced or maybe this character or this person or this casting or whatever doesn't, didn't work, mm-hmm. but it's not an overall blanket statement, right? It's, it's, right. it's specifically, we'll take each one, one at a time and say, did this work? Did yep. it not work? Why? It's not a, Oh, there's a girl starring in this. We're, we're going to mm-hmm. already come into it, you know, guns a blazing. It's just not that right. way ever. And, and I completely agree. I, th- th- it wasn't something to be picked at. I thought it was really cool yeah. the way it was done. <laughs> exactly. And, um, we then flash to May of 2025, a couple months after Hawkeye, and Maya rides from New York home to Oklahoma, 
losing blood. She <laughs> falls asleep and she dreams of Chaffa. She actually has this vision of the first one that we see her have of her ancestors. And as she arrives in Oklahoma, she meets with Biscuits, her cousin, and she meets with Henry, her uncle, as we see Kingpin put a bounty on Maya. He is still alive. Maya does not know this. She thinks she killed him um, at the end of Hawkeye. So as we finish episode one, we find out Kingpin is still alive and he has put a bounty out on her. Maya is back home and now uh, the pieces on the board will all start to move around. It was, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, overall, it felt, I think the fourth and fifth episodes, you could feel maybe a little short, but I did think the season mm-hmm. overall did, did a pretty good job of feeling contained. Not necessarily yeah. like it was one story. This could have been a movie the way the, yeah. the way they had it as we move mm-hmm. right into episode two, which is titled Loak. And we have a flashback to Alabama, 1200 AD. Loak is a ancestor of Maya, and there she's participating in a game of Choctaw stickball against another tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, in so they're in the city of Cahuquia, which is the largest city built um, north of Mexico before the colonizers arrived. It, there's mm-hmm. beautiful attention to detail during this stickball mm-hmm. game. Um, they compare it to modern day lacrosse. And as you pointed mm-hmm. out, they were played by real stickball players. They just don't yeah. have very many of very many of them yeah. left, like real actual players yeah. at Choctaw. But th- what they would do, TK, warring tribes back in ancient times would play games I- as ways to mm-hmm. determine land or determine battles and not necessarily have to have a, a fight where everybody dies. Yeah, so yeah. They could play these games as a way to, you know, pit the tribes against each other and have battles and not necessarily have lose, you know, a bunch of your people. So these, these were taken very seriously because of that. They mm-hmm. were like a battle, not a game. Yeah. Yeah. The stakes here were literally for the place that they were living so yeah, it, very high state. Not just a sp- like a not just a game, not just a bragging rights here. Like they were going to literally have to pack up and go away, uh, move somewhere else if they if they lost this game. So very high stakes for them at the time. And uh, again, like the the set piece, which is really impressive. This is a TV show after all. Uh, to think that they put together such a, an elaborate set piece with a big game, so many extras. Uh, that's a big feat. Uh, I did have my quibbles, like I mentioned earlier, that I thought, you know, uh, that, and rightfully so, there's not a lot of of, uh, of people to draw from. Not, I shouldn't say rightfully so. It's a shame that that's the case. But, um, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the way it is right now. There's not a, a huge depth of indigenous people to draw from uh, so they, it seemed like they got everybody that they could and threw them on screen. So for me, it took me out of it a little bit, seeing like, you know, the more heavy set people in that period, you wouldn't expect, they weren't eating like the, the you know, the American diet that we're eating today. So that, that took me out of it a little bit. I would expect more fit athletes being on the field. Uh, but uh, to their credit, they used actual indigenous people and people who play the sport now. 
Uh, there's just not like, you know, there's not an NFL for stickball. So they, they don't have the best athletes in the world representing them. R regardless, I'm not able to, to look aside, um, look beyond that and, and appreciate it for what it was. It was a cool representation of something we don't get to see anymore. And it got a lot of uh, indigenous people on screen, which we don't get to see a lot. And this is a story that centers around indigenous people. So it would be a real shame if they didn't have authentic people, you know, representing that culture on screen, you know, carrying it out. So uh, again, just a good quality product. I have a few quibbles about it. Maybe even shouldn't even mention them because it didn't take me out of it. In the end, I'm impressed by what they were able to pull off. Loak was the star player and she gets a sense of power the same that Maya does. She gets these visions from her ancestors that helps her team win the game. Flashes of ancestors, and we start to see them um, happen for Maya moving on. In this episode, we get a really cool, I thought it was a train heist, but it's not even a train <laughs> heist. Maya just right. wants to plant uh, like a homing device on, <laughs> uh, on a train um, that is going to lead right to Fisk and his men. <laughs> so Biscuits helped Maya get some supplies from Scully. I thought uh, the part where he says, I need a really small camera, smaller, smaller, like a hummingbird's tongue. And he's like, what the <laughs> hell? And he said, man, this is some special op stuff you got here. So he, he, he gets all the stuff from, um, from Scully. And Maya plants explosions in a crate. So when it's opened, it blows up in a warehouse. And as you were pointing out, she doesn't even know what this is going to be like on the yeah. other end. She has no idea who's going to really open this, the people around. There could be a bunch of innocent people in this building that are just killed when they open yeah. this thing. So she yeah. hasn't quite had her full circle come to Jesus moment yet. At this point, she's still out for blood. Right. Yeah, she's uh, kind of an ambiguous character at this point. She's fresh out of the, the criminal lifestyle. Uh, and she's not like, an, you know, she's not really a hero. Uh, she's just out for revenge. Uh, and so we can identify with that. Sh sure, she she has a reason to want revenge uh, that we can kind of get behind. Uh, and we know that she's attacking criminals. But like you said, like, what's the what's the uh, collateral damage with that? Is there is there a you know, security guard on, you know, on duty that's not aware of any of this? You know, poor biscuits activities. screwing up the truck. Right. She's not she's that's putting her family yeah. in jeopardy, too. By doing that's this a great point. And, yeah. and asking them for help. So you she's kind of disregarding all that risk. Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of Henry has to really get that through to her the few times mm -hmm. that they talk. It's it's like Maya, as much as this is about you, you're doing the same thing that got your mom killed. Right. Is you're you're bringing your family into this world that you don't want, and you're not even gonna be the one that gets hurt. It's going to be someone else around you, and it almost happens with Bonnie. Mm -hmm. Right. It almost happens with Biscuit. It almost happens yep. with Chula, who gets kidnapped and the people around yeah. her. Um, but but she gets stuck, Maya, when she's on the train and her mm -hmm. leg gets stuck. And that's when she gets <clears throat> one of those flashes of her ancestors and she's able to break free. She jumps off the train onto Biscuit's yeah. pickup truck. <laughs> Biscuits can't even believe that she does that. And yeah. um, and following that. She needs a, a repair now on her leg. So Scully helps her. <laughs> uh, he gives her a temporary leg first. And yeah. then when he creates the uh, uh, the more permanent one for her, 
it's actually has some of the Choctaw symbols and some of her culture and and some of her history on that. Yeah. But um, this this second episode is just seeing Maya, um, what she's trying to do here to get even. Henry confronts mm-hmm. her about the bombing and he tries to warn her to get out. He he tries to let her know what he's been yeah. through. Um, In a great setting too, I, I gotta say, the uh, the roller rink is a the a laser tag. The laser tag, all the neon in the background, the the music that's playing, like Casey and JoJo. Uh, it's just a very alive uh, environment, and uh, I thought the attention to detail there was really nice, and it it, it worked to serve the story. Like it made it was- everything interesting to look at. It feels like a place that should be in New Mexico or Oklahoma or somewhere like that. That too. You know what I mean? It really does because there's not as much going on in these smaller. So you have a place like that where it's like bowling, laser tag, arcade, get everybody out here for a party. You know, you can do Mm -hmm. a few different things. And man, that for about a week after I was, I promise to never fall in love (laughs) with, I was singing Casey and JoJo (laughs) over and over and over, man. So I just, uh, that setting was great. And mm-hmm. and we we see here that Maya still at the end of episode two, she still doesn't want to see her grandmother. She still doesn't want to mm-hmm. see her best friend, Bonnie. She just wants to come here, get the help that she needs. Go yeah. take out Fisk. She at this point, she wants to be she thinks that she can be the kingpin herself. She yeah, wants to be the queen. Point. And um, in fact, she actually yeah. has an interaction with Henry where he she says, look. I can take over. I can, I can, I can lead. Yeah. And Henry says, I know you can. That's what's scary. Right. I don't want you to get into that world. It's not that I don't think you can. You're capable. You're certainly capable. I'm not challenging you. It's what's going to come with that um, for all of us, the people that you love. Yeah. It feels like the the main things that are introduced in this episode are kind of abandoned. Like, you you know, you're right. You point out, the 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 leg uh, they do follow up on the, the the leg you know in the end like you mentioned she gets a, a new leg and it's uh it's got more Choctaw influence in it and it becomes kind of part of her superhero outfit or costume uh but you know along the way we don't really get any changes or challenges related to that temporary leg uh, we kind of acknowledge that it's this temporary, non-ideal leg, and then like we never hear about it again. We never see her like struggle with it. it or struggling with it at all. And it, we only come back to it when she gets the new one. It's like, oh yeah, that happened. Uh, similarly, we never really get her struggling uh, with that conflict of like, I want to be the 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 new kingpin, mm-hmm. now, uh, and that, now I'm. She just kind of drops it. Like after yep. she talks to her her uncle, she's kind of on to the next thing and and not really struggling with that um, that co- inner conflict a- anymore. It seems like it's 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 it essentially just gets resolved once it gets addressed. Uh, and I, I thought that there could have been more meat there in the middle that transition, like how she how she kind of changes her her tune because she does in the end she is different. She she has mm-hmm. different priorities. I wish we could have seen I, it a little bit more. Yeah. I agree with you. So like you just kind of arrive there. Even even in the final episode, uh, which we'll get to in a minute, when she's kind of ignoring biscuits, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. she sees the woodpecker, and then quickly it's like, oh, I'm right back. You know? Yeah. Um. It it did feel like there were some of those moments that were either cut or maybe missing mm-hmm. or maybe just not fleshed out quite enough. And yeah. 
as we get to Tuklo, episode three. <laughs> this one, we actually open up with a black and white title card that says Marvel Spotlight. <laughs> in the late 1800s, Indian country was infested with dangerous criminals threatening the safety <laughs> of the native nations. Tribes established their own police force to bring those criminals to justice. These tribal police were called the Light Horsemen. In Tuklo, <laughs> ancestor of Maya, father was a light horseman. Uh, she wanted to be a light horseman, but he forbids her. So she rides off angrily. But when she's alone, she has a vision and she sees her father's men being attacked. So she's able to save them. And again, a really cool flashback scene. I thought the way they did it with the uh, with the black and white and yeah. the title cards was just yeah. a completely different approach. Uh, I was like, whoa, OK. It was one of those things Charming. when you start a show and you're like, mm-hmm. I didn't click on the wrong show. Right. You know, like at right, the very right. beginning for a second, you're like, whoa. And it was really well done. It made me. It kind of made me focus mm-hmm. and pay attention more to it. And it's funny, yeah. the the woman who played um, uh, Tuklo here, she mm-hmm. looks like my aunt when my aunt was young, oh. like my Auntie Dina. Like there's these portraits of my my dad and my uh, my uncles and aunts when they were really young that would hang in my grandma and grandpa's yeah. like, living room. And they were these really well-done portraits of all of them when they were like 12, 15 years old. And I swear... This one is my aunt exactly. And I was watching That's it cool. all the way through and it kept reminding me, especially the way that she smiled. It reminds me of mm-hmm. a couple of my cousins now who were my aunt's daughters who I see. And uh, it, 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 I think it almost <laughs> got me even more into it. I, I had showed my mom and my dad. I was like, don't you think this kind of looks like Auntie Dina and, and them? Funny. And, um, but we see, like in a lot of cultures, mm-hmm. TK, the men were the ones who were right. supposed to be the fighters, and she and the women were supposed to be the the yeah. gav- you know, givers. The, the givers, the life givers, the yeah. you know, f- take care of the family. And that just wasn't the role she necessarily wanted. I think she made a great mm-hmm. point when she said something like, um, "How can I give life if I'm not, you know, like if I can't take it?" She wanted to be someone mm-hmm. who could who could. Um, mm-hmm. Cross both barriers for men and for women And yeah. now we're seeing this trend of These very strong female ancestors that Maya has mm-hmm. Yeah, and then she's again like echoing that past And, and she's part of that lineage Which I think, I think works She's part of a lineage of, of women in her family Who are protectors uh, Going back to the, the original uh one who who saved their people from the cave uh, and became human. So I thought that, that, that's an interesting and and rich backstory. It it works. Uh, and like you, I really like this um, this opening sequence here and and the change and the format and style. I thought it reminded me of a um, an old silent film, obviously mixed with like a uh, police procedural, like Law and Order. Uh, the way that they framed like the 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 backstory and everything with the title card. It reminded me of like the opening of the law, law and order SBU or something like that. But it was, it was for the light horseman uh, division of the, the police. Um, and it, I thought it was, it had just the right amount of, of camp and style to it while also giving us that backstory that we're supposed to take, um, you know, at face value. Um, obviously it was a portrayal like, that wasn't meant to be like the realistic version of her, her ancestors, but it was meant to represent a real person in her lineage. And I, I just thought that was a fun way 
of uh, presenting that backstory. So we then flash back to current time and we see Chula, Maya's grandma, visiting Scully. He flirts with her. Their relationship is great. And it seems like, (laughs) just like what we had talked about, they, I feel like they probably didn't break up because of a lot of stuff between the two of them. It was more that they lost their daughter and it it ended up cratering their family. And now their Mm -hmm. granddaughter's not around. And it was just probably too much for them to deal with. But when Mm -hmm. we see them together, they're still very flirty and they have a great chemistry that I, especially Scully. He says, you used to love it when yeah. I talk Indian to you. And she, so she she calls him like an old scallywag and shut up, you old right. dog. And I, I love these two together. Yeah, they, there was a lot of charm between them and, and chemistry. Uh, and yeah, I believed the backstory of that. It was like it was just their inability to cope with the trauma and the fallout of that, the death of their child. They probably just weren't able to support each other in the ways that they needed and are dealing with survivor's guilt and maybe even blaming the other partner for various things, but maybe not doing enough to intervene with, you know, the, the rough and tumble gangster husband that caused all the mess and got them involved in that lifestyle. Uh, so it's like, yeah, maybe one, they were just pitted against each other and weren't able to really appreciate each other for or lean on each other at, at, at the time they, they were just feeling all the negative emotions. And now that time has passed you know, that trauma doesn't have the, the grip over them that it used to. So they're able to just see the person that they loved. But again, on top of that, they have all that all that time that they've been apart. So they're not just jumping right back into a relationship together. But, they, you know, that, that love is still there and it's apparent on screen. So they talk a little bit about Maya as we actually see Maya have a vision and then she gets drugged and kidnapped. She gets tipped off by Vicky and a couple of women. <laughs> um, Vicky is a real wannabe tough guy. You know, he wants to be mm-hmm. part of the the Fisk crew. So he's helping right. give out information here as they take Maya to the skating rink where Henry works. Yeah. And, and he's Bonnie, just a guy that works for the uncle too, right? Like, I mean, yeah, he's just a very, so it seems like he is one of henry's guys he's probably had to do some odd jobs for henry here and there yeah and and he kind of wants to move himself up the ranks you know but officially he just works at the roller roller exactly he's just a roller cleans the skates that's literally what he does in this small town he's a he's a nobody nothing and you could tell by the way he's acting that the guy doesn't know what's going on and pretty quickly vicky's dead Sorry, Vicky. <laughs> Pretty <Yeah>. quickly, <laughs> they kill him. Double cross. Zane Kingpin and his people don't have a whole lot of uh, loyalty, they, as we nope. see. That they're they're willing to just kill off their own people because they know too much, you know. That, or or if they owe somebody something, well, it's easier to kill that person than to just pay them the, what they're owed. Let's just out them. So yeah. as uh, Maya's old friend Bonnie shows up to talk to Henry, she wants to ask about Maya. Uh, she also gets taken, and we. What we get in this episode, um, and it kind of starts here, and it it really is more apparent in the final episode. We get a few of these moments where we are in Maya's perspective. We don't hear anything. We only yeah. see what Maya sees, and you can hear her heartbeat, mm-hmm. and that's really it. There, it's kind of a fascinating way to to kind of cut back and forth, and to yeah. just 
because it, it, it's like eerie when you go from hearing everything to then mm-hmm. not. And all of a sudden you're back in Maya's perspective and you're just kind of seeing what she sees. And you don't yeah. clearly hear anything. You just sort of hear some like, you know, bu- bumps yeah. and sound and um, it's just a different approach. And I, I, I enjoyed it because you you pick up oh, yeah. quickly when you're in Maya's perspective again. And I, I thought it felt different than things that I've been used to in watching shows and movies. Yeah, it's almost like it adds texture to the scene, uh, even though it's removing an element. Um, and yeah, it puts you right in the perspective of Maya, uh, right in her point of view. Uh, it's his very first person experience as an, you know, an audience. And we're, we don't have that God's eye perspective, you know, of knowing more than what she does. We're just um, we're kind of experiencing the mystery along with her and figuring it out with her. And that adds so much tension to those moments because we feel that layer of helplessness. Uh, and it also gives that uh, just more of a sense of raw reality to it. And I even think that, you know, if some of that dialogue was cheesy or not really working it's a great tool for the filmmakers to use to just kind of go yeah let's go to maya's perspective for for a minute and kind of cut through that and just just get the essence of what's going on and uh, you really only get the strengths out of out of that scene Mm -hmm. so i could i could see them um I, i imagine it was something that was very planned and maybe in the script all along but i could even see them using that at times to just kind of cover up some some messy stuff some things yeah. that didn't quite work on screen yeah and it, it regardless it worked every, every time they used it i liked it zane is one of fisk's men who uh shows up with the crew to try to take maya back and they kill vicky zane actually plays um he's in the movie limitless i don't know if you've ever seen that with bradley cooper which is actually pretty I good seen I, it, but i know i, like, I want to see it yeah yeah it's i think it's a little underrated now it's, it's pretty well done mm-hmm. or, and um, they made a, a tv series out of it yeah too. and i you know the, i watched some of the first few episodes of the series uh which weren't bad yeah. and then it kind of got a little much but i really right. like the movie with coop and with um uh, de niro's in it too it's it's, it's yeah. pretty well done and this guy nice. zane is one of the the bad guys in that movie and mm. he quickly kills Vicky. Yes. And uh, and then we get this awesome sequence where Maya and her friend Bonnie, they're kidnapped. They're in a room, off in a room. And Maya is able to um, get out of the, the shackles. And mm-hmm. she cuts the lights. And she turns the music up really loud and flashing and she almost traps them in this like madhouse. It's really cool. Yeah. It, it's like she turns the volume all the way up on the laser tag, you know? Yeah. And the lights are strobing and she's able to pop out and kind of use the the environment against the <laughs> villains, you know, cuz she knows yeah. this area, I'm sure being a kid growing up here, she probably knows this place way yeah. more yeah. than those people do. So she um, she knows the controls. She goes here. She turns the music up, the lights up, this and that. And it's it was it was it the Rob Zombie song? I think that's like playing right here. She's going, <laughs> think uh, so. yeah. And she just Dragula brutally yeah. murders four or five people right here. Right, yeah, put, I mean, we just see her guy through a wall. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when it looks after she beats some ass, the bad mm-hmm. guys and Zane have her and Henry. And Bonnie, and it looks like they are in peril. All of a sudden, there's a phone call, and they just get called mm-hmm. up. Yep. Well, Deus Ex Machina here from the mm-hmm. Kingpin. <laughs> yeah. Because remember, at this point, Maya still thinks he's dead. 
Yeah. She doesn't even know he's alive. And that's when Henry has to remind her, who do you think called this off? And a bandaged eye Wilson Fisk shows up to see Maya. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we then move to episode four. It's called Taloa, and that's Maya's mom's name. And we open in 2008, New York City, young Maya school uniform. She gets picked up from mm-hmm. school by Fisk, and he takes her to go get an ice cream. But the, yeah. the ice cream vendor doesn't realize that Maya is deaf, and he's making fun of her. Come on, kid, mm-hmm. talk louder. And it's a just a g- gross scene seeing this guy talk yeah. down to this poor deaf girl. And Wilson Fisk gets out of the car and goes and just beats the crap out of this guy bloody. Just in yeah. the broad daylight, he, they're in an alley, but it's just broad <laughs> daylight. He just like pulls the guy right off of his of his ice cream, uh, his little ice cream uh, cart, and yeah. he's beating the crap out of him. And he's around all the corner blood. from from Maya too. So he, he thinks that she can't see. Just he right th- around. He, he the doesn't corner. want her to see. Yeah, he, he's hoping that she doesn't, but it's so out in broad daylight, and he wasn't able to control himself. And he's wearing his white suit, and there's blood all over his white suit. Yeah. So he picks up the phone to make a call to say, hey, can somebody bring me a new jacket? I don't want Maya to see <laughs> yeah. all the blood on me. And as he's saying it, little Maya's just staring right at him. She sees the blood yeah. all over him. And and this was the the really like, whoa, moment where yeah. young Maya sees the man on the ground, the man that was just very mean to her, the man that mm-hmm. Kingpin has just beat the crap out of. And, you know, a little kid right there might normally say, what are you doing? Oh, my gosh. Right. Or they would they would be scared. Actually, it was the opposite. She walks over and kicks him. Yeah. And that's where yeah. you start to worry and see, oh, no, this poor young girl, what what she's around, the life that she's in mm-hmm. and and what she's getting taught. She's being taught yeah. that this is the right thing to do here. Um, we then flash to 2021. Maya is now about to start working for Fisk. And Maya and Fisk have Sunday dinners every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we see now this is 2008 to 2021. So we're talking now about 13 years. One mm-hmm. thing that I notice in how much Fisk wants to do for Maya, how much he's willing to do. Hell, he's killing people for her just because mm-hmm. they hurt this girl's feelings. But he's still not willing to learn, really learn ASL. The right, sign language right. for her. And it's, she, it's, she brings that up later too mm-hmm. as a as a point of contention. And you compare yeah. that to all of her family, right. every one of them, in a different way. Henry, Biscuits, Scully, Chula. You see them all, and they all sign differently too. Some of them mm-hmm. are at like different levels of it, different speeds of it. Some of them mm-hmm. talk more, and they're more, you know, uh, using their hand like to to speak with it. But all of them interact with her intimately individually yeah. none of them yeah. try to bring a device in that is going to help them right. and initially it's like oh wow cool he has this device created that they can understand each other well no yeah. it's the fact that this guy still didn't want to take the time to learn mm-hmm. he's got better things to do he's got more important things to do he can't sit here and patiently learn all the signs to interact with this girl that he says is like his daughter or niece or, you know, a member of his family. And, and we see that really right here because he puts a contact in her eye and that contact allows Maya to see virtual ASL. It's a virtual translator, but it's also a way for him to track Maya. That's really what it is too. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's about control. Yeah. Uh, and so it's this gesture, but it's an, a kind of an empty gesture. And he's, he's only able to do it because of, you know, all of his criminal dealings and and power plays and things like that. So it's not it doesn't it's not this like effort from the heart that, you know, his family, her, her family has clearly done for her. And he wants to establish himself as a real you know, member of the family that, you know, he's, mm -hmm. he's the uncle, he's, you know, the father figure. But again, it's, it's this empty gesture. It's not, it's not a real familial love um, because he really is more concerned with controlling her. Like you said. So he offers the empire to Maya as they sit down for dinner with wine. Uh, Maya pours the wine out, the cookies from Levain, some of her favorites. Yeah. There's a real place there with some, uh, some bougie cookies. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we see in the town they are setting up for this huge Choctaw Nation powwow event. So yeah. for the week leading up to it, vendors are coming in from all over. They're setting up the the fairgrounds. They're um, everybody's mm -hmm. you know having to work out timing and work out. Uh, there's a huge uh, traditional ceremony and a procession. So <laughs> there's a ton of things that go on. People come from all over for this huge event as yeah. we see Chula getting a vision of the ancestor, her ancestors and that power echoing through her. And at the mm -hmm. same time, Maya has the same vision. And this actually it, it seems like at that moment when Maya has this wave of power come over her, Henry seems like he has seen that before. And probably from Chula or mm -hmm. one of his other ancestors, because right away, or one of his other family members, because right away Henry mm -hmm. says, "I need to take you to Chula. She'll know what to do here." Mm -hmm. And yeah. then we do finally get our moment where Chula and Maya come together, and yeah. Maya tells Chula what she's been seeing. Chula explains to Maya that she's also had those same visions, and she tells Maya the story of her mother and how. They gain power from ancestors who help them when they are in trouble. So we get mm -hmm. a lot of the exposition right here with Chula and Maya, but I will say it's still not even very much. Like we we leave this series mm -hmm. not really knowing the powers that Maya has or how she can right. how can she can she control them? Do they just come when yeah. she's in trouble to help her? Then at the end, it seems like she's able to sort of control them with what she does with Fisk. But mm -hmm. I still think they do they do have some explaining to do for us with her power mm -hmm. set because it did get changed from the comics. She exactly. was initially supposed yeah. to be more like a like the taskmaster, Taskmaster. right? Yeah. And then yeah. when that character went in a different they went in a different direction there, they wanted to change some of Maya's power. So Mm -hmm. They, I think they will still need to explain that to us the next couple times when yeah. we see Maya a little bit more. Yeah, we don't really know the rules. Her powers are, are, are somewhat mm -hmm. a mystery. We understand sort of where they come from and some of the things that they're able to do, but we don't. We we as a, an audience uh, don't really have a grasp on like where her powers end, how powerful she is, you know, any sorts of limitations to them or or even po the possibilities uh, who knows if we've seen uh if, she, if there's more that she can do that you know will be revealed um i would have liked to have seen more taskmaster type stuff um me too i heard i think it was one of the guys from screen crush or, or it could have been 
new rock stars, but uh, talking about how they, they wish it, it was almost like the Guy Ritchie, Sherlock Holmes uh, movie when, when Sherlock Holmes would kind of have this vision before a fight of exactly how it was going to go and be able to see the moves and break things down. I, I would like to see her powers, or at least maybe we could see them at least through Taskmaster at some point, uh, you know, where, where we get to see them really break down a fight like that. Um, uh, or have some really advanced fighting mechanics or, you know, um, or uh, what's the word? Uh, strategy. Choreography. Uh, was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And some, some just interesting twists on the fights. Uh, like I kind of touched on earlier, I think maybe that spin move was kind of like that, like adding like little layers to the fights where there's, they're a little bit more cerebral, bringing out the cerebral tactician style or side of the, the the fight sequences. I would love to to get more of that. We did get a lot of really like raw, visceral action uh, in this scene or in the series, like when there were fight scenes. But I think there's there's room to grow there and there's room for like creativity. more depth of creativity mm-hmm. and specificity and just stuff we haven't seen yet. Uh, and like, unique to Maya or this character. Is, yes, that skill set like almost begs for that sort of um, uh, treatment on screen. So I, I do feel like they left stuff on the table and I'd love to know more about, you know, the backstory of her, her powers, but I'd also just love to see her powers in action, uh, more and more creatively. Completely agree. Um, the end of episode four has Maya go to the casino to kill Fisk. Fisk has mm-hmm. offered her the job to be the kingpin. Uh, but after she's thought about it, she wants to go kill him. Um, they have a moment where he tells her about how he actually killed his father and he gives her the hammer to kill him. Just go ahead, kill me. Uh, she does not, but she does not join him to go to New York. And at the end of episode four, Maya just, she leaves off by herself. She's not there with her family Mm -hmm. anymore. We don't, she knows, we know that she's not going to go with Fisk. It seems like Maya is just off on her own Mm -hmm. until... We have some of her loved ones put in peril, and that's what right. ends up bringing Maya back. Exactly what had happened with her father and her mother, the reason why her mom passed away and what Henry had been warning her about over right. and over and over again. Right. So episode five is titled Maya. This was our fifth and final episode of season one and of the series of Echo. And we open up with a flashback of young Maya with a slingshot, and she shoots it and she hits a woodpecker. And the woodpecker falls out of the tree, and she, the little girl, goes and gets it and brings it to her mom. And she says, "Mom, I found this." And as Maya's mom looks at it, she knows better, and she asks, "Did you find it, or did you do something?" And Maya explains, "I didn't mean to." And that's when Maya's mom tells her the story of the woodpecker and how the woodpecker is uh, symbolic to their culture and is a, a very important uh, being in their culture. And basically just warns her of harming other people's lives and, and just life in general. And then so you you get this really – it feels like a beautiful teaching moment that we mm-hmm. – again, pointing out. I'm sure you share these moments like with your kids right now often. No, we can't mm-hmm. do that. Let me show you why. Let me explain why. This is why we do or why we don't. And you let them know. And so I felt, yeah. oh, look at this. There's this teaching moment. And then right after you go right into the car accident. It's very like, yeah, very kind yeah. of jarring as you see 
Maya and her mom in a car accident and young Maya sees her mom right next to her passing away and yeah it's um it's just very sad I thought the young girl um the facials that the facial expressions that the young the one who plays young Maya uh, because she Mm -hmm. doesn't talk she everything Mm -hmm. she has to to portray is just by her facials I thought she did a a good job just when she's in the car and um and she's just uh, what what would this be like with your mom right next to you passed away and um tough tough opening scene here for episode five but then we get um a little little reprise and a little bit of life uh brought back when we get to see the flirting with chula and scully (laughs) as uh right chula goes to ask scully for a sewing machine scully owns the pawn shop and Chula mm-hmm. brought this sewing machine years ago, but he loves her. Everything that she's ever brought to him, he's kept her. He's kept in mint condition. He's got it yeah. all uh, oiled up and cleaned up. And <laughs> so he gives her back her sewing machine. And like always, he's spitting some game. You know, he yeah. says, you don't, you don't have to pay me anything for this. Just come back and visit me every now and then. And and she smiles. Yeah. And they share a little moment. And um, you, you can see... W- each time they talk, some mm-hmm. of the some of the baggage going away a little bit, you know, like oh, you yeah. can see it like each time they interact, like it's it's you're wiping away a couple years of of damage and another few years mm-hmm. of damage here. And um, yeah, the, these were the like the interactions that I really enjoyed on this show because it's hard mm-hmm. to do. You you can how many shows we watch where it's like, ah, that character just didn't feel real or, you know, the, the actor did a yeah. good job there, but the writing didn't fit the character's words or what they might have said or done or this or that. And mm-hmm. these two people just feel real. These two people feel like an old couple that were flirting with each other. Yeah. And I was laughing every time I saw them together. I was like, go Scully, spit some more game, man. You know, I'm like rooting right. for it. Yeah, Scully was just very likable. And I think the actors just brought a lot of humanity uh, and just they were they had a very natural uh, chemistry with each other. Um, and it wasn't overwritten. It wasn't underwritten. It was just it, it, there was there was enough there to go off of. And that's a that's a rich scene just on its on its surface when you have an old uh, couple that have been separated for a long time, but there's still love there. Uh, and now they're being reunited with, you know, both of them having an openness to one another. Like there's, 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 there's there, there, you know, there's some meat on those bones. Uh, and uh, the actors did a lot with that, I think. And um, to your point before, like, you know, we're, we're seeing some heavy things. We're in the middle of the, the series winding down toward the end, building up uh, to uh, a big confrontation. So the, the tension's kind of high here. And this is a nice like breathing moment where the characters just kind of get to live come back to each other and uh we get a, a nice um a nice happy uplifting moment uh to kind of get us into the the heavier parts of the episode mm-hmm. we get ready for sort of the the, the climaxing and the final third yeah. now where where things are going to get uh the stakes are going to get raised a little bit as a fisk mm-hmm. shows up in tomaha he's at the post office and he does a really good manipulating job here i thought this was fantastic he mm-hmm. He's smart, so he knows what Maya's family looks like. He knows who they are. They don't know him. Mm-hmm. But he encounters Chula at the post office, mm-hmm. and he sees right. – he points out the necklace that she's wearing, which is like an ASL um, – mm-hmm. uh, has like an ASL symbol. 
And so he connects with Chula and has Chula, this woman, completely let her guard down because yeah. she thinks she's interacting with this nice gentleman and they're talking about mm-hmm. sign language and they're talking about having siblings or they're talking about losing a loved one. And mm-hmm. this was a fantastic job of manipulating by Kingpin here yeah. to come and like infiltrate because we don't realize as people how easy it is to do something like this. We're all human. Yeah, yeah. We're we're all human. We're not machines. We're not robots. Like somebody can quickly come and you walk down the street and in two seconds, if it's either a bad guy or a good guy or a good girl or a bad girl, but how they present <laughs> themselves to you and you, it just, I, I thought this was fantastic because it, yeah. it reminded me of, you know, what, what could happen. And he, pr- he knew what to say and mm-hmm. he went up and he preyed on her and he uses ASL as a way to trick Chula and as a way to bond right. with her. Oh yeah, which is smart. I mean, he's a uh, cunning, you know, charming sociopath. Uh, you would have to be in order to get to where he is, where he's, the, you know, running the mafia essentially in New York, or even running New York, you know. And then, spoiler alert, skipping ahead to the end, potentially running the the actual office of New York as mayor. Uh, so, like, you know, uh, if you can be a, a successful politician, you have to have your charms and you have to have. Wits about you that you're going to be able to manipulate people and you know play on their emotions, and he does that pretty effortlessly here, um, especially when he has key bits of information that he could use and leverage. So that's uh, that's what we see here. We see the locals all continuing to prep for the big powwow festival, and Maya, she's off, she's on her own, and she's getting messages from biscuits. He's telling her, Maya, where are you? Maya, come back. And she keeps ignoring him. But then he sends one and he says, Maya, we can't find Chula and Bonnie. And when she sees that message, she also looks up and sees a woodpecker. And she remembers her mom. And that's kind of the sign that mm-hmm. gets her back to Oklahoma. She turns around. She stops ignoring Biscuit's messages. And she goes back to try to help her family. So that was the moment where I feel like it kind of happened quickly. Yeah. You are like, was that enough? Her just seeing the woodpecker mm-hmm. for her to completely turn around and come back. You know, yeah. like we just found out about the woodpecker as an audience. Like, like that could have been something that. that we saw in episode one. And mm-hmm. maybe we saw a woodpecker a few different times throughout the series. Mm-hmm. And so at the, t- by the time we saw it again at the end of episode five, it would have meant a little bit more, Yeah, you know, um, I and also, she, she just left too. So she, it, she's just leaving, and then she's like turning around before she right even away. gets where she's got. Like, so it does feel like yeah, there's a there's a missing episode there, or yep. something like or scenes uh, a little bit. Of, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There should have been a little bit more because I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong that she came back. It's just what made no. her change so much so quickly yeah. from her feeling like I'm gone to oh no, I have to come all the way back now. And mm-hmm. this this was probably where we had some of those cuts. Right now, mm-hmm. as uh, Chula and Bonnie have now been kidnapped by Fisk, and Fisk has taken them to lure Maya back. Maya arrives back in town, and she goes to Chula's house first, and she sees her mother, Taloa, a vision of her mom. They share mm-hmm. a moment where Maya's mom helps to heal Maya's pain. Maya blames herself for her mom's death. Maya's mm-hmm. mom, uh, Taloa, tries to take that away from Maya. And she teaches Maya about their ancestors and about some of the powers that they have, how each yeah. of her ancestors can come to help 
when she needs it. So uh, Maya yeah. gets to have this moment with her mom. And um, yeah, I wasn't expecting it, really. I wasn't expecting her to have this full-on interaction with her mm-hmm. mom when she shows back up. And so these are the kinds of scenes that yeah. I think help get Maya to the place where she is at the end of the episode. The stuff like this mm-hmm. with her mom where this poor little girl just never – she was a little girl and her mom is gone. And and then on top of it, that she's deaf. So it makes it so difficult for her to really, like, really intimately communicate with others. And the one person who had probably been able to break through all of those barriers, her mom wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And now her yeah. grandma and her friends aren't around. She just has had so few real, right. true, intimate interactions in her entire life that this felt this felt a big deal for her and it felt like something that would really impact her. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm just wondering as we're talking about this, if there was grander plans around this moment, I wonder Mm -hmm. if this is exactly how it was always um, constructed to be, because I, you know, I wonder if this would have been a great opportunity somewhere in this part of the story for Chula completely agree to be in the mix here too. I think I, I and I think she could have been killed maybe by Absolutely. Kingpin, and then and then there's a, a this sequence, but it's with both of them. Chula and her daughter are reunited in this like afterlife, but also communing with her. So we're getting the multi generations. And there then there's some of, closure, kind of bitter, right? So yeah, there's some bittersweet stuff where Chula is lost. That thing that we were. Um, you know, hoping for with the reuniting of, of Chula and Scully, they tease it, but then Scully ultimately loses, you know, his wife right on the cusp of about to, about to have her again. But we also get to have kind of a bittersweet, like a happy ending in that with her, there's this afterlife. She's reunited with her daughter and they're communing with, uh, My, with Maya. Uh, Maya to, to ultimately give her her powers. I know there's an aversion towards like, showing marginalized people suffering on screen and the idea of like, um, what do they call it? They call it fridging somebody like, like where, but see, like, oh, yeah, I think this would have been fridge, but I, yeah, I think this would have been an exception where it might've worked. Too. It, it's and not, this to. is a main, this would have been a big part of it, right? It's not like yeah. this wouldn't have been just a side. And, and it's also like, I don't know if it's weird because of this, but when it, it mm-hmm. feels a little different when it's a woman for a man, I don't know if that is a thing to it. We've talked about this right. too, right? When it's like right. when you're fridging a, a female character to make a mm-hmm. man, a male character feel more important, but that wasn't right. the case at all here. This would have been Maya's grandma, right? right. So it would have been right. a really big part of her. And then we could have, yeah. I, I almost thought I was thinking the same thing, but you, you explained it way mm-hmm. better in that. If, if Chula would have been there with them in some way, right? If she's yeah. either there or the, what you said is way better he kills her and she yeah. comes back with Tal- Taloa there. And so Maya gets to have this interaction with both her mom and her grandma and they can yeah. come together, tell her it's not your fault. We're sorry. You need to be the one now to, mm-hmm. you know, take the lead of the family moving forward and we will speak through you and we will help you when you need help. And I think that would yeah. have been, a, it would have, it would have hit, hit us a little bit yeah. more. You know, in the, uh, in the so. spots. I think so there, too. There would have been more stakes, I think, ultimately too, if we knew that some of these more of these characters could die throughout at any point. I mean, we get the backstory of death and this this trauma, but 
the the ever presence of you know that sort of danger and trauma is something that I think you know it it can't be um, it's it, it's it's so important you can't overstate the importance of 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 those stakes throughout the series and I think if they especially at that point in the in the, you know a hero's journey there's supposed to be a great loss right before the big triumph at the end you know something that makes them feel like they're uh they're not going to be able to succeed and that that it, like this is the this is actually the worst hit that the the hero has taken you know right before the big climax that's that's usually where, where it would go um but there really isn't that there is there there are some stakes in that there's a kidnapping and she has to save them uh, but the, you know if if it were just reinforced that kingpin is a murderer she he can kill anybody close to her at any point and just the 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 horror of that uh, and the reality of that, I think, would have given a lot to the series. Um, did I miss it? Like, um, did I feel at the time, even when I was watching it, that I was missing something? No. But as I as I as I'm talking about it here, I feel like maybe that would have added something. Completely agree. Completely agree. As um, Maya now now has a better understanding of some of her gifts. And she's she's kind of eased a little bit of her her pain with her mom. And Chula has designed a beautiful traditional Choctaw garment for Maya <clears throat> that we see Maya now wearing. And <clears throat> Maya is a part of the big Choctaw ceremony. She it's a huge fiesta like carnival celebration with dancing with drums and all the other Choctaw um, all the other uh, Choctaw folks that are in the area. And Biscuits is doing security. He sees Fisk's men and he alerts Henry. Um, and another, like, all of this, it just seemed mm-hmm. like it all happened very quickly. Yeah, the a little higher, even like the yeah. entire final sequence, because there's a lot of things going on that I think if we just spent 30 seconds more with each one, mm-hmm. they right. would have been, yeah. they would have just hit more like Biscuits yeah. with the monster truck. And mm-hmm. like rolling over the cars, that's a really yeah. funny comedy. Yeah. Like it's a funny scene, but it's it goes so quickly. It's like a snap, and you miss it. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like that really has has to do with that they didn't build it up the, the tension of the moment enough. That they didn't. Mm-hmm. There wasn't uh, enough uh, moments of jeopardy that we were just hanging on and stretching those moments out to really feel like, Oh, are they, is he going to save them or not? Or, you know, are the bad guys going to win here or not? Uh, it just sort of plays out, um, almost in a perfunctory kind of a way, like bad guys get their comeuppance, bad guys get their comeuppance, bad guys get their comeuppance, like, you know, but there's not that sense as a viewer that, Oh, the, you know, the, the bad They're guys gonna win. might win here. None. Yeah, or they, None they got a little mini win along the way, and then a, a, a setback ultimately, you know, good triumphs over evil or whatever. Like we didn't get that. We didn't get that interplay. Nope. So, biscuits takes out some of the bad guys with his monster truck. Uh, Maya, initially, she is outnumbered, but she finds. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's able to find Bonnie and Chula, and. Kingpin tells her he's going to kill the rest of the family like he killed her father. And that's the moment when Maya's ancestors help her. We see her real powers. They stand behind her. They give her power. And Maya is able to transfer that power to her family, to Chula and to Bondi. 
uh, to Bonnie, who mm-hmm. all kick some ass right there yeah. as we're getting kind of cuts back and forth to Bonnie, Maya, Chula kicking ass. We cut back mm-hmm. to the powwow ceremony. We cut back to Biscuits mm-hmm. taking out a bunch of guys with the monster truck yeah. and uh, the crushing Fisk's men's car. And then all of a sudden, Henry just kills Zane real quick. He just like, boom, mm-hmm. he just pops him and, and he's dead. So there's a lot of action yeah. in this sequence. Yeah. And the family all gets to step up. But I completely agree in that if one of them is lost here and Chula feel, mm-hmm. feels like the one that would have been the most impactful, even yeah. after her loss, Maya's not alone. She can still be with the family, with Scully, with Bonnie, with Henry, the rest of the family and Biscuits mm-hmm. to help kind of fix her up and help kind of clean up the mess a little bit. Um, yeah, it did feel like at the right here at the end, damn, everything happened great for all of our good guys, you know, right, like right. it was all very convenient, very and all, clean, uh, very yeah. clean as the, even so, even in when the chaos is happening and mm-hmm. Maya has this interaction with Kingpin and right. she's able to basically use her powers to get inside of his head. And yeah, Scarlet Witch kind of stuff here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, planting these, memories. Or, yeah. yeah. And this is crazy because Maya, it's not even like Maya is watching uh, mm-hmm. a former memory. Like she is in it herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where it's kind of curious what exact powers that she has. But right. um, it seems as if she's trying to heal his pain here. Getting inside of his mm. head, trying to take away that pain that he has from his father, from you know all the trauma that he has held on to about killing his father, about what his right. father's done. And when he opens his eyes, Fisk asks her, "What have you done? What did you do to me?" Yeah. But then, yeah, like following yeah, I, that, yeah, he just leaves, and it's she kind just of abrupt. And there's no feel, like yeah. that was just yep. it. Like they both just kind of like walk away. I it was very. Very strange. I, there, yeah, it felt like something was missing there. That was my big. I rewound it because I was like, did I miss? Did I miss something there? Did was there a glitch where it jumped ahead? Because it felt like there was a missing piece of interaction there. There was like, it's like sometimes on on screen people have a phone conversation uh, and then nobody says goodbye. There's no. They just hang up when the conversation's done, and it feels like wait that 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 was like a TV trope. That was like a. Something was underwritten there, not really thought through about the reality of the situation. We don't mm-hmm. necessarily need to say them hear people say goodbye on the phone. It's not the most interesting thing, but there was something missing from the reality of that of that moment there. And this felt like even more important than that because you know it, the fact that he would just go, "What would you do?" and then leave on that note, not like grab her. We're going to get to the bottom of this, and like uh, we're you know, you're going to explain to me what you just did there, like. You know, another trope, like where there'll be an argument that's like a misunderstanding, like in a rom-com or something like that. And uh, the woman or the man will will, will walk away and they'll just be just a few feet down the hall. And the person will just kind of stand there and go, wait. But one explanation, one piece of I know of 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 uh, explanation can just resolve the whole thing. But because they had to write it differently or they didn't didn't think of that in the moment or they had to save it for another scene later where they you know reconcile uh it just doesn't get said there and so as an audience member you're just kind of going wait we're missing something that's not how human beings would 
respond to this like very important moment there. They would they would ask questions. They would they would you know hang around for a bit and, and try to resolve that moment. It was, it's too much of a, a cliffhanger built into their lives that they would just walk away. Absolutely. But on some on some level, I, I was just able to accept it. I, I don't know. I just you just kind of got to write it. That's what they gave yeah. us. So I'm just going, okay, I guess it just messed with his head so much that he just wasn't thinking straight and just had to had to leave in that moment. But yeah, and it felt like something was missing. I, I suspect that something is missing there they just, and they just cut it. I me really too. think that something was missing there. And they there, cut was, it. there wasn't even the moment where Maya gives him a hug or something and says like, you know, you'll yeah. – like, we didn't get either of the extremes. Him right. trying to go crazy on her or her saying – now you're going to feel better, right? Like now I've healed yeah. your pain or, you know, more explain a little bit more of what happened. He just sort of kind of scurries off confused. Yeah. And the, the next time we see him, he's getting in his car. Yeah. And we see a young Maya with her mom right after her mom had mended the woodpecker sort of a right. full come to circle moment where it's almost like Maya's mom has taught her the final lesson. Or has mm-hmm. continued to help her teach her to be the, the the woman that she needs to be. And we see Maya and their family enjoying a barbecue. And we get the uh, the graphic that Marvel extends. Thank you to the Choctaw Nation for all their help mm-hmm. on the collaboration here. And we get mm-hmm. a nice uh, everybody at the barbecue happy ending, it seems like. Uh, because like we saw She-Hulk and a couple of these other uh, movies and shows where everyone's uh, there together, the family. But mm-hmm. we do get a mid credit scene where it's Fisk, Kingpin. He's on a plane and he's watching a news report. And they're talking about the New York City mayoral race. And the mm-hmm. commentators, the political pundits are talking about how the race is wide open. There's no strong yeah. candidates. How none of the candidates feel like they're really even intriguing. And that the people in the city are ripe and waiting for a new candidate. Someone who's a fighter. Yeah. Someone who's <laughs> a bare knuckle brawler would play really yeah. well. And uh, so that uh, triggers an idea for Fisk. Mm-hmm. And just yep. the wheel spinning thinking about I love the premise for this. Of yeah. him from the comics yeah. running for mayor of New York. If he gets it and he wins, he can take uh, you know be against the vigilantes like Daredevil, Spider Man, yeah. uh, Echo, and it can you know set this whole trying to turn the good guys into bad guys thing, which we've seen a lot of times throughout yeah. the comics. So I'm I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of like a lot of meat on that bone moving oh, forward. Yeah. And while it wasn't perfect. I no. I really enjoyed this ep- this series. Same. It wasn't the longest in the world, but it was um it was it, it a lot of stuff felt new. And that's what I yeah. want with with when they went to the Disney Plus and when they went to the streaming and when when we could Oof. sense that yeah. the the stories were going to be different mm-hmm. in my head this is the type of thing I think I I was thinking about. Like yeah, these were the absolutely. types of things I was hoping for, and not not everything has been a hit or a miss, or and even this wasn't all the way through. But this is right. different than you know the Avengers that we mm-hmm. were watching, but it still feels yeah. you can feel some of that in in here. But it's just a different street level, more of the Defenders style story, and yeah. 
I thought they did a really good job with it. As, as we pointed out, my, my gripes were more of what was not there, what was missing, and right. just technical if we could have gotten a little bit more of. But I think they did a really nice job with the characters and the casting and the feeling and the, the setting and all yeah. of it. And, you know, we now have um, re- like really cool for all the, the, um, the gripes about some things mm-hmm. feeling forced. I didn't feel the representation in this show was no. forced at all. Some of the times we're no. like, oh, you know, did that like that didn't feel authentic or that didn't feel right. But but this did. And I do when we, you know, coming out of these shows, I do think it is cool because there are a huge mm-hmm. population of Native American deaf amputees out there. No, but <laughs> any one of those people that watches this and is able to kind of just connect with it a little bit more like some were with yeah. Miss Marvel, because, dude, is it, it when you look and you see someone on screen that looks like you, you feel different mm-hmm. about it. And right. I do when they do these stories well, I really appreciate it. It's hard because yeah. you don't like sometimes it can feel a little hollow or it can feel a little phony or it can feel a little forced where you're like, ah, I know what they're trying to do there. I didn't feel that here, and I'm glad because it. Right. When you come out of it, I love, I love being enriched in these types of cultures when it when it's authentic and when it's well done and when it doesn't feel cheap. Absolutely, and I feel like you know on the other end of the spectrum, as as a member of the audience who who doesn't share a lot of those demographics that are you know, portrayed on screen, I also find it refreshing and interesting to see the unique challenges of those things. To see the way that you know we have shared humanity, the real that world, man. Are different, but then there are overlapping concerns, obviously. So, you know, I like to see people who don't represent me and uh, who are you know different, different cultures and different you know backgrounds, different abilities. Uh, I think that adds to the richness of it, as long as it's done in a way that feels um, authentic, doesn't feel like it's it's pandering or trying to present you know a some kind of like um, an idealized version of these things. Uh, and I thought that there was, there was enough uh, richness to the characters here where, you know, it avoided those pitfalls uh, that, that sometimes are there. And, you know, on, on paper, I could see the people who are, you know, really upset about all the DEI stuff and the MCU uh, trajectory and them going, what, this is a deviation from the, from the comics, uh, you know, the origins of the character, they added, you know, a disability to, you know, her story, uh, which maybe wasn't wasn't necessary from their perspective. But, you know, from my perspective, I think it just added another layer to that onion. Um, you know, would I have liked to see maybe a little bit more specificity, a little bit more of the challenges? I kind of mentioned that earlier with with the uh, the prosthetic leg. I would have liked to see a few more challenges there that she needs to overcome. I think that would have added uh, a sense of us um, empathizing with her and her specific struggles and also getting, you know, just behind her and wanting her to overcome them. And it just would have added some interesting obstacles that I, I think they could still do down the line. Uh, but I thought really well casted. I like Alaco Cox. I, I like her, her, her face just has a good, um, it's, it's got an expressiveness to it that I think goes a long it's, way. You're dude. I know it's like, you can't even, pinpointing you know what yeah, i mean like what yeah. 
but but there's something you need to do when you cast characters that can't mm-hmm. speak and, and have to play roles of people mm-hmm. that aren't talking yeah. where they need to show a lot more in their face than than others. Yeah. And she does it and the young Maya does it very yeah. well too. Both of the yeah. the characters, because there's this like there's there's this like beauty and this sadness yeah, I, and this agree. aggressive yeah. like aggression, like all in there that you see and this like longing in the eyes. This is like a really, yeah. like really well done. And absolutely. I mean, I honestly can't even think of even when they have bad shows, the casting that they do is almost been so strong. forever. Like it's it, almost, it really is so good. It, it just um, mm-hmm. a, a really positive way to end a show that wasn't getting mm-hmm. a whole lot of positive vibes before it came out, you know, no, so no. the this feels better than coming off of a movie like Eternals that had like all this pub and hype and everything yeah. and then came out of it like, oh no. Underwhelming. Yeah. Right? This, yeah. this is and kind of the opposite. Secret Invasion, same same thing. Like Secret Invasion, I mentioned this before, but it was those expectations for that were so high. It's like one of the greatest comic book uh, runs for the source material. You've got Nick Fury heading the, the thing. We've got Don Cheadle on there. It's so rich for like, you know, the the, the backstory and the, 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 the stories that have been done prior to secret invasion you know like captain america uh civil war and um uh, the winter soldier those were like the some of the strongest entries in the mcu as far as just filmmaking and great storytelling and action and so that was supposed to be like an extension of that and it was such a letdown and then with this series we're going into it with this like really low expectations we're coming off of like multiple bombs we're coming off of that secret invasion uh we're we have the knowledge that Things internally at Marvel are being, uh, you know, there's an upheaval. They're they're switching gears. They're switching priorities. They're pulling funding for certain things. They condense the series. So all this bad juju going into it, and then it ends up being really pleasantly surprising. And then we get all the Defender stuff folded in and like acknowledged as canon now. Like MCU is treating it uh, like. Uh, that on on um on Disney Plus that is that you know they're they're putting the timeline order out there they're publishing on their social media like articles that are endorsed by Kevin Feige and the producers that acknowledge the overall timeline and including all those Netflix Defenders series which I'm so happy about on uh, on one hand but also uh, I'm kind of low key going what where have you guys been this whole time like, did you not watch those shows did you, you not do? get any of they the critical awesome. feedback come on why were man. you not like shaping or like i i get it that it's a big moving ship and there's a lot of moving parts and they wanted to focus on like you know nailing the avengers stuff but like you had a winning hand this whole already time there. i know already there you guys didn't realize it till now it's it's kind of it's a better than on never, one level but, uh, come on I'm, right I'm, I'm a little pissed. Like they could have Me been too. doing more all along and they, they squandered a lot of good faith and, you know, but I mean, like you said, better late than never. So I'm not going to complain any, any more than that, but it did say, I'm a little bit like just scratching my head. Like where, where have you guys been this whole time? <laughs> like, how did you not know that these were good and they fit the story? Like the, those shows did so much to have their self-contained great stories, but also weaved through the backstory the around the, the battle of New York and, and everything. And so that it, it fit perfectly. So like, what were you guys waiting on? Kevin Feige, like how, how are you not a, a stronger voice for this earlier on? Because there's, there's gold there, <laughs> you know, there's gold in them there hills, but like, uh, what the hell? Like, uh, so yeah, 
uh, that's the last I'll say about that, I guess. But, uh, but better, like you said, better not like than never. So. And maybe because I, I was just looking too, as we are putting a bow now on Echo, it <laughs> looks like right now, I don't think there's anything until um, uh, uh, Deadpool. Wow. I think Deadpool okay, is our next good. thing, which is in July, which is good, right? We needed some time yeah. to breathe and we need some time to definitely make sure that nothing's rushed, right? right? Nothing needs to get rushed into production because, hey, this is the date that we need to release this show for Disney+. Plus. And that was what was happening right. a little bit over the last few years. And now I think it's yeah. going to go back to let's make sure this is done, this is ready, this mm-hmm. is good, and then we release. And is and if there's a lot Absolutely. of things being released and it's, it's under that premise, I'm completely fine with it. As, as long as yeah. everything gets their attention to detail, gets yeah. you know taken care of, and then that's fine moving forward. I think they wanted to go mm-hmm. quantity with when they had Disney Plus right off the bat. And mm-hmm. so now we do have some quantity. We do have some quality. But yeah. we may, because um, I was looking, you know, but the, maybe mm-hmm. what we'll do is uh, like next month sometime, maybe we'll pick one of those Defender shows. And just mm-hmm. do like a overall recap of the show. You know, we could we could take an hour, you know, and talk about some yeah. of the positives of those. Because since those will now be canon moving forward, um, right? You no, know, maybe we can do. And, and I'm gonna enjoy rewatching them now too. You know, because knowing that they have more yeah. importance. And those were those shows on Netflix towards the end of them where I was always going, ah, but is this gonna really matter, right? Like once this exactly. show is canceled, why do I care exactly. as much about the end of the third season? But now I, I have. And I haven't even care. seen those. I, I personally w- w- was right there with you where I, I got the sense that they weren't going to be incorporated in the MCU. And then I I was just not not really rushing to see them. And then they kind of got canceled. And then I never got around to seeing the, the end season. So I don't think I saw Daredevil season three. I'm not sure if I've seen season two of Punisher. Awesome. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to catching up on all these things too, because what I have seen, I loved it. I loved every They're bit great. of what, what I saw in those series. They were some of the best things that that are a part of the MCU. And I always considered them at the time as part of the MCU. It was only after the word kind of came out that like, oh yeah, we're actually not really acknowledging this stuff that I, I kind of lost interest in them, or at least I lost the sense of urgency to finish them. It's compl- same exact thing. So now uh, yeah. I'll, we'll uh, we'll touch base in the next little bit. Maybe yeah, maybe in like a month or so we can take a look at That'd Daredevil or take a look at uh, Luke Cage or a few of yeah. them and just do kind of an overall uh, recap on those. But whenever there's a new Marvel MCU show, anything in the world of Star Wars, we are going to be here with you, Tim Kelly. No matter what, even when he's busy, even when he's got a whole bunch mm-hmm. of work going on. <laughs> multiple kids being born since we've been doing this he's always gonna he's always gonna make some time for us and, uh, and give us Thank that you. great insight tk buddy love you man thanks so much for making some time and thanks, uh brother. yeah another one in the books man we've covered so much yeah. ground over the last few years yeah and uh things are looking bright right we we yep. also have uh fantastic four right around yes. the corner oh i mean a little, little ways away it's next year but what we've seen of it, I, I'm just so interested. We got the casting just announced. I think that it's a really solid cast all around, headed by Pedro Pascal. And the aesthetic that they're going for, with a little tease that they've given us, the, the images, uh, they, they posted something on Valentine's Day. It looks like a 60s version of the Fantastic yes. Four. It's all, all like hand-drawn or painted. And uh, this Marvel logo that reminds me of like the Cinerama logo. Uh, so is it going to be a period piece? Uh, I love that. I mean, we got 
Evan Moss, Evan Moss Bacharach, I think that's his name. The guy from his cousin on The Bear. He was in uh, Girls and just a great character actor. I'm really excited to see him play Ben Grimm as the thing. And uh, a couple other really good actors in there rounding out the cast. Uh, so you know, things bode well uh, for uh, for the MCU and Fantastic Four specifically. Long-weighted thing here. We've gotten a, a Fantastic Four reboot every 10 years. It looks like 2005, mm-hmm. 2015, yeah. now 2025. I mean, this is the time, third time's the charm. They're going to get it right. Uh, I'm really excited about that. And you got Matt Shankman, who did uh, WandaVision. And that was one of the stronger, um, you know, series that we've reviewed here i'm really i think it, it held up well it yeah. also played with some period stuff i'm really excited about the the next steps in the, in the mcu and i'm i'm willing to wait I'm, I'm i'm happy that we're gonna have a little bit of time to just let this stuff breathe to go back revisit the defenders and then some really exciting things on the horizon with deadpool and wolverine fantastic four and of course we've got uh the um the WandaVision uh, uh Agatha. Agatha yeah. all along Agatha. Or Agatha, whatever they're calling it now, Coven of Chaos. Oh, I know. Yeah. And Catherine Pond is fantastic. Well, even in and all those, so a little bit of time and mm-hmm. excitement for the next projects. And then on the opposite yeah. side for Star Wars, they've announced that the filming for uh That's right. the Mandalorian and Grogu movie is going With to be John starting Favreau. soon. And Directing. also yeah. season two of Andor this year in yes. August, yes. which was awesome. So looking forward to those two things, looking forward to Deadpool and where we're headed yeah. now with all the Defender stuff. So, man, it, it's crazy. Yeah. If you talk, if you maybe checked in six months ago on some of our shows, the energy might have <laughs> been a little bit bleak. different, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now after two or three positive things kind of going the other way, maybe some underrated things that we didn't have as high of expectations. The Marvels was fun. Mm-hmm. Loki season mm-hmm. two was good. And then we got a real underrated echo here now. So uh, yeah. we're excited in the MCU. We're excited moving on in the world of Star Wars. And we'll be back in a little bit with Tim Kelly to talk about whatever is happening, whatever is new, any of that great new content out there in the MCU Folks, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Make sure to give Tim a follow at uh, on social media, Twitter, and on Instagram at Tim is not funny. Check out the great music project that he does with his wife. Fantastic musicians there. And uh, TK, I hope you and your family have a great rest of your weekend, buddy. And you and I will be talking real soon. Thanks so much. And one more plug, if you don't mind, I've got uh, a short film that I'm in coming awesome. out. It's actually going to be premiering at the Golden State Film Festival uh, next week at the Chinese Theater. I believe it's on Thursday, the 9.30 p.m. program. But if you go to uh, Surprise to See Me, if you look up Surprise to See Me, question mark, uh, that's the name of the film. Uh, it's on Instagram, so you can find the information there. Look up uh, Surprise to See Me. And uh, if you're interested in, in the L.A. area, you can come out to uh, to see that on the big screen. I believe it's also going to be streaming on Roku. I'll share information as I get that. Awesome, dude. Please. And I'll, I will uh, repost that for everyone out there, too. Cool. Cool. Really, really cool. TK, buddy, awesome. good luck Thank with you. that. Maybe we can see you on the big screen. If not, we will definitely be streaming you on Roku over there. Tim Kelly, super talented in many, many ways. And we've been lucky to have him as a part of uh, That's What G Said for the last few years. Thank you so much, TK. You have a great one. Thank you. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening in. And we'll be back again very soon to talk whatever's going on in the MCU. 
that's going to do it for this episode. That's what G said. A big thank you to Koopa Loop for helping us out with WWE. A big thank you for Tim Kelly with Echo. We'll get back into the Marvel and Star Wars worlds uh, anytime they have new content out. Barry Spears, each and every week, he's here handicapping the races with us. This week it was Oaklawn, and Eric will be talking NBA with us every week. Thanks so much, Eric, for helping us out with the basketball recap in the the first half of the, more than the first half of the NBA season. We'll be back in a few days with plenty more. Make sure to get to Twitter. That's what, uh, it's me, Gino B, and make sure to download the podcast. That's what G said. Anywhere you get your podcast. Thanks so much, folks. Have a good weekend.